I've been running scams on the street since I was 10. I was kicked out of the flight academy for having a mind of my own. I'm going to be a pilot. Best in the galaxy. Hey, kid. I'm putting together a crew. You in? Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host for the show. And this is episode 45, The Heels Are Alive, with the sound of... Away! <laughs> uh, <laughs> joining me, as always, is our R5D4 Focus Collector and Fanfatracks Contributor. It is Richard Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Uh, Rich, just, just finished the fourth figure of the year. Uh, who won it, do you know? Vega, Raw, Vega, Raw. It's neat, it's neat, it's neat, it's neat. He's got our tiger, Pete. Good evening, Petey Weedy. How are we, Pete? Good man, we are. Hey. Brilliant. And I'm going to be iron like lion in Simon. Good evening, Si. Do hope you're not going to be in me, Stu. Oh, a couple of weeks, mate. Five is from. Ooh, getting cosy. Obviously, Jez isn't with us this month. Uh, anyone who heard the last podcast will know that he's gone back to school. with <laughs> Imagine him with his freckles and his satchel across his shoulder. So he will be missing this month and next month. However, after the last two years of the running Stormtrooper, and after last year of saying, that's it, I'm done with it, it's never happening again, he's going to do another one. He's going to be doing 100 kilometres this year in the running Stormtrooper costume. And he's running it for Make-A-Wish again and Spread a Smile. So although he's not with us, he has recorded this very short piece for the podcast. Did you really think I'd let you do a whole episode about me being on it? Not a chance. Hey, look, thanks ever so much for giving me this opportunity just to say a few words about the running Stormtroopers' next adventure, the last chapter. Well, I thought that was it. I thought that was it done. Put the whole running Stormtrooper thing to bed. Job done. Star Wars celebration in the bag. London Marathon, Guinness World Record, done. The big 40 miler. All raising just under twenty thousand pounds, so five thousand six hundred for Make a Wish in two thousand and sixteen, and thirteen thousand three hundred in twenty seventeen. I thought that was it. However, um, I'm a bit of a softie at heart, and uh, after watching the BBC TV Children in Need appeal in November, and looking at all the really really sad stories of kids, um, just I don't know, just going through a real hard time in hospitals and parents. 
are really, really struggling and learning about a new charity called Spread a Smile, I really started thinking maybe I just need to do one more thing. Now, as you know, Star Wars is all about trilogies. So 2016, 2017, maybe 2018. Yeah, it's right. It's the third and final chapter, the final part of the trilogy. The last Stormtrooper run. That's it. The last Stormtrooper run. So there you go. My first problem was, well, I'm the Make-A-Wish Stormtrooper. I'm the Make-A-Wish running Stormtrooper. But I've met this new charity called Spread a Smile. Spread a Smile entertain children in hospital. They they send magicians and actors and, and singers and, and just people who, you know, these children might not necessarily leave the hospital but just to have an entertaining time or just to, to try and bring some smiles or try and help them in any way which they can and just lift the parents slightly as well. I just urge you, if you go onto YouTube and you, you might feel like, you know, you, you're a pretty tough old nut, but if you just do it, just pause this in a second and just go onto YouTube. And if you just search for Vanessa's story on YouTube and it's a BBC children in need thing, it's about five, six minutes long. If, that doesn't just make you think, oh yeah, I understand now why he's doing this. Well, I, I don't know what's wrong with you. Vanessa's story, just uh, just please watch it. So there I was in a position where I just think, I love what Make-A-Wish do. And now I love what um, Spread a Smile do. So I've spoken to both charities and I'm going to run for both of them. I'm, I'm now, I've got a, a Virgin Money Giving site, which allows me to raise money for two charities concurrently, two really, really worthwhile charities. But that's it. What can I do? So I ran 40 miles last year. How can you top that? Well, some of you know that I'm in the military. I'm in the Royal Air Force. And this year is the 100th anniversary of the Royal Air Force, 100 years old. So to mark that, I'm going to run 100 kilometers in a Stormtrooper costume in one day. Now, 100 kilometers is 62 miles. So I've taken what I did last year and smacked on another 50%. I mean, this is ridiculous. It might not be possible. In order to do this, I'm going to have to start running at midnight. So once again, I'm teaming up with Pinewood Studios. I'm going to go to an illuminated area of the complex and run around it until the sun comes up and the sun is high enough to light the uh, forest canopy next door to Pinewood where I'm then going to leave, go back out to Black Park, run around that until I get to 61 miles and then the 99th kilometre. And then I'm going to return to Pinewood and again finish at Pinewood. I think if I can do it, I'm looking at around about 17 hours. But I've got to do something big. I've got to do something big. So once again, I'm going to be doing the London Marathon again. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. I've got a few school runs to do. I've got a few community, local community runs all just trying to spread the word about Make-A-Wish and spread a smile. Just trying to raise as much money as possible. So please keep an eye out for me. I do think, and don't feel bad about this, I do think that I'm going to lose the Guinness World Record this year because I've learned that also running um, in the London Marathon is Darth Vader. That's right, the big boss man. I mean, how hard is that? He's got a mask, a cape and some black trousers. It's not exactly armour, is it? But... Uh, Darth Vader, I know he's got a faster time than me and he's running in the London Marathon. But the fact is, this guy's also running for Make-A-Wish. So I wish him well. This is his big thing for the year. And um, yeah, if, if I can help him, support him in any way, crack on, mate. But for me, 
it's all about the big run. So London Marathon, April the 22nd, but the big run is going to be on May the 17th. Not May the 4th this year. I need more time to recover from London to get myself ready for this. 100 kilometers on May the 17th. You guys going to join me? Part of that is just please a really, really good place to go and a really, really good place to check out is stormtrooperrun.com. It's a great website, which Pete has been brilliant and, and has set it up for me. And I've been able to add various links, various articles, stories, videos. If you want to know more about the charities, it's on stormtrooperrun.com. If you want to know about how you can donate, it's on stormtrooperrun.com. This is a series of blogs. It talks all about celebration, all about last year's 40 miler, all broken down into chapters. Stormtrooperrun.com is the place now, which I'll be updating as much and as much as possible. You may have noticed that for those who are following the Make a Star Wars Wish Facebook page has now changed to Make a Star Wars Wish and Spread a Smile. So you could check out Facebook, but definitely go to stormtrooperrun.com, where I'm hoping to have some sort of Garmin tracking device, which will be able to provide a live update for when I'm running on May the 17th, the 100km run. So, all sorts of stuff happening. But what I'm also really excited to talk about, not that I know a great deal at the moment, is Mark Daniels, good on Mark Sublevel Studios, and everyone must check out Sublevel Studios artwork. I mean, let's face it, he's added stuff at Celebration. Mark contacts me and says, mate, do you want me to do you a logo, a new, a new design? And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. The last Stormtrooper run with a new logo. So Mark has produced something and I've put it on Instagram, on the um, Stormtrooper run Instagram feed. And loads of people contacting me saying that would make a great medal. Lots of running races now, short ones, 3K, 5K, 10Ks, etc. And they all get medals at the end. And people have said, this will be a brilliant medal. So I've now got an idea in my head that it might be possible over the next couple of months that we might arrange a virtual race where listeners, anyone all around the world, people in various Facebook groups, schools, friends, family, what have you, we can say, right, we'll organise, let's say, a five-kilometre run. And everyone will pay a fee, show evidence that they've done the run by a photograph or a screenshot or what have you, and then get sent this last Stormtrooper logo as a medal in the post. It, it, it Very, very early days at the moment, but it just might be one extra way of being able to generate some more much-needed charity money for Make-A-Wish and for Spread a Smile. So all sorts of stuff going on. I thought that was it. I'd hung up my armour. But as I said, after watching Vanessa's story and seeing what Make-A-Wish continue to do, I know that there's more to do. This is it. This is the last year. One more big run. The final. The last Stormtrooper run. Guys, really, really need your support. If there's anything which any of our listeners can do to help, if there's anyone, um, whoever it is, if you've got any ideas, might do another prize draw. On Star Wars Forum UK, we all do the prize draw. Might do a t-shirt design with Mark's design, but this virtual run. Um, if there's anything you can do, just please let me know. But definitely check out stormtrooperrun.com and look out for Make a Star Wars Wish and Spread a Smile. Thanks. Now, apologies for the lateness of this podcast this month. It is down to mainly me having a few difficulties away from the show. And then when we were back, Rich descended onto Hoth. 
with the Fanfatracks boys and a couple of others, didn't you, Rich? It was absolutely fantastic. Is it in Fince? Fince, is it? Is that how you pronounce it? I thought it was pronounced Fince, but it's actually pronounced Fincer. Fincer. Well, this month, because of uh, my month I've had, I haven't been able to produce an interview. I was going to have Chris Jagulius on, so that's been pushed back to March. So instead, we've got a Hoff special with Rich hosting that bit, and we're going to discuss his trip and hopefully get some, some interviews from the people you were with. Yep, I've got some interviews from the crew who were there. I think I've got interviews from all three of the guys recordings certainly from all three of the guys and a, and a couple of recordings from some of the uh, listeners of our podcast who were there as well so we've got some uh, cracking stuff to look forward to and we've also kind of had a bit of a rejig now as you might have known that you know at the end of the podcast we used to have beyond the toys with uh, with grant and this month that returns so pete is taking over and Cy is going to go in and shake up market some great show notes from both of those so two great sections to come later in the podcast since the last show, two UK-based shows have been announced. Farthest from 7th and 8th of April. Rich, have you got any details about that at the moment, or is that going to be more later on, maybe March's show? All I know so far that is the 7th of April is the Fantatrack's second day. I believe the first day was in uh, December uh, last year. And they are going to have the same, you know, stalls, the coconut shy, the games and that that I had. I believe that there's possibly going to be some kind of charity fundraising going on and that one. And then on the Sunday, Day, it will be the typical usual father's farm quite a few stalls down there i'm led to believe so it's one that i'm looking forward to nothing i'm aware of on the night time that's going to be planned also has been announced on the 28th of april echo facebook group the echo live event i think we've all attended it at some point apart from pete but tends to have a lot of sellers if you're in the middle of the country or can get there you're looking for something it is pretty worthwhile me and Cy will be trekking to that to sell oh, some yes. amazing Jar Jar pieces that Cy got for Secret Santa <laughs> <laughs> yes I don't want to go back to the last show where Richard made a real off the cuff remark because he had moved on from Detolves all of a sudden he was basically when you become a serious collector this was your comment Rich when you become a serious collector you no longer have a Detolf <laughs> that's, that's absolutely not true and you know full and fine well that's not what I said I've, I, actually I've got a short little piece here that I'm going to read out actually now there were a couple of things that I have been um, misquoted for on the last episode of the podcast so the first one is it wasn't true that I slammed Detolf cabinets no, wait there. Mm-hmm. Wait one second. Right, so at this point here, I am going to insert exactly what was said. It's like the different stages of a collector. When you're in stage one, you get a bookcase. Stage two, you get a detailed cabinet. Stage three, you start to realise, actually, why have I just wasted my money on those? Because they're absolutely bloody useless. And then you start, you know, really getting into your stride. And uh, that's probably where I'm at now, thinking I'm regretting some of the decisions I made. You live and learn. No serious collector would have a debt off. No serious collector. Okay, so as you've just heard there, I did not slam Detolf cabinets, and equally, it's not true that I said that the Palatoy land speeder was better than the Kenner one. Okay, so I think people need to listen to that really carefully. I will say that Detolfs are good for displaying some items, such as the large size action figures and some of the smaller play sets, and probably some of the ships as well. But what I did say was they're not good at displaying mint on cards, they're not good at displaying loose figures, and I think without any additional shelving, uh, there's just a lot of empty wasted space. Now, I do understand that Jez has an affinity for them because obviously he functions with a lot of empty space too, especially between his lugs. I do understand that some people do like them, but for a volume and the, the wasted space purposes, 
they are not a good idea. And that, and that's what I was alluding to. So what I would like to just say is, as you've just heard, Richard did slam them. You did actually state, <laughs> you do state that as a serious collector, you don't have debt elves. <laughs> right. I mean, why and don't I, you just go the whole hog and just say, you know, as a high-end collector, Rich? I, I so, tell you the truth, that's not, those are not words that I normally use. I remember seeing that you first start off by using bookcases and then you find out that they aren't, you know, much cop. You then buy Dettols and then you realise, actually, you know, at the end of the day, they're not much good either. And then you go on to other solutions. I remember seeing that. Using words like serious and high-end, that's not me, so I, I, I apologise if I use those words. I put a post on our Facebook group and it's probably the most responded-to post we've ever had. I think that's fair to say, would you? Yeah, Agree? but you twisted a lot of that, as you did with the Palatoid <laughs> speeder, because I would like you to find any comment at all where I said the Palatoid speeder. How is how is this right? This is this is exactly what is written on our Facebook group. Do you display your collection or even part of it in a debt off? Perhaps you have other collectibles in a debt off cabinet. We want to see your photos this weekend of your debt offs. Richard slammed them in this month's intro. Yeah, you did that. <laughs> and Jez quite rightly picked him up on it. A debt off can look great for displays and are a good, affordable way of displaying. So share your debt offs and be sure to tag Richard in every post. Let's prove him wrong that these look superb when done correctly. I know Jez used to have an awesome debt off setup and hoping he can post a picture of that to help get the ball rolling, which Jez did. Now, Jez is set up. I always thought it was stunning. It looks really clean, really, really fresh. Love it. I think it helps that he does a bit of um, housework as well, so his house is quite clean. After that, we had tons of responses. So, Cole Dennis showed us a few of his. Now, he had a real, like, um, eclectic mix of different things on his shelves from artwork from Michael Sith to Dixie Cups and other stuff. <laughs> then Declan McCarthy, another um, huge supporter of the show, ever, always always giving us a brilliant shows us a great, great setup in his room. Jamie Hillier, now he's his was more modern, but loads of power of the force on the top and attack on the top and some great uh, they look like um like oh who made my slice noodles bust that I bought in facts. It's Gentle Giant, isn't it, isn't it? Pete Gentle Sorry. Giant. Yeah. He had loads of them, so they look amazing. Grant Allen supported you, Rich. Now he supported you. Don't know who Grant Allen is, but um, Grant, no offence, but you could be on the same kind of buffoonery level as Rich. I'm not a fan. I don't really understand why someone would spend hundreds, if not thousands of pounds, then scrimp on the display. He does say, please don't give me a hard time about it. Philip Braunton, um, he's laid out his loose in there. Got an army of bosks. Brilliant. Chris Edwards, another great display. He's got some play sets set up in here. the battle wagon. And then he's got a, actually, he's got a real Endor forest in one cabinet. So he's got like, ATST in the top, and then a speeder bike shelf, and uh, I think that's the speeder bike handgun toy. The bottom knee will battle wagon, brilliant, looks amazing. Scott Haddo, his was simpler shelf. He's got a trilogo wicket uh, with a wicket figure, the wicket coin, and one of those little transparency things. Looks amazing. Andy Quan, loads of got like the six inch figures all displayed in there. They obviously take up a bit more room when they're staggered on the heights. So perhaps Rich, you might like that one a little bit more. So Andy Booth, he's got all his twelve inch figures in there. Looks brilliant. Then Daniel Burgess, I've seen that one myself. I've been around his. He's got all his loose collection done. And then Mark Hockley, he's got his loose with some amazing lighting. All of them were amazing displays, Rich. Would you argue with any of them looking through those pictures? No, I think they are good displays, but I think they could be improved. If you go back to Jazz's collection, yes, some of those shelves were displayed fantastic. But if you look at the carded figures, you can put two carded figures in the dead off cabinet before you've got to angle them. And as soon as you angle them, you're losing the main focus of the card. So I've seen some dead off cabinets that have got like five, six and seven. Um, and I used to have them like that, angled cards in there. And I just don't 
don't think it's the best use of space. And I think if the Dettols, I mean, they come with four shells, don't they? Is it one, yeah. two, three? So they come with four shells. And it doesn't really matter what you put on them unless it's a large size action figure. You've got so much wasted space. And that was my point. You, you do realise that actually at the end of the day, they are not that great a display solution. They're pretty good for my Sigma, in fairness, because you've got the taller pieces. Mm-hmm. Isn't that yeah. a bit of room? Right. See, I've got, I'm, I'm in my office at the moment, so I've got I've got five up behind me. Oh, oh I'm in my office at the moment. Somebody rubbed my belly and massaged my feet. What a flipping plonger. Hey, <laughs> hey, someone slap him. Well, I've bought, uh, the day you moaned about them, I thought, oh, actually, I'm going to go and get myself a couple more, which I have done, but they're still in boxes at the moment. So I haven't had a chance to, um, to get it out. But once I've sorted it out, I think they'll be all right. I agree with you on the, the mint on card part when they're on their side. I have got a couple of shelves where I've only got a couple on there. Um, I think you can get three. I agree. Some of my shelves I've got four on and you have to slant them and you can't see the whole card. So you either rotate them around or put a bit. I, I agree with that. But I think they do a job. You're right. But, you know, when I get my garage done and I'm going to have a different sort of display out there, I probably won't go for Dettols. But that's not me not liking them. I just have a different image in my head. But sorry, Pete, have either of you got a Dettolf? Had a Dettolf? Would like a Dettolf? Got an opinion on a debt off. I don't have any Dettolfs at all. You're struggling to say it, aren't you? One thing to display my stuff in. I've got I've got a, a kind of a Dettolf, but it's not a Dettolf. <laughs> it's a very, very glass, very heavy glass display sort of cabinet that fits down the side of my wardrobe. Uh, my collection of modern stuff starts on the top of the wardrobe. It goes across the top of the wardrobe um, into the large glass cabinet and continues. Then um, on my computer desk... In my room, in my bedroom, I've got um, mocks stacked, <laughs> stacked up as in, you know, um, on, on top of each other, um, using a variety of attachments, which you can't see. And, uh, and that, that has created a small wall of mocks. I don't like order. I like chaos. So imagine a toy shop growing through your floor and uh, <laughs> up into your ceiling. That's what my, my collection looks like. I don't like, uh, you know, putting things. I don't like collecting, you know, lines. I like kind of randomness. So uh, it's colourful, it's busy, uh, it's a little bit messy, but there is a slight kind of control to it. But, um, yeah, that's obviously right. I, I, I can kind of see Rich's point. I think mock displaying them is really frustrating. Now, that would annoy me. Um, I also think that when it comes to displaying, like, a loose collection, you it looks sparse. So um, I don't think I don't agree with that. I think if you've got the full loose run and you've got the GW acrylic steps and they're staggered, like so, Dan Burgess, who I've just mentioned, he has on his yeah, top yeah, shelf, yeah, yeah. he's got the first twenty twenty one figures with some variants. And then you've got the Empire on the second shelf down. He's got third shelf down. I think's got um, Return of the Jedi, and the bottom's got Jabba and the last seventeen. And because it's staggered, it is taking up the space. And I think he's he's done his loose collection and Mark Hockley on those things. They've both done a really nice job of displaying their loose to an extent you see for me personally i like stuff filled up so uh to have just i mean it looks a bit too museum-y for me i, I don't like museum-y things in in my collection so um i would have to have things on the back of the 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 uh, various units and you know um i've got you know, bubble gum boxes at the back to to fill in the space um you know it's, it's got to be visual for me everything's got to be stuck out there so you know they i find them quite restrictive for my kind of collecting um, but as for high-end collecting no idea wouldn't, wouldn't even know what to say say about high-end collecting unlike richard sorry what about you how, how do you display i've got uh, two cabinets that i picked up secondhand because i'm cheap like that and they're i i guess they're about each one's a double debt off they're not they're not ikea ones i think they're from argos originally so they're twice as wide and i can see what pete's saying about them looking sparse 
but I totally agree. If you get the steps, put your loose in like that, then it does fill up the void. But otherwise, if you've just got a couple of little pieces or mocks on each shelf or a TIE fighter, which appears to fill up an entire shelf, it does look a little bit sparse. But I've sort of rammed my two glass cabinets. So in one, I've got all the mocks lined up. And on the other one, I've just sort of tiered and layered all sorts of lovely randomness. Not yeah. that I can see more than about 40% of the cabinets because I've got so much junk in the way, most of which I'm going to sell to you, Stu. <laughs> Chaos, Sonny. That's what you want. Chaos, Chaos rules, cabinets. Pete. Chaos rules. Yeah. yeah. Sonny has, has spending issues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I showed him my honky-tonk man the other day. He's, he's in. He's in. I showed him my Yokozuna today. <laughs> uh, so any advice, right? So I think the hardest thing is when you come to display things, like one of my acquisitions this month, I don't know why I bought it. Like I said, I've been away. I was sitting in a um, hospital waiting room. I've bought one of the board games. I've got it home. It's sitting in my office floor at the moment in the box it came in. And I know for a fact that within the next 48 hours, it's going to be lost in my garage somewhere because I wouldn't know how to display that in my office. Now, I will display them somehow when I get the garage sorted, but I've been saying I'm going to sort that for four years and we're still not any further on. So when it comes to things like that, jigsaw puzzles, uh, people collect paperwork, cardbacks, Pete, you, you collect cardbacks. How do you display those kind of items? Comics? What are, what's people's advice? Comics and cardbacks, sadly, I have no way of displaying them. So they sit in a box in, or in a drawer. I thought about a big folder for the car back so I can flick through it every now and again and go, hmm. But then I thought I, th- I might display them with, I think we talked about this before, because I can't afford to buy some of the high price mocks. I would really consider putting the card into a credit case and then having the figure somehow attached into the case, you know, so you've got the, the figure next to the card back. And I think that's the only way I'd display them. I don't think I'd have a big wall of card backs, but I would like, and, and, and it would also allow me to display my, my loose figure run as well, because I don't currently display that. But then I, I still think that chaos is best. If you walk into like a thrift store, um, I know Simon's a fan of things like that, thrift store stuff. You, uh, the, the best thing is if the place is an absolute mulch of, of stuff, so you can find stuff hidden beyond stuff. You know, there's nooks and crannies. I don't like walking to a shop where everything is laid out beautifully. But your collection room isn't a isn't a shop. So say someone Absolutely say not. someone you had a collector. There's a collector who lives in um, Carlisle, right? And he's going down to Farvest from, and he says, "Oh, Pete, you know, I'll come down the night before and I'll pop in." Isn't it better for him to come in that room, be able to look at what you've got, and strike up a conversation oh. on pieces rather oh. than coming in and thinking, "My God, what a mess," and not getting involved and not looking. Whoa, 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 whoa. My collection's for me. Not for someone else. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know that. And that's, that's for everybody. But I don't give a chuff whether, whether it's but displayed. How can you enjoy it if you can't see it? Oh, oh. I, can, I enjoy it because I know it's there. Do you get it out? Lay out I, your bed I, and roll I, in it? I rearrange. So I will I will sometimes go, you know what? I've, I've had enough of that Empire Strikes Back lot. I'll put in a box with a loft, replace it with maybe my Slave Lair collection and stick that out. And then maybe a year later go, yeah, I'm going to put all that in the loft and, and put this collection in there. So I do, I do move it around. It's not... It's not crazily bad that I never move it. But yeah, I, I just like to have stuff out. So I go, oh, I can see it there. I might have a look at it, take a picture of it, put it on, online somewhere. But yeah, my question for me, Stu, not for some bloke from Carlisle. Whatever he's doing in my house, I do not know. <laughs> I just meant right, striking up conversation with people when they're there. But Carlisle, you've been there. <laughs> well, I was trying to think of somewhere that would pass you on the way down. Don't you? Why don't you get a comic box so you can put your comic books in their sleeves and you can thumb flick them through? Yeah, I have. I have thought about, it, but it's, it's one of those things. It's, like, it's on that list of things I really want to get. Like, it, it, oh, to be honest with you, Pete, I've 
I bought four That's... of those boxes and they're still folded up new in the packaging. I do, I do like to get out my car, my loose car backs every now and again and just go through them because they, they are fantastic. So you collect paperwork, don't you? Yeah, I like bits of interesting paperwork. Are you going to tell me it's in a box as well? No, mine's sort of in a pile of boxes, actually. Uh, <laughs> just above so... the Amigas, Pete. <laughs> I'm going to move on because we haven't, we haven't no, got, got any advice I've got, for anyone, have we? I've got bits of paperwork all over the place in terms of some of it's in the cabinets or laid down on the shelves with bits and pieces stuck on top. Some of it's propped up so you can actually see it. Some of it's in sleeves tucked away. It's You can only sub- display so much, can't you? So it's 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 a practicality thing. And to circulate it, you know, just get different bits out and put them up and all the rest of it. But in terms of puzzles, you mentioned puzzles earlier. You know the two action figure ones? that Waddington's did. So they were, I think they were only available in the UK. Uh, one is a sort of mountainy desert scene with a load of Tuscan Raiders in it, heavily airbrushed action figure scenes. And I thought it was a shame to just have them in the box. Absolutely pointless. So I picked up a couple of frames from, from home base for about nine quid each. And they, they weren't a great fit because you had borders down either side, but nothing across the top and bottom. But I had those for a while, all framed up, and they they looked really cool. I just didn't have any wall space left, and Dan Turl, that's your fault. So I got rid of them. Yeah, puzzles look good in frames. At least you can you, see you, them. You sold them, did you? I did. No surprise there. Then. Right, as we're talking <laughs> about acquisitions, let's go on to acquisitions, and we'll start with Rich because he's been a bit quiet over what he said about debt elves. It's obviously bothering him that he could slam such such a piece and upset so many people. So, Rich, have you added anything to your debt elves? I have actually, but I just want to re-clarify something. In case any of your listeners are thinking, hold on a second, I haven't heard anything about Jez buying a new house or the running Stormtrooper for about 10 minutes. Repeat what you <laughs> said before about, where, where's Jez? He's back at school. He's um he's going to, I think he's gone to get himself a diploma yeah. or a uh, B-Tech or something. So when he said that to me, I thought, you know what, Jez is going back to school. I'm going to see if I can find out exactly what he did. So I went down to the horse end of Norway, which is pretty much where Jez is, and I saw snuck a little microphone in and I've got a recording of some of the sessions of what Jez has been involved with. So let's just see how Jez is doing at school. These are the Star Wars ABCs. You can read along with C-3PO and me in your book. You will notice time to turn the page when you hear R2-D2 beep like this. Let's begin now. A is for AT-AT. The scariest thing that I've ever seen is the terrible AT-AT walking machine. As big as a house on mechanical legs. Whatever it steps on, it smashes like eggs. CCP. PBP. CCP. PBP. So there you go, guys. Doesn't look as though Jez is doing that well at school. And uh, what did you say there, Stu? Diploma? Diploma by backside. Somebody who can't tell the time, doesn't know the date, and doesn't know his ABCs. I know what he's going back to school for. I do have one item, just one, because I've been saving me pennies for Hoth. And I bought uh, Return of the Jedi Emperor's Royal Guard, which I was looking at and I thought, you know what, it's a great price. But I was a little bit off-put because of the fact that it's got a price sticker, which is slap-bang in the middle of the bubble. And it's priced at £2.25, reduced to one fifty nine. Uh, I think I contacted all of you guys and said, what would you do? Would you take the sticker off? Would you try and clean it away? But it was Pete that put us off. Um, and he said that 
obviously, even if I got the sticker off, the fact that it's been there for so long, there will be a different shade on the bubble. And I thought, you know what, you're right, Pete. But when I got it, I started peeling it a little bit. Now, this sticker will come off no problem, but I've left it on because I'm actually quite attached to the sticker now. Uh, so many people said, you know, it's a good piece of history, leave it on there. So I am going to leave it on there. So Return the Jedi as well, God, that's my uh, main purchase for this month. Do you know what? I've got a very similar thing, Rich. Okay, I leave my price stickers on. I've got no problem with them. I've got several cards with it. At the last five from I'm denied about Rob Marshall selling a Bosque, and I kept looking at it. Now, he has got a price sticker on this, and he, he it gave me a good price on it. But it is the only price sticker that I've considered and I'm still considering removing because it is stuck over Bosque's head. Now, I nearly didn't buy it because of it. But you got Bosque, and then it's got this label where his head should be. But Sai has told me he's an expert, so I'm going to get him to remove that. But if he damages it, you see, he has to pay me the price. Don't get me in trouble. I don't remove price stickers. I leave them where... I love price stickers. I was horrified when Rich said he was going to remove it. I actually buy some some mocks purely because of the price sticker. Oh, incredible. And that's you. Aren't you the yeah. person that last month uh, bought a beat-up Lobot figure so you could remove the figure because you wanted a mint version for your loose collection? OMG, Skinner. I have <laughs> never done such a thing. Even, even to a Lobot. What have you been buying, Sai? Apart from a Lobot. Me, I don't buy Stu. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I've been really, 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 really good this month. And I know I said that last month, didn't I? I think. Are you Maybe. saying you bought nothing this month? No, I wouldn't say it's nothing. Just not much at all. In fact, Star Wars, I'm struggling to think of anything. Oh, I'll tell you what. I picked up a really nice, off a chap on the forum, tri-logo hand trench coat with a Woolies £1.59 price sticker. You see, that's why it was so important to me. It had a great little Woolies price sticker on it. Loved it. That sounds exactly where it is. Star Wars-wise, some of the loose transfer sheets from... Some of the Letraset sets. Someone down your waist, you. There must have been a big find of Star Wars transfers. Was well, selling off. It was based in Kent. It was in Ashford. You see, there you go. They were up around your way, but they had loads of them, and so I picked up a few of those. Of which, obviously, I'm bringing you some to file this from. Very little price. And I think, Star Wars-wise, that was pretty much it. Can I mention the, the slightly odd Palatoy purchase that you I made? Can. I've got a safe search just for general Palatoy stuff on eBay. I don't think it's a trade secret, because it's not exactly rocket science. And up popped a factory sample from Palatoy. And I got all excited, and then I realised it was to something that wasn't Star Wars. Well, at least, it, it's not it's not Star Wars in its in its sort of guys that i've bought it in it's a factory sample of power passes hoop of fire challenge and it's uh, it's in a white box if you go on ebay you'll see it under the sold items it's in a plain white box with a great palatoy sticker right in the middle of it and it's got a bit of information it's got a catalog number the 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 item title the wholesale price of 18 pounds and 18 pence and the suggested resale price and then a campaign it's got concept tv don't know what that was all about don't know who they are haven't been able to find anything about it but it is essentially the the power passes set which was palatoy's version of scale electrics uh, in actual fact saying palatoy i think it was actually general mills's version of of scale electrics and it's it's the full set in the box it's absolutely unused the power supply which is marked up palatoy in this version hasn't even got the plug on it so it's, it's never been used but it was this set that was used to become i think it was called race at the death star or death star race set issued by palatoy which was also obviously power passes and it was pretty much the exact same set except they added bits of cardboard with you know tie fighter x-wing battles type thing on it so this set dates to about 1975 76 which obviously 
preempt Star Wars, but then you, they were big, Palatoy were big into reusing previously done items and merchandise. So where you've got one of the, uh, I think it's Destroy the Death Star game, that is actually a 1975 game called Salvo, which was also issued by Palatoy. So here you've got Power Passes again being reissued. So yeah, that was that was pretty cool because there is no Star Wars Palatoy factory sample stuff knocking about. So this is about as close as it could get. And I was really, really pleased and excited to find it. And in my online searching, found out it had completely slipped under the radar in november last year at a general sale somewhere up in the in the north which is probably why it slipped under because nobody ever goes there and what was really interesting was the rest of the sale or the items around it were all boxed palatoy items and it was it was one of each but it wasn't star wars stuff it was everything else so i've got a sneaking suspicion that might have been some kind of either someone who worked for palatoy or one of the sales reps or something like that and the really annoying thing was the only star wars stuff there was pretty much a full set of figures loose in their bubbles there were no backing cards every single figure was in its appropriate bubble with its weapon absolutely mint untouched and they went for i wouldn't say peanuts but they certainly went for well below market value and i thought wow that could have been salesman set who knows what kind of variations or or, or variety you got in there and the wholesale went completely unnoticed i think by the star wars community i don't think the significance of it registered at all so yes my best purchase has been a, a non-star wars one you finished i was gonna say that was one hell of a bloody <laughs> it's like jesus gone <laughs> somebody's got a fill in for him someone's got a fill to fill the void uh, no in fairness it is a great piece and we'll actually stick um stick a photo of it on our social media so people know what you're talking about yeah it'd be good if someone knew what i was talking about pete have you bought anything nothing with star wars vintage i bought a bit had a little modern spree on something but i won't bore you with but i also bought a what you would now call vintage amiga 600 so uh i've you know get into my uh, old style gaming uh, it's such such a laugh i mean uh the thing is i've been trying to find a monitor that works with a blooming thing finally picked one up today with some lunatic was chucking out and uh, managed to pick it off gumtree for a couple of quid an actual monitor so now i try to tune that in but there was something about that amiga they, you know, i don't know if, you, if any of you guys had one in the 80s but a stroke 90s they were fantastic machines and the games are very playable so um, maybe I'll have to do some Star Wars reviews of Amiga games which are all complete rubbish on Amiga but there we go but that's it really I I had a weird flurry of modern Empire Strikes Back uh, figures from the rather bizarre Saga range so um, they were very very uh, cheap some were selling far too cheap on a a group and uh, they're going into my kind of like oddball weird Empire Strikes Back display because they are are very Empire Strikes Back-y it's like a Chewbacca with a Minoc and uh, Chewbacca with C-3PO all destroyed uh, in a backpack Han Solo with a lightsaber did you even know they came out with a hand solo with a lightsaber figure? Didn't, did you? But yeah, that's that was me, really. And look, I'm 25 hours below Simon's. Uh... Yeah, I was going to say, see, that averages it all out, doesn't it? Let's move on to me, because I'm well aware that this is the Star Wars Vintage Rebellion, not a random <laughs> white box and computers. Hey, hey, they were both tenuously linked, okay? Pete's going to play Star Wars games, and I'm going to make pew-pew noises when I race my cars. <laughs> so boring. Well, I haven't actually bought that much. I did buy a Tascuda Weequay mock, um, came over from Germany, which I like. You know, the front of them always gets me, but I do like that sticker on the back. Also bought, try not to spend at the moment, but 
Darren Bolton had put a, a sale up with um, a Kenner, Turn the Jedi, Leia. Oh, which figure is it? It's Leia Endor. Um, and the bubble was so clear without any damage to it that I jumped to it. It was a great price. I even had three people message me trying to buy it after the sale before I'd even got it in hand, which is just incredible. But So that's that's a really, really nice example of that figure. Bought a board game, like I said earlier. Oh, I'll tell you what, I bought a piece of Sigma. Now, I had about three of these on my watch lists. It was the only piece of Sigma that was sold in the UK, and it's the Darth Vader, the metal money box. So one came up on open auction, six quid, bang. Absolute Bobby Dazzler bargain. And finally, I have bought something else, but I need to know, Pete, have we got Gim Crack of the Month this month? Obviously. My, my final thing that I've bought is something I which... Yeah, no, that's why I'm not going to mention it as it's that, because um, I believe this is a one-of-a-kind piece in the UK. So I'm going to leave it for that section, because uh, it's it's up there as a bit of a random one, and I think it could prevent Simon winning it, <laughs> it again. No, 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 no. A challenge. No, a challenge. I'm sorry. My, 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 my crack is uh, hot off the press Ooh, it's um, cost me four thousand pounds i'm sorry uh, no 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 i didn't buy it actually I, I wimped out it was at auction today but we'll come to that later i'll, I'll Ooh, make you suffer and saucy wait. this is saucy i like it okay well let's just get a little bit competitive in this room and i like competition let's go to the quiz i try to think of a theme tune and uh, i'm gonna get you all to sing does anyone know the song lola oh rich you don't know lola by the kinks la, 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 lola that thank, one. You, thank you, Pete. Oh, Mumbo number five. I bet you know that, Rich. What, a little bit of Monica? <laughs> yeah, well, bit, uh... let's change uh, the girls' uh, names to Lily Leddy and all have a sing song. Okay, sorry, you start us off, but change all the girls' names to Lily Leddy. <laughs> the rest of the words, that's the only <laughs> bit I remembered. And it's only because Rich said, uh, I know a little bit of it, and it just triggered it. Okay, well, this month's quiz is all about Lily Leddy. It was three rounds, but it's all all hazard a guess and all uh, kind of anyone can have a go type thing. So everyone's going to be in this. Okay, no cheating. Turn your Googles off because that just spoils the fun. You know, Pete, you're not going to come last. Size in the room. Woohoo! Oh, I don't know. I think Lily Leddy, I could struggle somewhat. The first round is a little bit of an icebreaker. Okay, quite straightforward. We're going to go left to right on my screen as it is tonight. Basically, I'm going to give you four items, and you've got to tell me which one was the most expensive down to the cheapest. Uh, it's just an easy way of getting yourself four points if you get four correct. However many you get in the right place, you will uh, take the points, okay? So we're going to go with Cy. Cy, do you want number one, two, or three? Three, please, Bob. Number three. So I'm going to give you four items that have sold on eBay USA. Right. Right, so just listen carefully, and then I want you to put them in one, two, three, four, which you think was the most expensive sold to the cheapest sold, okay? All righty. Lily Leddy. Sai Snootles and Rebo Band, never been out of the box, but a bit of edgeware. Number one. Number two, a Lily Leddy Jower, complete and original. Number three, a Lily Leddy Squid Head, loose, burgundy caped, AFA 80. And a Lily Leddy Figure Bundle, which included a Thai Pilot, Emperor's Royal Guard, Yoda, Emperor, Lando Skiff, Squid Head and Luke Jedi. What is your order? Oh, man. 
Because isn't the Lily Lady Luke Jedi a bit of a... Do they have any weapons at all? Some of them do, some of them don't. It's all a bit of a higgledy piggledy mess as a bundle. <sighs> Lily Lady Jedi is about, what, 650 at the moment, something like that. Size noodles. And excuse my ignorance, did that have the Lily Lady logo on the box of it? Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. I am going to say in one, I'm going to put the size noodles band. Okay, and second? I'm going to put the Jawa at 650. So, yeah, Jawa in second. Okay. Figure bundle in third. And the Squidhead Burgundy Cape in fourth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Right, Rich, we'll come, we'll come to the answers in a minute because there might be oh. something that gives a, an example to the others, so I don't want to give anything away. So, Rich, one or two, what are you fancying? One. Okay, Rich, these are all AFA loose graded figures, okay? Two. <laughs> <laughs> I would say this is probably one of the tougher ones, okay? So here we go. So Lily Leddy, Gamorrean Guard, AFA 80. Uh, Lily Leddy Yoda, AFA 75. Lily Leddy Chief Chirper, AFA 85. And Lily Leddy Chewbacca, AFA 80. Right, I have absolutely no clue whatsoever. So I'm going to go with Yoda being the most expensive. Then I'm going to go with... Um... Gamorian Guard, and then I'm going to go with Chewbacca and the cheapest being the Ewok. Okay. So finally, Pete, you have a bit of a mishmash of items to uh, choose your list from. Okay, listen out. You have got a Lily Leddy Darth Vader 12-inch with original suit, so the cape, pants, boots and shirt are all present and all in great condition, rigid joints, and it's very clean, okay? Second, custom-carded vintage Leddy Boba Fett. So the Fett is a Hong Kong figure on a custom recard. But does the FET tax bring that up? Is that allowed? Uh, a Paplu, Lily Leddy Overstock Parts. Now, the um, advert, could it be potentially two prototype legs? Includes a torso times two, two legs and two arms, and also a T-bow arm thrown in for fun. Cool, that's nice. And finally, an empty Return of the Jedi made in Mexico shipping box. Who was? Um, I think most expensive. I'm gonna go uh, for number one. Secondly, expensive. I'm going the shipping container number four, okay. and then I'll go for number two and then number one. We've, we've already had number one as your first thing. What you got left? The, the uh, custom carded fet and the Paplu overstock. Paplu lot last. Right, let's see who's got some points from the first round. It's a sigh. He said that the Lily Leddy Size Noodles and Rebo Band was his number one, and it sold for $1,526 and is correct. It is worth a point to you, Sai. You then said second was the Leddy Jower. Uh, that sold for $1,236, and you are what? correct. It was second. You had the Liddy Leddy bundle, uh, a bit of a bargain, at $67.66, no. but it was actually last. The Burgundy Cape AFA 80 Squidhead sold for $574. Yeah. US dollars. So two points for Sai. Well done, mate. Three. Most you've ever got. <laughs> Rich, you went for uh, Lily Leddy Yoda as the most. It sold for $235, but was actually second. You then said uh, Lily Leddy Gamgard AFA 80, $61 that sold. It was actually the cheapest of the lot. Uh, you then went Chewbacca of AFA 80, $325. He was the most expensive. And Chirper, 85 kind of pulled the price up, $110, actually third. So, Rich, you scored nothing from the first round. 
And Pete, you went with the 12-inch Vader, $478 it sold for, but it was the second most expensive. You went for the shipping box, uh, which sold for $99.99. That was actually the third highest. You then went for the custom recarded Boba Fett, which was the cheapest at $79. I can't believe someone's paying that for a recard and a Hong Kong Fett. And then you put as fourth was the Paplu Overstock, which actually sold for $599. Which I should think people have taken a punt on that because of the potential prototype legs. So you score nothing as well. So sorry, you're in the lead. This is why I don't want anyone cheating. Okay. So we're going to go back to the the thirty back Lily Leddy card. Have you all got it in your heads? It's oh. the line art on the back. Yeah, beautiful back of a card. There's mm. thirty figures on that. We're just going to go through. You get to name them, and you've all got three lives. Once your lives are gone, you're out. Sorry, name one of those figures. No cheating. Luke Skywalker. Which one? <laughs> I'm just leaving it as Luke Skywalker. Uh, uh, Bespin. Luke Bespin. Luke Bespin. He is on there, mate. Yes, well done. Good start. Rich? Stormtrooper. It's got to be a Stormtrooper. Stormtrooper is on there. Well done, Rich. Pete? Uh, Darth Vader. Darth Vader, of course, he's on there. He's the first one shown on the card. Well done. So, r- <laughs> Yoda. Yoda. <sighs> of course, he's on there. Yep, well done. Rich? Tuscan Raider? Tuscan Raider isn't on there i'm afraid rich no you lose a life pete i'm gonna say uh, a prin- uh, princess leia which one organa the original no pete i'm afraid uh, it isn't on there sigh i'm going to let's see uh De- death squad commander death squad commander is on there yes well done rich r2d2 r2d2 is indeed on there well done uh, pete fish boy adam Akbar. He is on there, Pete. Well is done. He? he is. Sigh. Wow, if we're into Jedi. Um, but Gammy Guard. Of course he is. We've just been talking about yeah. him being a loose figure. Now, now you're thinking outside the box. Rich. So I'm going to go with now some of the things you said before, so I'm going to go with Chewbacca. Chewbacca is on there. Well done. See, we're now using our brains a bit. Pete. Brains. Brains. Uh, it, it's got a bit of a Jedi thing on there, isn't it? <sighs> Oh, I think I'll go for... Uh, oh, what about Mr. Ninyam? He is indeed on there, Pete. Well done. Well, Pib, like the most famous is indeed lady. on there. Yep, well done. Thinking about it again, he is a very popular lady figure. Rich? I was going to say, Pib, that was the other one I had. Because you see so many heads, Biker Scout. Biker Scout. Oh, this is the 30, of course he is. Yes, well done. Pete? Uh, Have a little think. Do you remember uh, that figure bundle I mentioned in the last round? No, um, there's probably an R2D one there, surely. Yeah, it's already been said. Oh, okay, uh, I've got a C3PO then. C3PO is in there, Pete. Well done. Yes. Yes. In brackets, C3PO. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, Sai? From the bundle, bundle, Luke Jedi. Luke Jedi is indeed on that card. Well done. Rich? Ooh, I'm struggling now. You mentioned Ewoks before. Which one did you see? Um, Chief Chirper. Chief Chirper is on there. And Rich, if you can say to give me the name of him on the card, I'll give you a bonus point. Chief Chirper. <laughs> <laughs> it is Kakik Chirper. Kind of uh, named after you, Kakik. Uh, Pete? Did you say Yoda earlier? Yeah, Yoda's gone. Oh, there's got to be a Han Solo, surely. Which one are you going for? You know, the, the normal one. <laughs> the original Han Solo It not on there, Pete. You're down to one life. Simone? Oh, I'm going to go Han Bespin then. Han Bespin is on there. Well done, mate. Rich? I was going to go with Han Bespin next as well. They <laughs> said that the last two goes. Clatu. Clatu is indeed, yeah. Well done. Pete? Medine. Medine is indeed on there, yeah. Well done. Oh, Sigh. Have we had Squidhead yet? No. Let's go for it. 
indeed. I'm surprised he didn't go a bit earlier. Rich? Mm, right, I'll go with Fett. You're going for Fett, although is that custom card we had earlier? Because he was never available. Oh. But yeah, I'm going to take your answer, and you are actually correct. Pete? Boosh! Boosh is on there. Well done, mate. Yes. Oh. Sigh. Still with three lives romping at the moment. It's, um, it's getting a bit tense. Seems to be a fair amount of ESB as well as Jedi. So let's go back. Yes. No, I don't like. I don't. I can see this coming. But Snowtrooper. No, you lose your first life. Oh. There's nine figures left on here. Rich, can we get them? Landor. Which one? Oh, you taught. Well, I've definitely seen Landor Skiff as a lady, so I'm going to go Landor Skiff. Oh, Landor Skiff is indeed on there. Yes, Pete. Pete? Logface. Logface is indeed on there, Pete. Yes, oh. I have. <laughs> Sigh. Oh, not feeling very good about this. Just seven left. Just seven left. We've had it, class here, haven't we? Yeah. Damn it, damn it, damn it, babe. I'm trying to think of more of Jabba's, Jabba's lot. Oh, let's go all the way back to Obi-Wan. There's got to be an Obi-Wan. Yep, Obi-Wan is on there. Well yes. done. Rich. Weekway? Yeah, Weekway nice. is one. Pete? Weekway is one. Mm. What about that three-eyed monkey boy? Reese. He is indeed on there. <laughs> We're down to four. Right, have we had Jawa? Nope. Good. Jawa. Nope. What? Going to go with that one next. He's not on this card. No, I'm afraid not. So, sorry, you lose another life. Down to one as well, mm. Rich. TIE Fighter Pilot. TIE Pilot is there. We mentioned him earlier. Well done. Pete. Did I say Leah Organ already? You did. Was it right? Say it again. It was wrong. It was wrong, mate. No. <laughs> Leah Bespin. Leah Bespin is on there. I'm surprised no one has said what? it. Oh, <laughs> We're down to what? Three? Two left. Two. Two Hang left. On. Sight to guess. This is this is is this sudden death yet? Not yet. We got we got a third round, which is a lot shorter though. It's not so many points. No, I mean in this round, has everyone got one life left? No, Rich still has two lives. Oh, dirty cheating, Northern. I'm struggling now though. I'm really struggling. struggling. There's two left. Yeah, that's. Uh, to be honest with you, I think you've done pretty well considering between you've only got five wrong between you. Give us a clue. Give us give us the movie at least. Take a point oh. off him for being a whingy talk. Star Wars trilogy original. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks. Uh, that's Jar Jar ruled out. Uh, Jar Jar um, is incorrect. I said it's Jar Jar ruled out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Uh, heads on. Lobot. No, so Ooh, you are eliminated. Uh, you scored nine points in this round. That's not bad. Rich. Oh, I don't know whether I take a risky one. I'm going to go got with two it. lives. So I've you've got, got two lives, right? I'm going to go for the risky one here. Cloud Core Pilot. No, Rich, you lose a life. Gloves. Pete. Rankle Keeper. Rankle Keeper is incorrect, Pete. You are eliminated as well. You scored also scored nine in this oh, round. Oh, bad. Rich, you've got one life. Can you find those other two answers? I'm going to go with another Ewok, which is what I was thinking of before. And I'm going to go with... Oh, which one did I see? Did I see a Chief Chirper? Uh, Chirper and Logre have both gone. Oh, they've both gone. Mm. So I was going to go either Logre or Chief Chirper. I don't, if there's only 30, they wouldn't have made more than two E-Box. I wouldn't have thought anyway. I'm trying to think about what was said before. Gammy God was said. I said Stormtrooper. Emperor's World God? That is correct, he's just, Rich. He's just mentioning stuff now. I'm looking at me things on the on me, on me me wall there. And I'm just looking at the... Right, the you've got one left, Rich. If you guess one that's already gone, I am going to wipe your life out, okay? Right, okay. Um... Okay, I th- get him, Simon. Get him. Oh, I was going to say Jawa. Uh, haven't done many aliens, have we? I'm going to go with. Have a look at these aliens up there. Never heard of a Lady Greed or Bosk. Incorrect, Rich. So you scored 11 points in that round, Rich. So well done. The final one you were missing was Imperial Commander. But it's mm. tight. It's tight. So Rich, you have 11 points. Sai, you have 11 points, and Pete, you have nine. Oh. Now, on the back of the same card, there is eight vehicles or places. 
or vehicles or one and one place it okay now but four of them have obviously got a different names so if you choose them you get a point but if you can then give me the uh, strange name i'll give you a bonus <laughs> point okay in fact i'll give you a bonus 10 points if you can get any of them okay i will tell you there could be one or more mini rigs on here as well you're back up to three lives sigh where are you going? I'll go Falcon. The Falcon is on his side. For a bonus point, can you tell me what it's called? Boaty McBoatface. No, it is Halcon Millenario. Um, Beautifully said. Rich, where are you going? Speederbike. Speederbike is, of course, on there. And there's another one. Can you give me the name? Velociotio. Pete. You said mini rigs, didn't you? So mini rigs. Well, it could be, could be just a general toy. It could be a blaster, a carry case, anything. Keep it mini rig then, which always never lets me down because it looks like the head of canine. I'm going for an int four. Int four is on the back, oh, oh, oh. but you don't get a chance at the bonus thing because it is just called an int four. Come on, let me let me do it. Let me do it. Int four. <laughs> I like that. Can I have a That's bonus point? point for bonus point for Pete. <laughs> no, because I'm going to say, it's, is it not Int Quattro or something like that? It just says Int 4 on the back, so I'm yeah. giving him a bonus point because he mm. made an effort. Um, don't try and make an effort, sorry. You'll go, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Imperial Shuttle. The Imperial Shuttle isn't on the back. Yeah, I'd be oh, oh. That was Rich. never going to be on there, was it? Well, why um, not? It's, it's a, let's say, did a late quite, version yeah, of it. It was quite late released, wasn't it? On, yeah, was so it was Jedi. Right, I'm going to go with the Scout Walker, Chicken Walker Scout thing. Scout Walker is on there, Rich. Now, I'll give you a bonus two million points <sighs> if you can give me the whole thing that says on the back. Right. Muck Chicken Walker. Oh, you're cheating, aren't you? You've got Google open. Is it called <laughs> Muck Chicken Walker, is it? It is. <laughs> what? No, not really. <laughs> I can't believe you believe in it. It's called the Explore Attack. Vehulia Acaminador. Right, we are looking for four things left. Um, I'll give you a clue. We are looking for two mini rigs. We are looking for one kind of like fun play thing and one play set. So, Pete. A play- oh, play set. Have a little think about the year or what figures we've had. Think outside the box. I've got a feeling I might have seen this, but then I might not have. Uh, a Jabba the Hutt play set. Yes, of course it is. Well yes, done, Pete. Um, great, Pete. Right. I, I'm not going to give you a bonus point for saying Jabba the Hutt in a foreign, foreign voice. That's got to be it. They've got to make that up. You can't say, oh, no, 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 Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt. Um, oh, no, Sai, we are back to you. Need, need to find one of these three to stay to keep up with Rich, as you will get a photo of my blistered hand. And he doesn't know what I'm talking about. I was thinking I picked up a frying pan handle, which had been in the oven for half an hour earlier, and across my palm and up my two fingers, I have red lines and a blister on my palm and on my fingertips. Um, that is my frying pan incident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm guessing on your right hand. It's my left hand, actually, which is good. Um, <laughs> right, okay. Uh, a, a cool, fun play thing, you say? Yep. Dawn Trooper Blaster. Lose another point there, Si. Um, what do you mean really? lose another point? Um, no, lose a, one of those life things. Um, oh. Rich. Oh, I never thought of weapons. I'm now torn between two. Do I guess a mini rig or go weapon? And I'm going to go with the one I definitely remember happening and having as a kid. Cap 2. Cap 2 is on there, Rich. Is on there. Well done. Pete, there's only a mini rig left and and a toy. Um, well, I know they're all toys, but, you know, a action toy. And they've both got special names, which you could action. get bonus points for. So it's all very exciting at this moment in the competition of Lily Led Eye. Oh, baby, baby, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 Lily Led Eye. What on earth are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 X-Men Fighter? <sighs> 
Is that a mini rig or a weapon? Yeah, I would say it's probably a bit big for a mini rig. Yeah, he loses a life for just being an absolute div. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm not going to even attempt the the, the, the play thing, although it's got to be here. Oh, ah. Oh, now I'm tempted. Yes, I'm going to put it on the block. Biker Scout blaster pistol. I was going to say that. He's gone for it because we have had a biker scout and we've had a speeder bike and he's using a bit of initiative and he's got it wrong. He's out. He's lost his life. He gets one point. He gets one point for the round. Uh, Rich. Right, because there was a Cap 2 there and the INT4 there, I'm going to go for the one in the middle now, so the MLC3. So you're right, Rich. You're right. Can you tell me what it was called, though? Oh, right. I'm going to guess it ends with 3. I'm just going to reverse it, the CLM3. That is correct, Rich. Are you cheating? Oh, the cheating. Northern Monkey. Cheating. the mic again. Oh. No, you're right. It is the CLM3. Is it? So we've just got... I'm going to tell you, it's, it's just a weapon, so who can give me it first? Pete, you have two lives. Rich, you have three lives. Let's go with it, Rich. Pete, if you get it, I might give you a bonus point because I'm feeling generous. Well, uh, a weapon we've had... You've had a Stormtrooper blaster. We've had a Biker Scout blaster. But what else could be in that era of Star Wars? Uh, lightsaber? A lightsaber is correct, Pete. Oh, I would never have guessed that. Now, Pete... Pete, this is this is this is big, okay? Because I'm 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 willing, because you've got something so amazing. I want to uh, I want to give you bonus points, but I don't want to cheat. Can you tell me what it is called? Lassaber. Oh, do you know what? I like the voice. I'm gonna give you a bonus point anyway. Um, But it was Espida Lizard. Yeah, I would have got that. So Rich and Pete, you both get five points, and you both had lives left. So I'd add that to your points solely as well. So. So, Pete, you had five points and you still had two lives left. You scored seven for that round. Rich, you had got five points and you had three lives left. You get eight points that round. So, Rich, you're the winner on 19. Pete, you are on 16. And Sai, who led throughout the game, finishes on 12. Seven off the lead. So, well done, Rich. Richard, you are Lily Led Eye. Whoa, baby. Champion. (laughs) Oh, Hawaii, the lads. Uh, I can't wait to do the quiz just to screw you over, Skinner. I can't. It's a marathon, not a sprint, sir. You need to learn that. You you wasted your guesses early on. Yeah. Oh, come on. At least I went chancy, you you big safe people. And you on Google, Rich. I mean, there's no excuse for that. It's against the spirit, man. Oh, I've just accidentally guessed three mini-rigs in a row. Oh, and I know that it's called the CLM3. Uh, exactly. I didn't, I didn't get three mini-rigs in a row. It would be extensive number two and four there. It had to be three. And to guess something, that obviously if it's three words, they often reverse them, so I've just went CLM3. I thought you'd take the mic at first, actually. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Mac, the Mac often more. reverses them as in... I can't believe, I can't believe you actually thought it was when I said, yeah, that's right, that something was named the Muck Chicken Walker. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had a tie-in, you know. But I mean, uh, just, Rich, I, I, I think you were cheating. <laughs> you were but it doesn't matter, because... Uh, Do you know what, Joe, what, Pete, he wins, but it's his conscience. He's the one has got to go to sleep tonight. Exactly. But he's northern, so it probably will not bother him one bit. <laughs> Let's go over to Rich now, because he has got rebel briefings up his sleeves.
I have the power of the force. Mox in the UK. To the Red Bar. Ethical eBaying. More charity fundraising in the community. New eBay, watch out. eBay dump PayPal. The Rebel base is on a moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Uh, Rich, I have the power, I love a bit of uh, Master of the Universe, of the Force Mocks. I love a power of the Force Mock. In the UK, I love the UK, Rich. Brilliant, sounds brilliant. Right, well, I just want to set the premise here with what is generally accepted and known. So, as we know, the Power of the Force range was released in 1985, predominantly in the US to kickstart life back into the Star Wars action figure market. New figures were released, and many others were re-released with added bonus of coins. However, Power of the Force branding did go beyond the US and appeared in other countries such as Brazil with Glassleet, Germany with the Decrafter Machter 3 packs, Japan with the coin wrapped Jedi Carter figures, and in Canada as a limited run of box 2 packs such as the Luke in Imperial Stormtrooper and Han and Carbonite block. And although in the UK and Europe we got Trilogo figures, Power of the Force did appear with some action figure sets. Now, before I give you them, guys, any ideas what I'm alluding to there? Where did Power of the Force appear in the UK's action figure sets? Ah, and the Chai logo, the little boxes. So you had the Wampa, the Hoth, Hoth Adventure Hoth or Hoth Rescue, Rescue set. set. Yeah, with Torn Torn, Wampa and Han. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Endor set with the, 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 the Ewoks and the Spike Bike Scout. Yep. And, well, it also appeared on the Sand Skimmer and the... One man century thing, sniper century or whatever it was, didn't it? There was another box, was though, wasn't it there? It was there the was... Ewok combat set, yeah, with the Ewok catapult and stormtroopers. Yeah. The reason I bring this up was a thread started on Stars from UK by user Codbackkid, who asked the question: "I'm just wondering if the Power of the Force range mocks ever made it to the UK shops, and has anyone ever seen one with a UK price sticker?" Now, obviously, quite a few posters came on there and said, no, you know, we had Trilogo, they weren't available in other places. And nobody remembered having the coins as kids. And somebody pointed at the fact that, well, KB in the US had obviously bought a lot of the Trilogos. And then why would they do that if they still had Power of the Force card of figures available? They wouldn't have come over here, etc., etc. Now, Scott Cato, who, if you remember, was one of our former guest hosts, he suggested that he recalled remember seeing them in Phoenix, and Phoenix is a, well, back in the day, it was a large department store in Newcastle in the 80s. I think there were only two or three Phoenix stores uh, back in the UK then, but I it's think... one in my local, my local town. Were there? Was there one in the 80s, was there? He says that he probably bought some Cardiff figures from Phoenix, but he doesn't recall Power of the Force. His interest would have waned by then. A few collectors stated that they were definitely for sale at toy fairs such as memorabilia in the 90s. Those were likely to be due to dealers bringing stock over. Quite a few guys said they were incredibly expensive, and one person said that he remembers an imperial dignitary being asked in 1997 for the princely sum of 90 quid, which is incredibly expensive for 1997. It changed a little bit with user Tikian. Now, for those who know Tikian, he is Tim, who owns a, a shop that's inside um, Snoopers Paradise, which is you know famous for Toy Tony. And he's a seller who appears at Father's Home quite regularly. And he said, I saw the Power of the Force range just once, whilst on holiday in A, Scotland, in what must have been a summer of 1985. They were incredibly expensive at around £4.50 each, in what was more of a tourist shop than a toy shop, somewhere by the ferry. Definitely Power of the Force, as I recall being really taken with the quality packaging, and in particular the coins. Despite the over-the-top price, I was still very tempted to get the Han and Carbonite, 
still a favourite mock of mine, but I held off. There was a good selection of the new figures, but a few stood out. Luke Stormtrooper, which was weird as he wasn't from Return of the Jedi, the Dignity, and he put in brackets, who? And Han, because he loved the transparent carbonate, and Anakin, he thought they were really scraping on the bottom of the barrel, but he'd wish he'd really bought one. He was totally surprised to see them, not only because of the quality packaging, but when quality control seems to have left the range with their paint, miss cards, etc., but because Star Wars seemed very much over. One of my biggest collecting regrets was my dad actually asked if it was worth buying a set to keep unopened as an investment. I passed thinking I'd find them much cheaper elsewhere. After this, I kept out an eye for them, but never saw the last 17 on Tri Logos. Next time I saw a Power of the Force mock was in LA around 1994 for $80. So, out of all of them, he's mentioned Power of the Force Anakin, which, as we know, goes for a lot of money. Another guy came on called Darkest Logic. He said, I came across the Power of the Force Jawa down my Nana's house. That's For those who don't know what a Nana is, it's his grandma. This belonged to my father, and he definitely bought it in the UK back in the day. He can't remember where his mother bought it from, and she can't remember either, and he's put in brackets, it must be terrible to be old. But what my father can remember is that his figures were bought from either Tesco's, Woolworth's, or the Case catalogue. So we've got two sources there who have quite clearly said they remember purchasing Power of the Force mocks back in the day. So I've had a think about that, and I think we can rule out catalogues, because you would assume that if the Case catalogue, or any kind of catalogue, had sold Power the Force marks in the UK, we would have had pictures of those now. Does that make logical sense? I think you're right there, Rich, yeah. Uh, there would be some record of them somewhere, wouldn't there? Well, you know, you see them all the time on eBay, don't you? K catalogue from the 80s, and nothing, nothing on the SWCA, nothing that I'm aware of, has Power the Force marks from a UK catalogue. So if we go back to, you know, the two memories that we've got, so we've got Darkest Logic saying Tesco's and Woolworths, and we've got Tikian saying that, and he, you know, the fact he can remember Luke Stormtrooper and the Dignity and Han and uh, Anakin, his is at a shop, a toy shop somewhere near the ferry. Do you think it's plausible that Power of the Force marks were actually available for sale in the UK if somebody had brought them over? I don't think it's beyond the realms of reason for a small, small independent shop to have them. Maybe they've got them from somewhere, but for a company like Woolworths or Tesco's, I can't see that. I'm not calling anyone a liar, though. I think I agree with you. That that was the point that I was thinking as well. Darkest Logic said that my father remembers getting them from Tesco's, Woolworths and Kays. It's equally possible he may have bought one from an independent. The one that Tickian saw in Scotland, if it's next to a ferry, it does suggest that perhaps that toy owner had went to the States, possibly on a holiday or something. Obviously, he wouldn't have got the ferry there. But if he's nearby, you know, some, an airport, or, or he could have quite easily visited in the States and picked up some stock. So that one is plausible. What I want to throw out to the listeners is, has anybody seen or has anybody got any evidence at all of a Power of the Force carded figure with a UK price tag on it? Because I, I would love to see one and it would add just a little bit of weight to the fact that Power of the Force marks may have been available for sale in certainly some stores in the UK. Never. Just to add on that one, my little miniature friend, Johnny B, which I've talked about in the past, he used to he had a full collection of Power of the Force uh, last 17 figures which he which he had um he used to buy them from the the toy town shop so he must have got him in in bulk because he bought all of his stuff from there so he had the whole lot so like Stu said definitely independence but not big shops and toy town was that one of the places where you went and interviewed the guy yeah 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 so i never saw him anywhere but he had them all because he still was still got me still got the, the car backs as well 
Um, maybe I'll, um, I'll have to, I'll have to have a look at the pictures he sent me, see if I see any, any, any other stickers on there, if you got them from your house. But yeah, he definitely got them from uh, Toy Town because he told me about them. The moon with the Rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. To the Red Bar. Um, I take it this is a bit of self-indulgence, Rich, to do with uh, R5? Not quite. I just want to give a short update on Brian Angel's Empire Strikes Back Red Bar corded figure. If you can recall, a good six months or so back, I wrote an article for Jedi News about the Red Bar R5. And in that article, I mentioned that fellow collector and friend Brian Angel had a Star Wars and Return of the Jedi corded Red Bar R5. And he was on the lookout for an Empire one and possibly a Trilogo one to complete the full set. Brian was aware that it was a probability that there was one released on Empire because there was an image that had been floating around the internet a long time ago, but we've seen nothing on Trilogo. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to say that fellow collector Eric Nederostek, and apologies if I've butchered that name, he spotted one and he tried to organise the sale to Brian. The seller was pointed to my article on Jedi News as evidence of Brian's collecting interests and how he's not a flipper or a dealer, but he's definitely a collector. And by all accounts, the deal was struck at a very reasonable price, and the little red fella has now joined his brothers in the R5 archive, which is what Brian calls his collection. So, massive congratulations to Brian. I'm really, really pleased that you've got that one. So you've got the three that we know of, if anybody has ever seen a Trilogo Red Bar R5, please get in contact with Brian. But a massive shout-out must also go to Eric and the initial seller, as who knows how much that could have gone for if it had went on the open market or on eBay. So a really good feel-good story. I'm really, really pleased that Brian's got that Empire Strikes Back Red Bar item. And I'm pleased that my article played a very, very small part in that. So, well done, Brian. Cheers. That's brilliant, because he's, he's such a nice chap. So can you just recap which Red Bar R5 cards he's got, then? He has a Kenner Star Wars one. I don't oh, know okay. what the back is on that one. He has an Empire Strikes Back and now Red the Bar Jedi. now. And he has a couple of Jedi ones. I think he may have three on the Jedi card backs. So now he just needs to try a local one to find. Wow. Do you, do you think there is one out there? No, I don't. Because Red Bar R5s do turn up in the uk but i don't know whether that's because they've been brought over here mm-hmm. or they did ever appear on a palatoy card it's because we still don't know if what the reason for the red bar is it's been suggested that it's one factory has run off a load of these stickers they seem to be more common on the jedi card back then than anything else and then when it appeared on the star wars card back that threw you know a lot of theories into into doubt it does make sense to me that one factory ran off a load of stickers and perhaps they were used and then another batch of these stickers was found and then they just went back to, um, you know, reapplying these stickers on the R5s they were churning out. Whether they appeared on trial logo, I don't know because, you know, obviously there was no R5 for the power of the force. So, hmm, no, I, I really think it's unlikely. Do you know which factories produced the R5? Was it a case that Kader and Smile and whatever the name of the third one was? Uni, Uni, whatever. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Unitoys. Did they all produce R5s? I believe so, yes. I believe all three factories. Somebody might be screaming at us right now. But I I believe all three factories did produce them. Right, and no one's actually been able to say Red Bar R5s came from Kader or Unitoys. I do remember reading it somewhere where it was suggested that 
I think I want to say it's a smile factory, maybe the one that the Red Boys or Fives come from. But obviously, the sample size is so small that nobody can say that with certainty. It's just really interesting that they've appeared over such a long period of time. Mm-hmm. That's um, I I didn't know that they they were they were about for that long. So yeah, interesting one. But will the PR and trial go? Incredibly unlikely, but even if just somebody can send a picture to Brian, I think that would, you know, be a massive help because if there's one, there's a chance of being two. My money says that it exists because you've got you've you've got that long period of time, and at the end, when Trilogo was out, they were throwing any stock that they had on the cards. So if they were clearing out the factories, there's a chance that whichever was producing the the red bar also threw threw their stuff in the hat as well. So it's. Yeah, I reckon it's out there. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. Ethical eBaying. Uh, Rich? Now, this appeared, I think it was on the Beyond the Toys Facebook group, or maybe been the Palatoy group, and it was from listener Andy Preston. And he just posted, that moment when a grail item gets listed on eBay, you put it on a bid, add it to your watch list, then minutes later you get an email cancelling your bid, because the item is no longer available. And that's all it said. And there were a few unhappy smiley faces and a few comments saying, yeah, it's really annoying when that happens. Now, what the item was, was a promotional leaflet from Leperset, which was advertising transfers and stationery, and it was made for the toy phase in Harrogate and Birmingham. Darren Simpson had certainly one of those, and I think possibly one other person on Facebook that I know of had one as well. So these are incredibly rare. And a couple of guys have said, you know, really sorry, Andy, etc., etc. It's it's a bit poor when it happens. But then Mark Daniels come on, and Mark Daniels has said, look, I was the winner. Uh, it was a grail item. I didn't have any idea at all that I'd ever see one of these. He contacted the seller, agreed a price, been after one for a very, very long time, and apologies, but I've got it. And Andy come on and said, well, you know, if you're going to get gazumped on a deal, at least it's went to somebody like Mark, who is going to enjoy it for what it is, and isn't going to be flipping it for a silly high price at some point in the future. However, there was a flip side of the story, and this was from listener Jason Smith, and he questioned the ethics that was at play here. So he said, well, I hadn't bid on it yet, but I was going to. I can't understand why anyone thinks this kind of behaviour is acceptable just because it's eBay. You wouldn't do it in an Vectus auction. You wouldn't do it in a Jabba's auction. So why is it accepted on eBay? And I don't think it is. Not in my opinion anyway. So, got a few questions here, guys, for you to think about here. First question is, and we'll ask this one to Pete. Is it up to the seller to do what they want? After all, it is their item. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, well, yes, it's against the ethics of eBay and, and all that stuff. But I mean... If I've got an item someone offers me a ridiculous amount of money for it, and I know pretty much that it's not going to go for that, then it's up to me, really. Um, yeah, it's probably against the the ethics and 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 flowery nature of these things. But you know, at the end of the day, if you're out for to make a bit of cash on something, then I, then it's up to you. Um, it may turn a few people's noses up, but. Um, I'm sorry, but it's it's down to the individual person. I I, I mean, yes, in the styles community, it might, it might be sinned down on, but you know, I just want people to make money on their on their items if if they see fit to. So I thought eBay were clamping down there a while back, but that seems to have disappeared. You know, that sort of thing. People trying to end auctions early, but you, you don't even get a turn off really um, if you do. I mean, I've, I've ended 
uh, auction is early when I have messed up <laughs> on something, and I have had uh, a kind of black mark on your record that, that counts against your your overall kind of score. In conclusion, Rich, um, yes, unethical. Will I do it? Yes, I would personally. It's gone off me lots of money. Would I hold it against anyone? No, I wouldn't. Um, it's their choice, and do they? Can I just say though, it, the thing is, it must go on all the time on eBay, constantly. The yeah. problem is, is someone in the community that's this the one that's bought it, so it's kind of reared its head. But that goes on every single day, and you know, there's no way of stopping it. Things like Facebook are run by collectors uh, for the community, so there's a few more, um, maybe a few more morals in it. But it's eBay. A lot of those sellers will ha- have got items that they've just got in their house. And they're selling it, and if someone offers them a lot of money, they're going to take it. And if I wasn't a collector, if I was selling off something, got it up for 100 quid, someone comes on and says, oh, I'll give you a grand if you take that off, I'm going to take it off. But it's it's unethical, so you should be ashamed, Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple of things. One, Pete, eBay are cracking down on ending items early, but what they say is if you end an item early that it's got and it's got bids on it, you'll still be charged the fee as if it had sold at those bids. They can't do much more about that. Two, in terms of whether it's ethical or not, it is entirely ethical, unfortunately, and even the big auction houses will entertain it. I've done it before at proper big posh auction houses. You contact them, you you ask them to get in touch with the vendor, uh, whether they'd withdraw it from the sale. Hell, it happens with houses at auctions, so the fact it happens with a notepad of paper is hardly surprising. So it's not particularly pleasant when it happens to you. My ended items that i've been watching are full of things that have been ended early much to my annoyance it's just a fact of life and if you want something now what i do i i i I think i posted it on that thread if there's something that i really want i message the seller straight away and i say look i really want this i'm not going to ask you to end it early however if you do decide to end it early or if someone makes you an offer to end it early that you consider accepting please get back to me and give me at least a chance to to better the price i'll bid along with everyone else quite happily but if you are going to end this early then at least give me a heads up and that way you know no it still doesn't guarantee anything but at least it gives you the shame chance I, I feel andy's and jason's pain it's it's infuriating and uh you spit feathers but it happens so either come up with a tactic to deal with it or stop moaning i believe what happened in this instance is that it was ended early but it was relisted again at a buy it now price and then Mark purchased it at the buy it now price that was agreed. Yeah, so he's not, he's not even broken eBay rules there. No. So eBay would be quite happy with that. Yep. So moving on to the next question then. After listening to all that and many, many other people's points of views, Jason then replied then with, okay, so if an item's been ended early on eBay, you've broken eBay's terms, conditions and contract. Is it then ethical for somebody to contact the seller and say, you've ended early, how much have you been offered? Because I'm going to offer you more. I thought that was a really great question by Jason, actually. And, and a fair one as well. And I'd say it's it's probably as ethical as ending it early, as his point is, really, isn't it? Uh, and Mark, in fairness, held his hands up and said, yeah, you know what? If, if someone had done, yeah, I'd be hacked off. But it's a bear market, isn't it? Well, it is. I think, I think unfortunately, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there. If it's something that you really, really want, in this day and age, although none of us may like it, we do have to contact the seller and register our interests and, and make it very, very clear. I am really keen and interested in this item because just like what's happened to Andy Preston there, if somebody comes, if you don't do it, somebody else will and offer to end it early and you won't see it again, especially with some of these 
you know, grey items are incredibly, incredibly rare items. Is it ethical? No. Is it wrong? Personally, I think possibly. If, if, he, if he had broken any rules, I would have said yes, it's wrong. But is it expected in the hobby of today? Well, yes, it is, unfortunately. And, you know, I'm glad that Mark's got this item. We would all have been really ecstatic if Mark had won it in the first place without all these shenanigans. Um, but it's in a it's in a good place. It's in the right place for me. And, you know, well done, Mark, on getting an item that you're going to love. What would have been interesting and flipped this all on the head is had the eventual winner, and, you know, I know Mark wouldn't do this, but had the eventual buyer by ending it early offering this because he, he offered what i thought was a very fair price for this thing had then relisted it at five times the value to flip it and then that would have been that would have changed my perspective on it entirely which it shouldn't do really because it's exactly the same principle isn't it the, yeah. the, the facts of the matter haven't changed but when it comes down to it for some kind of monetary gain it, it becomes for me a little bit seedy Rebel base, one minute and closing so more charity fundraising in the community. So not only have we got Jez's fantastic effort, Rich, we got someone else. It was Simon Oldsworth on Facebook. Um, he contacted me after, a, you know, it was about six weeks ago now, but it was an echo-based charity auction. And he sent us a message, and I, I said I'd read it on the podcast. And I, I was I was part of the, the auction as well, where they did, you know, one of these where you donate your prizes and purchase a ticket and i can't remember much, much it was now but the more you put in the more tickets you got etc etc and, the, and there were some fantastic prizes what he's done is he responded with this as you've probably seen or heard on echo we raised over three thousand pound for our repeal the story is i'm part of the emerald garrison which is part of the 501st in ireland and a family friend was telling me about their little girl natasha who was seven she has a dwarfism condition and real apologies for butchered this which is called spondyloepimetopecial dysplasia, with joint laxity condition that has affected her legs. She'll be going to the US to get an operation to restructure and straighten her legs. She can't walk properly and needs assistance for wheelchair. After her surgery, she will need a motorised chair as her little arms are not strong enough for a normal wheelchair, so I took it upon myself to help them get one. A friend in the garrison, Neil Callahan, who was also an echo Base member, said he would help me out, so we started the appeal. We started a GoFundMe page and then contacted EgoBase, who were happy to help, and they started the raffle to raise an unbelievable £3,000 in just four days. Thank you to all of the members of EgoBase. We will also be trooping with the garrison in February to try and raise more money to help pay for Natasha's travel to the US. What started off as a £200 target has now been smashed, and we are pushing for £4,000 to really make a difference for Natasha. So... You know, I read that and I thought, wow, that's absolutely brilliant. So in just four days, they raised over £3,000 um, of a target of £200. And they are aiming to go for a little bit more to get to get 4000 Absolutely fantastic effort from all of the guys at Echo Base and everybody involved in the Emerald Garrison. So if you want to help, there was a GoFundMe campaign, which unfortunately I think now the date of that campaign has now ended. But if you want to help out with that one or to get any further updates, if you can contact Simon Oldsworth or Neil Callahan or anybody in the Emerald Garrison of Ireland, and I'm sure that they will point you in the right direction to help towards that charity. So well done, guys. It's absolutely brilliant. And keep updated on that one. Rebel base, one minute and closing. Uh, new eBay watch out. We seem to get one of these each month at the moment, don't we? We do, and normally with eBay Watch Out, it's a kind of, oh yeah, there's another one, there's another rep item. This one absolutely shocked me. 
I spotted this one on Steve York's Facebook timeline and it was linked to an auction which I found absolutely despicable. I don't think that everybody in the community is aware of this kind of item that's now appearing on eBay. So it was advertised and the title was 1979 Star Wars Millennium Falcon, 100% complete, new box, stickers and instructions. It was available for buy it now with $375, with $87 shipping to the UK as part of the Global Shipping Program. So what's that? It's the best part of $450. It was from eBay seller Raw Star Wars. Now what he had was he had multiple images of a cardboard box and the cardboard box to me looked as though it had quite poor graphics. There were inserts, there was a falcon shell which didn't really look the correct colour. There was bag instructions, there was a fresh sticker sheet and bagged loose falcon parts. He had a further description of 1979 Star Wars Vintage Millennium Falcon, 100% complete, working sound effects motor, new box, inserts, stickers and instructions. And... You know, you just don't really know something's not quite right. So I started reading a little bit more. And this is what he had to say in the description. I've restored this vintage Millennium Falcon to like new quality and packaged it as closely as my research has shown to how it would have looked if you purchased it brand new 40 years ago. This is how I would want to buy a vintage Millennium Falcon. It's up to the buyer to decide if you want to keep it mint in its box or do you want to open it? Do you want to put the stickers on yourself? Do you want to put it together to have fun? This is an original vintage 1979 Millennium Falcon made by Kenner. So he's pushing on all this vintage stuff. It has carefully been restored to near mint condition with working motors, sound effects, all parts of original except for the reproduction Jedi training arm and ball. And then he's given a little bit extra information on the restoration process. So before I go any further, guys, and talk about the restoration process, what do you think now has happened? What is this guy selling? You start with the box. What do you think the box is? Home. Yeah. I would say with virtual certainty that this is an home box. Inserts? Home, home. again. Home again, yep. Right, so going back to one of the... He's already mentioned the Repro Jedi training arm and ball sticker sheets instructions well, well, that really good quality Australian manufacturer of them possibly but some kind so the, the, the chances are they've been reported somewhere thinking back to what I said about the falcon shell how it looked a bit of an off colour it's peroxide is it isn't it yeah exactly peroxide now he's really proud of this which I think is you know what's really annoyed me Extensive rotisserie restoration. I've got no idea what that means. Absolutely no idea at all. Is is, it, is that some kind of term that anyone's aware of? Extensive rotisserie restoration. I, I'd just like to point out that the, the, the real kick in the teeth for this one was that this imbecile, this moron selling this thing for some horrendous amount of money, considering it's a piece of junk, uh, justifies not including an original training arm and ball because of the ridiculous cost. Moron, wake up. You're talking 25 quid for an original and you're peddling that. For that money, get out of my face. Looked good though, didn't it? Yeah, it looked great. (laughs) (laughs) So what he said was extensive rotisserie restoration, including taking the entire ship apart and carefully cleaning every part. I removed all the stickers and glue. 
I used a custom chemical compound to eliminate all the yellowing from the main parts of the ship to bring it back to its original colour. All accent parts, I'm not sure what an accent part is, such as seats, dash, gun, struts, table and legs, were polished to a high gloss sheen. Due to the unreasonable high price of an original Jedi training arm and ball, which is what size just said, I've included reproduction one which is identical. I challenge you to tell the difference. This is one part you can replace with an original one if you desire. The only repairs I've had to make is on the clip-on pieces to the ramp, which was broken off, and this is very common. So I used a very strong glue, so it is firmly attached and it's barely noticeable. You may notice if you look close enough, but it is stronger than the original. Please note, part of this purchase includes a very expensive, extremely impressive reproduction box of the original Star Wars Millennium Falcon, complete with proper inserts for the Falcon to fit in a new, proper packaging. I paid significant price on these box and inserts. Please consider this when you are making your purchase. Stickers, this is the fun part. I'm leaving the stickers alone for you to decide if you want to put them on yourself, or leave it mint in box. They include an instruction manual, instructions are a reprint, and they are a little smaller than the original, has instructions on where to place the stickers. I am an open book. I give you all the facts on this purchase, so you will not be surprised by anything. This is truly an awesome deal. You are getting a mint falcon, with all the bells and the whistles. Hit the buy it now button. Hype my space back to 1979. Take a look at the photos. Ask me any questions and let the force be your guide. And then it's got brackets, force, buy this Millennium Falcon, close brackets, force. It's quite a nice touch that he's left the stickers off. <laughs> well, I know that you guys are all on EB right now, hitting the buy it now button on this, but... Is it, is it still for sale? It's still for sale, but obviously, I have never <laughs> seen anything so ridiculous in my life as this. I mean, what's $450? About 410 pounds? 400 quid? It's it's just absolutely insane. What this what this this prat doesn't seem to understand is you can actually get a Millennium Falcon complete in box for less than half that price. If you if you go by tracker data, you can get, you know, it doesn't have to be that exact one or an Empire Strikes Back one, but you can get them. They, they do come up. They, they're not that expensive. And that's what annoys me so much about the Darren Orm cult of these these people. And I've been on his on his website and looked at these people who create boxes and they go, oh, it's it, it means it's available because they're so unavailable because they're so expensive. It, it's, that's just fallacy. This is 400, what's it, 400 quid for a Millennium Falcon that's technically been ruined with with stupid uh, retro brighton and all that sort of nonsense, glued, you know, stuff attached, which probably shouldn't be, and he thinks it's worth more uh, when you can just go and buy one for, I mean, I'm just looking now, I mean, there's loads of sold complete in the box for less than £200. So it's just rubbish, right? And this let's, person should be arrested. Let's play a little game. No cool. looking, no cheating, at his other items for sale. Which <laughs> one of these... You tell me. I'll give you three items. You tell me which one of these is original. Vinyl Cape Jower on 12-pack. No? Okay. Mm, there's a possibility. What about... Uh, let's see. Oh, Han Hoth on Empire Strikes Back. Or mm. Bib Fortuna on Jedi. Ooh, there's a tricky one, isn't it? Jedi, surely it's going to be. A, it, I would say VCJ, unless it's got a, <laughs> unless it's got a burgundy coat. 
It was a trick question. The answer is none of them. These are all repro tat. And the really funny thing is you can pay $60 for your repro tat bib fortuna. More than the price of an original. <laughs> More than the price of the original one. Oh. But, you, but you'll get it. So, so if you go on the forums and look at these people who, who justify these things... Uh, they'll be coming up with the same excuse. You know, you kind of the vintage ones have just look bad and they're too expensive. Missing the point. <laughs> but what that does is it highlights the fact, though, that if you're given idiots like this forty, fifty, sixty quid for these low, you know, cheap card backs and you know, card of figures, they then reinvest that money by giving it the pillocks like Orm selling five of these Bib Fortunas, six of these Bib Fortunas would purchase, I don't know, a, a fake X-Bing. And it just spirals out of control. Stop giving these imbeciles money. Stop buying, you know, repo stickers for £2 a sheet. Stop buying fake weapons for, you know, a pound, £2 each. All this money is just being reinvested into more and more crap until eventually one day they will reproduce something that's going to be much more difficult to distinguish between the genuine thing. The thing is, though, Rich, look, just look at the feedback on something like Orm. You know, us serious collectors despise that. But there's there's too many people in the hobby which who are supporting that kind of thing, and they think it's acceptable. So it's it's not going to go away. He's got a massive, massive following. Yeah. And this idiot has, yeah. has sold a Slave One. It, it, same same deal. Two hundred and fifty five dollars in an Empire box, repro <laughs> box, repro inserts, repro stickers. Oh, my word. You see, it's not going to go away. I mean, Pete, you're probably a wet and person. You, you saw the quality of that rubbish that I showed you at Father's Farm. Yeah. How long do you think it would be before these boxes just completely faded? I, I don't think I don't think you're looking at them lasting three years. Oh, yeah. Sure. But some of those collectors probably won't be around in three, five years, you know? Mm-hmm. We know it's wrong, and we know it's crap, and we know it's only damaging the hobby, but I think... I think you look at Facebook, there's thousands upon thousands of collectors in those Facebook groups, and there's just a minority. I see weekly someone, people being accused of opening mint on cards and things. It's it's full of... It's, full of <laughs> it's not going to go away, is it? <laughs> Facebook, Facebook. I know everything's done on Facebook now, but it's been really detrimental to the hobby, really, when you really look at it. You didn't have all these, this crap going on when it was the forums because they would have been lambasted and they wouldn't have had a, a place to sell apart from eBay. How many people's in Darren Arm's group, Rick, uh, Pete? Uh, I, I got thrown out. Um, <laughs> I lost it and just, just had a go. Um, I, but there was, yeah, hundreds of people in there and every single time you put up a new product that you got the... The, the the cult going oh it's wonderful it's amazing it's going to save me fortunes then you go look on ebay for the genuine item and go there's about a 20 pound difference but you're prepared to pay for this fake but then yeah I, I don't call them star wars collectors you know that's that's the most annoying thing you can say to them say you're not a star wars collector you're you're someone who likes to collect things that look like star wars things which is not a star wars collector rebel base one minute in closing Rich, if you're happy, let's have a suggestion from Pete. Well, yeah, this was put in the show notes. I mean, we all got an email from eBay to say that uh, they were moving away from PayPal. But I believe that Pete's done some more investigation into this. So, Pete, what information do you have? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Do we not know? And, and who is this new company that's coming onto the market? 
Well, they 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 tried. They, they kind of did this a few, several years ago. I can't remember what the company is called off the top of my head, but and it didn't really go anywhere. Um, sort of time size up with a new payment system, but I think they're a bit more serious on this one. Um, and it's it's got. I mean, a lot of eBay. I'm on a lot of the eBay forums, and uh, a lot of eBay sellers are kind of just dismissing it as just a bit of nonsense. But I, I don't know how they're going to go about it. I mean, what has basically happened is um, because obviously eBay and PayPal were kind of like uh, almost formed a monopoly. They were kind of split up, and um, obviously PayPal have gone their own way, and eBay have, and they're always you know synonymous with each other really as, as the payment system. But I think PayPal's too big for them to to just dismiss because. Um, they, they take on this this ad um, adsen. I can't remember, can't even pronounce the bloody name. Company. This this Dutch company, which have uh, who are going to be the, the main payment system, and it will give sellers uh, some savings because it won't be all the fees that we currently have. Because at the moment, if you're a seller on eBay, you have the eBay fee, the listing fee, then you go onto PayPal and you have you know various PayPal fees and postage fees and all that sort of stuff. So there's always there's about three or four different fees depending on how you sell, which is always a bit annoying. But apparently, it's going to cut off a couple of those. But initially, PayPal will still be there. So if you go onto eBay and you've got a PayPal account, you're still able to use it until about 2023. And I believe that they're, they're going to cut it off completely. I don't know how they're going to do it. PayPal are too established to kind of like just wipe off. I mean, you're not talking about a company that just suddenly appeared. Thousands and thousands of thousands of people have PayPal. It, it is the, the go-to online payment system. There have been hundreds of other ones. You know, have you ever heard of Skrillex? Have you ever heard of, you know, all these other payment systems that sort of kind of come and gone? The, the the general population uses PayPal. I don't know how you're going to get rid of that. You know, it's like having um, an alternative to eBay or you know or to Amazon. They they come, they last for five minutes, and then they fall up, fall off by the wayside. If it's good for sellers and they make a bit more money, great. But I just think it's going to be destruction of destruction's sake. They're, they've obviously signed a deal with this company. Um, they're going to be their, their main payment receivers. Does it mean much to anybody? Probably not. But I'd say uh, for eBay sellers like me, it might be some disruption coming up. But it's, it's definitely something to keep an eye out. I mean, will people be signing into this new payment system to make online tra- transactions away from PayPal? Um, would you guys, just doing a round table, would you guys have another payment system uh, that you'd use between people i mean it just seems another thing to sign up to and uh, you know and it's quite a it's quite a pain to get a paypal account in the first place but i don't know what, what, what do you guys think do you think that this will become part of your your online purchasing um kind of ways not if it was restricted to ebay but if lots of other businesses accepted this new company as well then I perhaps would think about it. But if it's just for EB, then no. I, I think, just to clarify, I, th- I believe it's just a way of taking payment. Um, so, you know, you, you go onto the site, you use your credit card, you use your PayPal, you use whatever, and, it, and it's uh, of handing the payment. I don't know, it's not clear whether it's actually going to be a, where, you know, a place where you go and, you know, you say, oh, Rich, send that 20 quid you owe me kind of thing, you send it via PayPal. I don't think it's going to compete with that. It's just handling payments, but... It's another thing to kind of you know sign up to, and you know, and I think people are kind of too used to PayPal. At the end of the day, if it cuts costs, I'll use it. And I was reviewing the fees that they say that they're charging currently. I say currently because I think what is important to remember is eBay are looking at a full switchover in what twenty twenty three. 
this isn't going to happen overnight or anytime soon. It's being rolled out very, very slowly to a select few accounts in North America. They're just giving people a really early heads up that this is this is coming. It is happening. If it saves me money, which it looks like it will, I'll sign up to it. I think Visa and MasterCard rates for accepting money... Bear in mind, your average Joe's going to be paying 3.4% at least, and I believe it's even more in America, to use PayPal. These guys were talking about 1%. All right, so for your average seller, that's not a huge amount. But if you're, if you're selling any kind of volume, 20,000, 30,000 pounds a year, that, that's, that's real money, and that's in your pocket. So if they can keep those fees down, if I if it's a seamless process and at the end of the day it's it's probably going to be because it's all about the user, um, I can't see any any huge problem with it. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting to, to watch out where it's going. I said they've tried it before. Um, I, what what kind of staggers me a little bit is they've they've used a, they've gone down some some company. You'd, you'd have thought there'd been some enormous great big kind of like American company, but this is like a Dutch company. It's really really strange how they've kind of gone that way. Um, yeah, it's something, something to watch out for. Really, I guess it's just kind of a more of a heads up of of what, what's happening. And I'd imagine a lot, lots more of these type of deals will, will probably be going on as people look to save save money. Um, yeah, just uh, kind of a watch out, really, more than else. I, I think it's eBay's money making scheme, isn't it? They, they've, I'll say, obviously, they've obviously bought into this company. Uh, and they're just looking to to make another PayPal out of it, a rival to PayPal. As you said, they're no longer the same company, so they are a competitor to these new guys. eBay, they're just going to make a few, you know, promote them heavily, use them, get them up there, sell them off again. See, I'm wondering whether PayPal might compete and say, okay, you're doing this, you're you're knocking off this, these these fees, we're going to offer you X percent. I mean, I wonder if I wonder if that will happen. Or, what, or maybe that is something that they're they're hoping will happen that that PayPal will you know cut off some of their fees to to compete and say actually don't don't uh, don't cut us off until 2023 keep us as an option but uh, yeah I guess we'll see. So, as I said at the beginning, there is no interview this month because of my incapabilities. So, Rich, you've been out to Finsa, so I'll let you lead with this, your Hoff adventure. Yes, Drew. So, it was a Dave Tree's Excellent Fathers from Toy Show event in December last year when Trucks members Brian Cameron, Matt Booker and Mark Newbold were discussing a trip. So, I overheard their conversation and they were talking about a possible trip to Hoff and I was like, 
what? Hoth? Yep, where do I sign up? Now initially the details were a little bit sketchy because we're in the early days and as usual with me, with me being a teacher, the dates have to fall in the place of school holidays otherwise I simply can't go. And I remember racing home, trying to get a calendar from, from a school calendar, checking the dates and I was absolutely ecstatic that the dates matched. So I thought, brilliant, I've signed up for it, I'm going there. The first thing that we had to do, of course, was figure out how to get to Norway. It's not a place that any of us have been before, and information on the websites wasn't exactly clear. I actually contacted Norwegian collector Hendrik Friedsen, who lives in Norway, and he'd give me some excellent advice. Uh, but I have to say, for anybody thinking of going, it is so easy to get there, uh, so don't let the travel put you off. So there were two places to go to in Norway. You can either fly to Oslo, or you can fly to a closer airport, which is Bergen. I looked at prices for both of them. The Oslo one was cheaper, but because the Bergen one was closer, it worked out best for times. So I didn't do the Oslo journey, but we were talking to Simon Wilkie, who is one of the guys who plays C3PO and is Lucasfilm approved. He did the Oslo journey and he said it was absolutely fine, not an issue whatsoever. I flew to Bergen Airport. Once I got to Bergen Airport, it was everything was sign marked. You've got the option of getting a light railway or a shuttle bus or a taxi to get from the airport to the train station, which is a place called Anesta. And it was really, really simple, very, very cheap. So the light railway, from memory, cost about £4, and that was a 45-minute journey. I did the shuttle bus on return. That was actually £12, so quite a bit more expensive, but it was only a 20-minute journey. It was incredibly easy to get to Anesta, and then once you're in Anesta, it's one train to Finsey, and the train can be booked online in advance, and it cost about £35 each way, but it was a two and a half hour train journey, so that was incredibly fantastic value. And some of the sites on the train journey, it's advertised as one of the world's most picturesque train journeys. It was absolutely jaw-dropping. As soon as you left Nanesta, you were straight into lakes and huge mountains with snow and you know lots and lots of Christmas trees and all sorts of different kinds of trees. And it you know, was very, very quickly, you were straight out into, into the glaciers and out into the middle of nowhere. Now, once you get to Finza train station, we were told the hotel was about a two-minute walk. And you know what it's like when you go somewhere and something's a five-minute walk and you're walking for 25 minutes still unfounded. It was actually about a 30-second walk because the hotel is actually on the train station. So as soon as you get to Finza, it's literally off the train, there's the hotel straight there. Now, that's not an exaggeration. It's a 30-second walk straight to the hotel. So when you're at the hotel front door, if you open the front door, you stand straight on the train platform. So really, really simple to get there. Once we arrived, we checked in, got to say that the Norwegians and everybody who was at the hotel could not welcome you more. They were so friendly, any questions at all, they could answer the questions or they would find out. Fantastic crew and people who worked at the hotel were absolutely brilliant. I actually arrived on the Thursday, which I think was a good idea because I didn't want to arrive on the Friday because I would have been shattered. So I arrived on the Thursday, which gave me one night in the hotel and the programme started Friday evening. The first thing that was on the programme was advertised as news on the wall. None of us knew what news on the wall meant, and we asked a couple of the hotel receptionists, they didn't have a, a real clue of what it meant either. But at half five, what they did was they put loads and loads of photographs all over the hotel, 
with newspaper clippings from 1979, and not all of them Star Wars related, and was interested in reading some of the clippings that had PowerPoints that were just cycling through photographs, and it was actually really, really interesting, and a lot of those photographs have never been seen before. People like Martin Dahl and others have been, you know, scouring cast and crew who worked on the Empire Strikes Back movie, trying to obtain as much as they possibly can. So I found that one incredibly interesting, just looking at all these images. Rich, did the hotel you stayed in, is this where all the cast and crew stayed during filming? Yes, they did. I'm glad you actually asked that. So we, we went at the hotel. It has been heavily renovated. Some of the crew members from the movies, they said that they just didn't recognise the place and it took a long time for them to, to work out, actually, that's where that was, that way. It, it, it's been incredibly renovated. So if, if you walked in with Mark Hamill, I don't think Mark Hamill could take you to where his room was. I do know where his room was because that got pointed out and was sort of... And this is what happened over the weekend. We, we saw so many photographs and then you could walk around the hotel and go... Yep, that's the room that Mark Hamill stayed in. That's the room that the the camera equipment was. That's the room where they had the loan. And you could work things out. The room that I stayed in, which was room 206, I believe it was the room that was rented out by Treat Williams, who was an uncredited, I believe he was uncredited, extra on Empire Strikes Back, who played, oh, what did he play? I think he played a rebel trooper. Uh, or something like that in the hot scenes, and I, and I think that was the room that I, that we stayed in. Now, Treat Williams does appear in Carrie Fisher's interesting past, so we had a chuckle of what might have gone on in the room when we were um, staying there. But yeah, there was a, there was certainly some paperwork that I remember that had listed all of the room numbers with the person who was signed to them. So obviously, Gary Kurtz was here, and and Kirshner was there, and Mark Hamill was in the room in the top corner. Carrie Fisher, who should never have been in Hoth, she didn't shoot any of the Hoth scenes. She just came over to see her friends and you know to see how things were going. She didn't stay in that hotel. She stayed in one of the. There's a few little hostels that are dotted a little bit further out, and I think she stayed in one of those. But yes, you could walk past a room and that might have been the room that Irvin Kirshner stayed in. That might have been Gary Curtis' room. That might have been Harrison Ford's room. There wasn't any um, any staff knocking around then that's still there from... No, we asked that. No, there, there were no staff anymore. No, it's... Um, some of them are still alive and, you know, the likes of Martin and various other people can't talk to them and, and they do see them. But, you know, there's nobody left at the hotel anymore. Which Even the guy who owned the hotel, um, he's uh, he's not there anymore. Once we'd done that and we'd done the bit of the history trip, we had a meet and greet. I did meet Gonzalo Diaz, who is an absolutely amazing guy. I call him a Spanish collector, but I think I'm not entirely sure that that is correct because I think he lives most of his time in Russia with work. I believe he was born in Spain, but he spent a lot of his childhood in Mexico and he's incredibly well-travelled and he's got a you know, a huge interest in boot, bootleg items. And I think he's an admin on Joe Glaze's Star Wars bootleg group. Uh, so he was a fantastic guy. I met him in Amsterdam. But as soon as I got there, I met a guy called James Floyd, who's an American guy who writes for StarWars.com and he writes for Star Wars Insider. He was incredibly friendly. A couple of Norwegian guys came over and started chatting to us. The Nordic garrison were there, the 501st. They were incredibly friendly. And we had about an hour of just mingling and talking to each other and finding out who each other was. And uh, there was a guy called Jake who played down his significance. He was kind of like, ah, yeah, I just work in movies. But I've been sent a link today from one of the Fanta Truck guys, which he said this, this Jake guy's, you know, he's quite a big deal. He's, he's a director of movies. It was interesting meeting him and, ch- and chatting to him. But 
the whole lot of it, it was, there were no egos, you know, everybody was so friendly and getting to know each other, and then it was later on through the day, we'd find out, oh, right, so you worked on Empire Strikes Back, and, and there were different people there. Sorry, Rich, um, just to back up a minute, you, you've got people like Martin Dahl there, and you're saying other people that worked on the movie and stuff. This isn't, I, I just assumed this trip was a few mates going out to where Hoff was filmed, and looking at a few venues, but is this actually a organised event that you went to? Initially, I thought what you just said there was what I was expecting. A few mates would go there. No, this is um, it's an organised event called Visit Hoth 2018, and this is a second one. There was one last year called obviously Visit Hoth 2017, and there's also going to be one next year to celebrate the 40th anniversary of. Wait, wait, is it going to be called Visit Hoth 2019? I didn't ask them that, but. I know some of the things that they're planning and when we got there certainly some of the things that we discussed was we don't feel as though they've advertised it that well because I've certainly never heard of it and you know I, I don't know if the American market had heard it although James Floyd had heard it but I think he found it by a fluke because he was wanting to go to he was wanting to go to Hoth and he was scouring and then he noticed something I don't know if it was a Facebook page that had this Visit Hoth programme and it was all planned around that so yeah it was an organised event what sort of groups can they take on this sort of thing? Because it sounds like it wasn't many of you, but, I mean, if, they, if they're looking to expand it, then I imagine they're... Because it didn't sound like yeah, there's a lot of infrastructure in the in the area. This hotel is huge, absolutely huge. But you've got to remember, it is a hotel as well. So even during that weekend, there were people there, Norwegians and, and Swedes who were there, who were just going for skiing because it's such a remote area. So you've got this, you've got this pretty big hotel... I would say there were probably 60, 70 people who were there with some of the panels. And to get into a panel, you had to have a wristband. So you had to have been somebody who signed up for the Visit Hoth programme. Although some of the other panels, there may have only been 20, 30 people there. So it was always difficult to gauge. I would guesstimate that this hotel could probably take a couple of hundred. I think it probably could. And then outside of the hotel, you've got these isolated hostels that the building a whole new wing to the hotel as well which was some size and I, I would guess the wing could probably take another 50 plus on there capacity wise i don't think they're going to struggle and there are so many other separate areas there were there were buildings that were locked up they were probably like what carrie fisher stayed in separate areas that had bedrooms and things like that it's it's a it's a really really big place what we were trying to work out for a life of work, why does the place exist? Obviously, you've got the skiers, but the skiers kind of surely keep that place going. So we are talking to a few guys and they said it's because of the train station. From that point at Finsa, going both directions, the snow comes down to so many people worked on the railway. And they had to, obviously, back in the days, shovel the snow out. So that's why there's, there was a hotel, that's why there's the hostels, that's why there's all these rooms and then over time, obviously, as we've got bigger equipment and heavy machinery, they would have been able to clear the snow much faster, much, much better. A lot of these places have been perhaps purchased by the hotel and, and have all, you know, been amalgamated into one. As far as volume can, can, can take, they can take a good few hundred easy. So after after we did the meet and greets, we had dinner. Dinner was always great. It's vegetarian. It wasn't so good for me because, as, as, as you often get in European places, the vegetarian option, option is often fish. Um, it seems quite alien for them to have somebody who's not going to eat meat, etc. But by all accounts, those who eat meat, it was, you know, large portions. There was, you know, like, um, I don't know, lamb, lamb on a bone. There was 
babies and things, I remember. So the meal was absolutely fantastic. On the evening, on the first day, we met two guys who were working on the Norwegian side of the crew. Both of them incredibly fantastic guys. And what I liked most about it was not just the stories that they had to tell, but the, the bits when they'd go, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And they would go off on something that they'd completely forgotten about for like nine or 40 years. Or if a photograph appeared on the board, they would gasp and they would go, wow, where did you get that from? That's brought back so many memories. And the two of them would bounce ideas off, off each other. So the first one was a guy called Christian Berham. And from memory, I think Christian Berham was a Norwegian who worked on the, the camera side and he would perhaps be working in the second unit whereby he'd be doing more of the laborious jobs of the, of the camera crew, um, you know, such as stretching out cabling and basically a gopher. The other guy, who was called Greg Dupra, Greg is still involved in movie making and he was the guy who loaded the film into the magazines and he had some fantastic stories in the fact, you know, at temperatures like minus 20, you can't load film into magazines when it's minus 20. So you've got to do that in the hotel. And then that the problems of how do you get the cameras acclimatised. And the, both guys talked for a good hour, an hour and 45 minutes. And they were available for the whole weekend. They would do signing. They would You could ask them questions about back in the day. They told us many stories and, you know, quite a few of them we can't repeat. But they both made it very clear, and I always find this fascinating, to them, it was just a job. So one of the first questions I got asked was, what do you think of Empire Strikes Back? And one of them said, well, I don't know, I've only seen it once. And the other one went, I'm not even sure I've watched it. And obviously it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek that both have watched Empire Strikes Back. But for them, it was just a movie, it was just a job. Empire Strikes Back finished shooting off the go. And they talked about their real struggles. I mean, they would work from, you know, sometimes 8 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night every single day, seven days a week for three months solid. And when they'd finished, there was nothing to do. There was absolutely nothing to do in the hotel. Yes, they would play cards. Yes, they'd be drinking games and drinking definitely featured quite a lot. Um, but they didn't leave. They didn't go anywhere. Didn't have days off. They were continuously working on the movie. Did you ask them why? Why there? It seems to be, I mean, as good a place anywhere, but it just seems to be a bit of, <laughs> right in the middle of Norway. Um, it's not exactly, it's not ridiculously hard to get to, as, as you've obviously said, but um, why there? Why, what, is, there a, is there a university there or something, or a filming set? or I mean, why there, that particular spot? No, there's absolutely nothing there. I believe, now this is from memory, Gary Kurtz and somebody possibly from Fox had had a meeting in France. And they were discussing film locations. And this French guy had said, Finsa is an ideal location for a snowy planet. So Gary Kurtz and Irving Kirshner travelled up to Finsa, Norway, and fell in love with the place immediately and went, yep, that's it, that's our scene. And obviously, if this if this guy hadn't had already visited Finsa at some point in the past, Empire may not have been filmed in Finsa. Uh, it just got it incredibly lucky. Yeah, it was the, the talk to those two guys who were initially nervous because they didn't expect that many people there. It took them a while to get out of the shell. But when they told obviously the funny jokes and the funny stories and all the antics that people got up to, it broke the ice. That was day one, an absolutely fantastic time. I was really lucky to get some of the interview with Christian and Greg. I'm just going to cut down to a few minutes just to get you a taste of what Christian and Greg discussed. 
me, 15 years old, 1994, had no info about this shoot. And you, 15 years after you did it, I had forgotten the whole film. <laughs> <laughs> and so it begins. Because the question is, the first 15 years after you were here, there wasn't really much talk about it, was it? Well, at least not that it was shot in Norway. Not at all. Because there was little interest in general about FINSA and later, of course, it exploded in last year and of course next year when it's 40 years ago it will be even bigger. But uh, uh, could you explain what your um, part in this production was? I was, uh, well, my, my profession was something they called unit legal or production assistant, probably a nicer name for it. Um, I did uh, whatever they asked me to do from 6 o'clock in the morning till 10 at night, seven days a week. And how long did you stay here? Four months. Four months. I think they had one weekend off in uh, Ustavsen. That was a whole other party. And uh, to include you in the conversation as well, what was your part in this production? Obviously, second assistant paramount, which is what the Americans call us in English, called the Clapper Loader. We load the magazines and we deal with the Clapper Board. Um, so I was a second assistant cameraman, second unit in the way. Had you already seen the first Star Wars movie? No. The same question to you, sir. I'll answer that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because we, we were checking out camera equipment at the rental company called Samuelson's. We were shooting essentially Panavision. And um, a note came around from the studio, 20th Century Fox effectively. So if there's anyone on the crew who hadn't seen Star Wars or would like to see it again, if they had seen it, would be a, a showing at the 3D theatre at the EMI and Gem Studios. Because they wanted us to see what kind of genre, what kind of film we were going to be on. So I thought, great, this is three minutes. I went to the studio and I saw Star Wars, courtesy of 20th Century Fox, for free in their own theatre. And did you like it? There were some rumors that there were some um, journalists trying to infiltrate the production. You got any uh, things to share about that? <coughs> yeah, we had this famous Seawood. For the non-Norwegians, that's, that's like the ultimate tabloid magazine. Yeah, um, one of the guys, I, I don't know his profession at the time, if he was just an employee, was he? I think so. so. Yeah, I think so. Um, he joined the Red Cross in Belgium, who had a contract with uh, Empire Strikes Back to supply uh, Express. And he got that here, and they stayed at the Pinsuhita uh, over there. Um, and uh, <coughs> part of my responsibility was to kind of, was a kind of contrast image. So we had the girls working there, cleaning the rooms, and went through the luggage. Oh. And they found his press card. Yeah. Oh. And the next day he was out. Yeah. Um, he couldn't 
what was it weather like it was snowy at some places you would step outside and you would be chewed up your waist in snow because it was so soft in other places because of snow drifting could be as high as you know 14 15 feet but it was never cold it was never cold there were times where you would even have to take your gloves off because you were sweating uh, because the place was so dry so if if, if you were oh, cold not cold enough for me it, it was never cold uh, James James Floyd who'd been there the day before he said that on that first day which was the Wednesday because there was high winds it was Baltic it was blizzardy but on the Thursday and Friday the weather turned beautiful so you know certainly don't let the cold put you off if you're thinking of traveling to to Finns at some point I believe in memory that their winter lasts until about the middle of May so if you want to go to Finsa and you can't make February, then you'll be okay for March. But it's, it's the middle of May when the winter ends. On the other side of the hotel, to the opposite side of, to the platform, there is a huge lake. But obviously we never saw the lake at all because it's completely frozen. So if you're going to go in the back end of May or June, July, that lake is water. And you've got to travel quite a bit way around either side of the lake to get the, to the shooting locations. So you're, you're always best off going in the winter. So speaking of the lake, I must admit, on the way back on one of the expeditions that we did, there was a huge crack in the lake. It was only about, I don't know, maybe about four inches wide, but it ran either side for as far as I could see. And yes, it was getting dark, but I would guess it was at least 10 metres, this crack. But I, I looked down the crack and it just went down. And it was, you know, it's it's a little bit of a scary thing to think, you know, how far down does it go? And we did ask one of the Norwegian guys, and he said it's about a 500 metre deep lake. So if you're standing on the lake and it does crack, you would just go whoosh, 500 metres down, and that was it, you know, you've got no chance. But obviously because it's winter, cracks will appear due to movement, but it will refreeze back again overnight. So on the Saturday, one well, one thing I should have mentioned on the, on the Thursday um, you do have the option to go out and visit the locations using skis or on the dog sleds, and you must sign up for them virtually straight away. Get your time picked and get signed up because they're getting quite incredibly popular. On the Saturday, we had an absolutely amazing talk by Martin Dahl, who I know listens to this podcast, and he is a huge collector. He's really interested in stories. He was advertising an archaeologist, which I think is a great description for what he does. He goes and interviews the Norwegian guys. He speaks to the people that worked on the on the movies. He gets their thoughts, and he's, he's trying to publish a book. And I really hope he gets this book published. He did show some photographs, which he was allowed to show, unfortunately, but couldn't show any of those on, online. Many of those photographs have never been seen before. Many of them are online. He's got some amazing stories and amazing tales. And again, with the two guys I mentioned before, Greg and Christian, they were in the audience and they were, you know, asking questions of Martin. And it was great how, you know, one that would say something, then Martin would expand on it, and then the other one would come back. Uh, it was a fascinating conversation to listen to. I believe it was videoed, and I don't know where that's going to go, but do have some audio of that now. So I'm, I'm just going to cut a few minutes of Martin's discussion now. Lots of the rebels are in. And I think about, according to what I know today, six or seven or eight known women were extras. Mm. Um, rebels. And uh, of course, with the goggles on, you can't really tell the difference with them running and everything. So, but there were loads of women there. They were drafted from extras, uh, sorry, from, from the from locals or the hotel or the crew. I guess everybody donned the uniform at some point. Um, but then again, the time was up for the drawing dice. 
there was a slight delay, so they called in, well, Erickson called in a few favours from Bergen this time, uh, all the friends in the movie and theatre business, and they had their sons, aging 20, 21, and they had their friends, and loads of city boys came up um, from Bergen as the second contingent. And had, uh, they didn't have any Alpine background, so they weren't really used, that used to, to the cold and, and the conditions, but they had fun all and nonetheless. There wasn't that much for them to do, uh, just pick up shots really, but uh, they're still equally visible uh, in the film, uh, just as any guy from the first contingent would be. Uh, of course, downtime, what do you do? Go for a snowball. They perform well, excellent guys, all of them, by all accounts. Then again, to some really interesting stuff, it wasn't just nameless extras, it was Norwegians actually got drafted as stand-ins for certain principles, and that's still Mark Hamill, but in the back sits Luke's gunner, Dak, to the right there is Mark Hamill being dressed up for another shoot, but in the background you see somebody who stood in basically for a dummy. You've got John Morton, who plays Dak uh, in the film. He didn't come because uh, he was just supposed to, uh, the speed is supposed to crash and Dak is supposed to die. But the dummy that they had uh, in the back there didn't really work. It didn't move convincingly because of a very stiff neck. So he looked like Rigor Mortis had set in already. He was, became quite unsatisfactory on, on, the, on screen, so they drafted the local uh, team called Ali to play the part of that. And he spent two or three days out in the Finster Lake uh, in the location uh, with Mark Hamill, freezing his ass off basically, but uh, by all accounts, Mark Hamill was a wonderful guy to, to be killed with. <laughs> he also stood in for, for one of the box-carrying rebels when they leave. Uh, that's the X-wing nose prop to the top right, top left there. And Harrison Ford left, but you need him in certain shots. So what do you do? Call in the waiter from Vincent Hotel. <laughs> you know, I looked exactly, look exactly the same, but you can tell when he's shooting his back, waving down the speaker. <laughs> Or walking away with the uh, uh, location device. Yeah. That's also um, those holes in another stand-in from the crew called Martin Gant, who did the special effects. He also doubled Harrison Ford in the Probot scene. But he's not Norwegian, so we don't want to delve into that now. And of course, Luke's gone. What do you do? I'm afraid to walk across the battlefield in a, a scene that wasn't actually used in the final film. So there you go then. Apologies for the quality of some of that audio, but I thought it was important to show those bits and hopefully you've learned something about what Martin's research has, has lent to find. Once we'd done the, the tour with Martin, we then went on the dogs. Um, the husky dog journey was absolutely fantastic. Um, unfortunately, my dogs were incredibly lazy and I was, I was told they were lazy when we set off. You get given four dogs and you get given the sledge. One person can sit down in the sledge, one person stands on the back of the sledge and there's a brake on the back and you can control it. But at the end of the day, if the dog doesn't want to go, it will not go. And there's plenty of times where you had to get off and push the sleigh yourself 
Um, it was quite easy, you know. It wasn't it wasn't uh, laborious work? You would head out on the dogs, and the first place they took her to was what we called Han Solo Rock. Yeah, so we're at the first location now, which is the scene where Han destroyed the robot. Absolutely fantastic. So it's the crowbot lock where Han came up. Check that, shot the crowbot. Brian is our catalogue model. <laughs> this is Fantatrax, Mr. Tuesday. This is... Is this your February pose or your March pose for Fantatrax? Yeah, this yeah, is March, I think. Yeah, where do we put the probot? On the solar rock. On the solar rock. Where's the solar rock? Right there. Look at that. Yep. How damn cool is this? The Han Solo rock with Han Solo written on it. This, this, Matt, was it? This is a Star Wars story. This is a Star Wars story. <laughs> this is Solo the Star Wars story. Okay, so. So the shot is from this side of the rock. It's like this. Oh, yes, of course, yeah, see it now. You should take it from there. From. Yeah, so we've got here, we've got Gonzalo and Mark trying to recreate the Han Solo pose. The Big Rebellion making a podcast. Yeah. And we've got the, the Chewbacca rock just behind. Yeah, there's a great photo of Peter Mayhew with that. I'm going to take a photograph of that one right now. I just slipped there as Harrison Ford taking aim for the probot. Check to see if Mark's ready, Mark was ready, and boom! I've put some photographs online, and you can accurately, very, very easily screen match the bit where Harrison Ford is leaning over the rock with his blaster and he shoots the probot and the probot destroys. So so that bit is the first bit that you're taking to. Very, very easy to find. If you turn around about five metres away, there's a, another rock which actually has a large T on it now. It's been spray painted on. And I think it's some kind of way marker for the, for the scares to locate from. Um, and that's the one that Chewbacca appears from. When Chewbacca pops his head around the corner and then hides again when the probot's come in, that's actually in the opposite direction. So we saw both of them when we're out on the on the Huskies. They did point over to the Glazers uh, like far off in the distance and they went, that's where the Rebel Trenches were. And we thought we were going to go up there, but because of the length of time it takes to get there, because of the length of time that we're there, they actually took us straight back to the hotel at that point. I said to the Fanta Track guys, look, it's still quite early on, why don't we actually go out and walk up to the Glazier and go and see more of the film locations? We found a, a guy who had a map, now, the map had points 1 to 10 written on them, but stupidly we didn't have a key, so we didn't know what they meant. So, obviously, we knew that these were film locations or areas of interest. James and I, we were the only two who were up for it. We started walking because I thought, stupidly, that we would have been able to walk up to the glacier based on what we'd covered already with the dogs. And we didn't go get out very far, and a hoth trooper came up to us skiing. And he asked where we were going, because everyone was dead friendly. And we're told him where he was going, and he basically burst out laughing. He says, it's going to take you five hours to get there if you want to walk. Um, and we were like, okay, well, why is that? He said, well, simple, as soon as you get around that corner there, you're going to go straight to your waist, and then it's, it's going to be a nightmare. We said, okay, what are what options? And he says, well, you've got two options. You can hire skis, or you can hire snow, snowshoes. 
So we went back to the hotel, we managed to get a pair of snowshoes each for about 15 quid, and we walked off and we went out to try and find some of these other film locations. Now, it's really difficult trying to find film locations. Anybody who goes out walking will know that it's really, really easy to look at a map, look at a mountain, and put the two together but you might not be right you make it fit in your head so the points you're walking out and i was saying oh look it's the rebel trenches and, and james going oh yeah this is dead obviously the rebel trenches and because we were standing at point three we thought what else would have been filmed yet yeah, it's clearly the rebel trenches we now know that some of the locations that we, we, we were at weren't actually what we thought we were This is Rich back again, and I think this is the second major site. I believe I'm now standing roughly where the trenches were. Um, obviously, that the rebels built to hide from the Atats. Now, the guide, when we're at Solo Rock, had said that the trenches were literally just over the hill. Um, there's absolutely no way whatsoever that they were just over the hill. It's been quite a trek to get up here. It's taken about an hour. Um, we had to hire some snowshoes to make it up here. Um, the ridges are quite deceptive, snow is quite deep, but absolutely awesome, it's such a fantastic place, if anybody comes to Finns, you've got to get yourself into the glacier, which is just over one of the main ridges, this place is absolutely awesome, so remote, and I can just imagine 35 rebel soldiers running towards the battle on Hoth, this place is brilliant. definitely did find and some of them were so obvious was when the bit where Luke is staggering and it's after the Ben encounter and he's sort of staggering up the side of the hill that's covered in snow and the falcon blasts off and Luke turns and sees the falcon the, that point is is so obvious that was really really easy to find we also found the, the part where the probot first arrives on Hoth we know where the ship that the probot arrived at, we know where that bit is, um, and that bit you can actually see from the hotel, but it's not really that interesting. It collides in the snow, and that's it. But we found the bit where the probot first appears and goes along, which was a train track at the time because there's loads of behind the scenes photographs. So they laid a train track out. So we found that bit where the probot first comes along and does its noises and sends a signal up to the Star Destroyer to see I've located the rebels. That bit was very, very easy to find. Just a question, really, Rich. Obviously. You go to these filming locations, but do these still look the same? Because it's snow, and you get snow drifts, and the the thing must must change the dynamic there quite regularly. Or can you still tell quite clearly where you are? You can tell quite clearly where you are, although some bits do change. Now, you're going to hear an interview in about hopefully 10 minutes' time with Greg, where I asked him that question about the snow and about how they get the camera set up in the morning, a snow blizzard appears, they go scurrying away, and then they come back. How much has the landscape changed? I can't say that the two, the two, in fact, all the locations I've just said are identical. There's nothing different at all. All of those four areas that I've just said are absolutely identical. It's so obvious what they are. And Gonzalo had all of the images on his mobile, so when we got back to the hotel with my photographs with his images we matched them up and the, there was there was like there's a huge rock there it's shaped like this yep it's on the it's on the dvd you can see them so easily so it, it hasn't re and although it's been 39 years it hasn't changed that much and which which is surprising especially when you consider in the summer a lot of the snow will disappear 
and then it'll build up again. Speaking of that bit, although we were told multiple times they took everything away with them and they were told to do that from the environment, they were still props and, you know, there was jokes that, oh, you can find rebel hats in the snow. But over time, things do come up from the surface. So there are still things out there in the snow, which, you know, you're never going to find them. You're going to have to be incredibly lucky for something to appear. Uh, and I thought that was fascinating. When we're at those locations, we took some photographs. I set up my turret and probot set. And it's a complete fluke, a total coincidence. But I put my turret in the snow at a place that I thought was a good place. I stepped right back. I took a photograph. And then when we screen matched it against Gonzalo's photographs, it's almost in the identical place where they actually built the turret in the snow um, for the movie. Didn't intend that at all to completely fluke. So once we've done those locations, we're headed up to another area, which was marked on the map. And I said, oh, this, these are the rebel trenches. And we both agreed that those were the rebel trenches because we thought, you know, it's a big area. It, it looks right. The, the, the hills sort of match. And it definitely had a number on the map. But by that, this time we're starting to get a bit dark. So we knew that there was a hut, and the hut was marked on the map as well. And the hut was like a kind of safety area, so if anyone's getting into trouble, they can go to the hut, stay there for the night, there's a fire in there. So we're headed over to the hut. But when we got there, we bumped into a Norwegian... I think he's Norwegian anyway. Um, we bumped into a Norwegian guy, and he actually had on one of the blue, you know, the blue cast and crew coats that they had with the, the names written on the on the badges. He had one of those on. And we asked him about the places that we visited. And so he corrected us and said, oh, no, it's that place where you've just been. And I said, have we been to the trenches? He says, you've been to one of them. I didn't realise there were two trenches. I said, so where's the second one? He says, well, the main one's up there on the top of the glazier. And it was starting to get a little bit dark. And we looked and I says, how far away is it? He says, about half an hour. He says, but it's steep and your lungs will be burning. So I said to James, we've come this far. We might as well go up there. It'd be ashamed to head back and not see what he, he described as the main battlefield. We head off up there, and not joking, where lungs were burning. It is difficult to walk in snowshoes. If you're not sure what snowshoes are, picture two skateboards strapped to your feet, but without wheels that had these metal sort of spikes on the bottom of them, and you were walking with these on your feet. Uh, so we got to the top, and once we were there, it was absolutely brilliant. A huge open area. And you can imagine the trenches were there. You can imagine the rebel soldiers running around all over the place. I'm, I'm so glad that we pushed ourselves that extra little bit. The trenches are all gone. The crew were even saying that they would dig the trenches and come back the next day and they were filled in. So it was very, very difficult for them to maintain the trenches. So once they'd taken, they'd propped them up with wood. So once they'd taken all the wood out, the trenches have disappeared a long time ago. So you're not going to f actually find the trenches. But there were key marking points and there were stones and there's there's tree branches that are put in different places. So you can quite clearly see that you're actually on the battlefield. Once James and I had done that, we came back down uh, to the hotel. It was about, I don't know, maybe about half seven in the evening by the time we got back down. But that was the best part of it for me. And I'm so glad that the two of us headed out there because I would have been devastated if I'd missed that. Well, it's Rich here again. Now, way before, where I thought it was at the trenches, it wasn't. It was actually the part where the robot first discovers the rebel base and transmits its data to the Star Destroyer. And we've also found the bit where Luke is trudging through the snow 
and the falcon takes off and Luke turns and looks at it heading off into the distance so that was absolutely fantastic we are now on the top of the glazier and this is the scene where the rebel trenches were built it's quite clear there's some distinctive mounds here really really tough walk incredibly steep uh, snow is very deep in places it's very very hard snow um, it, the dark is getting in there's a mist coming in over the hills but uh, absolutely fantastic and you can hear some wild animals. Coyotes, didn't have coyotes in no way. <laughs> there's definitely some animals about though because there's, there's definitely little footprints in the, in the snow. Um, but all in all, fantastic day. Really glad I've been here and now I'm going to take a slow trudge back down the hill, back to the hotel and looking forward to this evening's entertainment. On the evening, this was the main guest speaker, a guy called Mr. Alan Tompkins. Now, you may not recognise the name, he's the art director for Empire Strikes Back, but just listen to the, the things that he's done. So, oh, actually, before going, what, what is an art director? He was very clear, first of all, that very few people know what an art director is. And what he did was, he took Ralph McQuarrie's paintings, and he was the guy who drew them to a technical scale. So he drew the Rebel Speeder. So what he'd do is he'd take Ralph McQuarrie's painting and he would go, that's 20 metres, 20 degree angle here, and that's going to be 10 metres, that's going to be 5 metres, and he would draw it out as a technical drone, and that was part of his main job. But he's worked on 160 movies, he's worked on six James Bond films, he's worked on Doctor No, he worked on Save a Private Ryan, uh, Batman Begins, Dunkirk, I mean, he's still working now, he's Lawrence of Arabia, he's worked with Kubrick on 2001, he's worked on so many movies, and he gave us, for somebody who's, you know, he's getting on a bit, he must be in his 70s, but for somebody of that age to still be working today is, is absolutely fantastic, and also coming to visit Hoth as well, I thought it was brilliant, he talked for two hours on his movies, and it was such a fascinating conversation, it was brilliant. Greg and Christian were mentioned before. They were in the audience. They were asking them questions. They were they were clarifying points with Alan. And it was it was it was like being in a mini reunion of, of people who worked on Empire Strikes Back. I think with the way that things work in Norway, they're, they're completely different from from us in that they have things in the morning and then they expect everybody to go out all day skiing. And then I think they expect them to come back and have like a late snooze, a bit like a, a bit like a siesta that they had in Spain, because they had they had events starting at midnight, and it would go on till three, four in the morning. But obviously, with us being you know British, we're not used to going to sleep through the day. Some of the some of the events that went on later, we just we just couldn't stay up for them because we were you know tired of tracking through the snow and stuff like that. So I, I think that's an urban legend. Mind you, 
For those who don't know, Alan, the art director of this movie, and where's your respect will be here? Oh, yes, sir. There he is. So in other words, you're killing the myth, right? <laughs> <laughs> Someone said there was they found a, a hat, one of the yes buried in the, in the snow here. Yeah. Yes. That's true. Yeah. You still I, you still find pieces. I found a hat in the glacier. Yeah. Yeah, frozen. You still find pieces from the glacier, and it's still coming out. Really? Yeah. You still once in a while. I think they found a. a a part of a were the last day of them so what i was really excited about on the last day was they were going to take us around different parts of the hotel on the outside showing where items were shot now we've all heard of the story about how it was so cold that the cameraman would stay in the hotel door they chucked more camel out they recorded it and pulled everything back in but it, it, it was far more complex than that the guys told us that back in 1979 it was the worst storm for 100 years so they did have to shoot a lot around the hotel once we left the hotel, Christian and Greg took us outside. For some of them, it's the first time they've been back there for a long time. As I've already said, the hotel had been um, renovated. And they took us to what they called the door. After about 15 minutes, we worked out there were actually two doors. Not all of the outdoor elements and the camera being set up was filmed at the same door because some things didn't work and it didn't match the photographs that we'd seen so we'd, we'd realize there were actually two doors so at the first door that was the one where the torn scene was shot where harrison opened the torn belly with a lightsaber and, and mark hammer was shoved inside uh, the torn so we, sh we saw that bit we think a lot of it that is now it's certainly not recognizable you would not be able to pick that out at all because if, obviously you've got the whole of the hotel and then you turn the other way and, and they're built on there there's there's a hut and there's a storage shed and there's various other things that, that are built there now so you've got no chance of actually seeing that but it, it was nice to be in that area Greg was trying to work out where the scene where Mark was crawling through the snow seeing Ben because that bit didn't quite fit Christian, the other guy, said, I'm sure that was further around. And that I've, I've got to record this interview. In fact, actually, let's cut that interview and recording now so we get to hear their point of that. Camera, I think. Yeah, camera. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And there were lots more private apartments, I think. And we set up on a convoy every morning somewhere. Yeah, I mean, we're talking kilometres, yeah? Yeah. And then, and then um, shots like this, because this was the background of the rest of it, there's no point driving out 
there just to get the same, you know? Yeah. So then, you know. When, when I was up there yesterday, I noticed that you could see the train pylons for miles. Did you have to, were them, were them there back then, those train pylons? But you can go over the first hill. Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday, you walk all the way. You walk there. Yeah, yeah. That's a long walk. Yeah. A snowstorm comes up. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I would have done it today, but yesterday was beautiful. Yeah. The danger was that we go out there and we get lost in the white hat, and we did get lost in the white hat. And we were standing there, not knowing where we were. Daring not to move because you know we couldn't see anything. It all looked the same, and it was just completely down. And then a helicopter. We could hear a helicopter right over our heads, mm. and then this helicopter blasted a hole mm. in this this low cloud base. And this this shaft of light came through. Were you there? Do you remember that? Uh, no, I don't remember. And it was just like yeah. it was a religious moment. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that eight. Look, seen right from from inside. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty damn sure it's here because it's, it's in there, the furthest out. And it was, the, it was right next to the camera room. So is it the same place where... I mean, this is here, you know. Starting what about off. this spur? So this was definitely there. Yeah. I think the shot from that door out and then the shot yeah. from that door up there out. This building here nice clear. In height meters, yeah. mm -hmm. like in the top there. Yeah. Yeah. So so I, I drove down there with the snow. That's scary. Uh, it's very yeah. yeah. sure I would turn around. <coughs> anyway, we, we had a helicopter, a gyroscopic um, camera hanging out. Oh, that's right. Called West Cam. And the West Cam crew. They, they were trying to get these these POV shots of the speeder, is it? Mm -hmm. You know, doing its low flying speed. So they would go up practically every morning, and they they did two things. One was to report back how the weather was up there, mm -hmm. also to report back the temperature up there, and also then to try and get their shots in various weather conditions. You know, because the point is you've got to shoot, and if if the weather closes down and you you, you know that's it, you've got that. But if the weather improves, you go out and shoot it again, and you just keep shooting until yeah. you get what you ideally want. So these guys are out every morning. Um, and then Ron and Margaret. Yeah. Ron Goodman and Margaret. Ron Goodman Heron. and Margaret Heron, whose son, by the way, is a director in Austin. Yeah, yeah I know. Alex. Yeah. yeah. And um, and Steiner, who is a Norwegian brilliant camera technician, uh, uh, lens guy.
So, as I said, you know, the two of them working together, we could manage to plot virtually everything out. So, it was the second door where Mark Hammer was crawling through the snow, you know, seeing Ben. And it was interesting that for them, it was something new coming, you know, memories coming back from all those years. And and Greg had said, I wish somebody had recorded this so he could remember what to say for next year. Um, so, if he does want that interview, we've got a full copy of the whole, I think it's a 35-minute recording. We've got a full copy of that, so that, that would be great if Greg wanted that. And once we're outside, we could also clearly identify which bedroom or which room Mark Hamlet stayed in, which was the one, when you're looking at the hotel from the back end, it was the one in the very top left. That was easily recognisable. Irvin Kirshner had stayed in the one that was a bit more to the right and higher up. And we, we were told which ones Gary Kurtz and various others stayed in, but we didn't go along for them. Other things, all the way through the weekend, there was a guy who had a local toy and comic shop. He basically collected a lot of his stock and brought it up to Finza, and he set everything out in the hotel reception, so there was there was things to buy. It was all modern. There were, there were some comics from the expanded universe, but nearly all of it was modern items. There was a lot of things there to, to, to buy. As I've already said, the 501st Nordic Garrison were there, so there were lots of people dressing up with hot troopers. There was Boba Fett walking around and various other characters. Simon Wilkie was there, dressed up in his C-3PO costume. There was a, an R2-D2 being controlled around as well. And other than chunks through the day, which is when they expected us to go skiing, and, and we didn't do that, it was very much full-on, and there was always something to do. And when we left, we shook everybody's hand, got photographs taken with Alan, the, you know, the sign things, and, you know, for a small donation to charity, they're looking to buy props, they're looking to make it better, and they were asking ideas, you know, what could we do better? 
and they suggested that they're hoping to build a snow speeder to scale and they want to put it outside and to make it look as though it's crashed so that you can actually get inside the, the snow speeder and pretend to be more camel with, you know, Dak in the back. I didn't realise that initially Dak in the back of it was actually a puppet that they had to replace it with another person who I think was called um, Irwin from memory, or Elwing, something like that from memory. Um, it wasn't John Morton in Hoth, it was it was a, a Norwegian guy, but it was just full-on stories, you know, things that I'd never, never heard of before, such as the, the, the Han Solo who's waving to the snow speeder when they get found, that, that wasn't Harrison Ford, it was a chef from the hotel, um, and other things such as, you know, they had 20 or so Norwegian guys who were going to be rebel soldiers, but they needed to do reshoots, and they'd already gone home, so they had to get you know, the, the hotel receptionist, right, you're wearing that costume, get yourself out there, and they, they, they grabbed, the robbed, the stole, whatever they could, to get as many rebels on the ground as possible, it was fascinating, listening to those stories, it was, it was all historical, they also had a museum set up, and I did take some photographs of these, and put these online, there was a museum set up, in one of the rooms, that you could just walk through, look at all the pictures, there were contracts on the wall, there were, there were call, there were shooting calls, there were notices, you name it, it was such a, thoroughly brilliant time everybody who was there was dead friendly and, and as you've heard from the interviews there it's it's definitely an opportunity not to miss i won't be there next year which is a shame i know a couple of guys were talking about going back in a couple of years time but really i want to do tatooine i want to do jabba seal Bodge. i want to go to different places but if somebody had said you know you can only go back to hoth again i would quite happily go back to hoth because i enjoyed every moment of it In response to listeners suggesting a few months back, we'd like to take it in turns to have a new section which we're going to call the Kenner Code. And this is where we collate information from the SWCA and various other places in order to attempt to explain some of the technical language that collectors use. Hopefully it's going to be in a use that's suitable for new collectors who are coming into the market. For our very first one, big thanks to Tommy Garvey who over on Facebook had a definition of what a photo sample proto mold is. What he showed was it was a look poncho and it was a photo sample proto mold so i'm actually cheating a little bit in this one in that i'm covering two terms what is a photo sample and what is a proto mold so a photo sample is a toy that would have been used by kenner in some kind of photography advertising purposes so in this case or in the case of the look poncho that tommy had this is the exact same figure that could be seen on the back of security scout mini rig so that's what a photo sample is, a Kenner toy that has been used in either a card back or on the side of a box or on some kind of advertising materials. A proto mold, which is the second part of it, and I was put in brackets here, it's sometimes incorrectly called an internal first shot by collectors. But a proto mold is a stage before full production of the toy begins. It involves Kenner locally producing figures in low quality, low yield, aluminium molds now this is rather than the heavy steel molds that would have been used overseas these proto molded figures wouldn't have been used in the tooling process such as the hard copy which we'll cover in a future show but it would have been rather used for photography and to simply have additional samples of the figure on hand the details on a proto mold are sometimes rougher than what you see in a hard copy or even on the production figure 
They're also sometimes smaller than the production figure, they lack foot holes, and they don't have copyright markings. Obviously, part of the purposes of these portal molds is for Kenner to have something very quickly in their hand that would give an indication of what the figures would look like, and then they could be used as perhaps photo samples or photographs taken and used elsewhere. Thanks for that definition, Tommy. Fantastic. Okay, right, on to this month's NA, and like we know, we're missing Jez. So this month's NA isn't going to be done in rainbow form. We know he's half Bungle, half George, and looks like Zippy. None of us can... Well, actually, you look a bit like Zippy as well, Si, so you could probably cover that bit. So we're going to go similar. We're going to go through a few items, not as many as Jez. So we've all picked one or two items, going to go through them, and then talk about one piece at the end. So pretty similar. So... As always, we're going to start on Star Wars Forum UK and on page 2187, Andy Norton, our friend Spoonge, has put up a pre-production die-cast TIE Fighter pilot at Wing. TIE Fighter pilot Wing. Simon, you, you, you chose this and it's saying a TIE Fighter pilot Wing. Um, I'm not sure whether you've written your notes right or whether it really is a random item. No, it was a, uh, a slightly chunky, older generation TIE fighter, and he'd got a little bit of, you know, bingo wings. That's what it was, so I just thought it was pretty cool. No, no, it is It is a typo, young Stuart. It is a typo. I was obviously working until 2 or 3 a.m. on this, and uh, I, it's just slipped in there. It's a die-cast TIE fighter wing. but It's actually, it's, it, it, it's very pre-production, insofar as it's without the grooves. It's got a load of lines on it. But it's got no little grooves, the little detail. Uh, it's all in white. It's very, very cool for what it is. And it's all sat there in an acrylic case and really funky. And I contacted Spoons about it because you do see pre-production die-cast stuff come up. I think uh, our friend Lee Bullock had a, what was it, a snow speeder and a slave one, didn't he? Without the COO stuff on the bottom. So they were first shots. I think he was selling them as, uh, or, or test, you know, test shots. So they do come up occasionally, but I hadn't seen any Tie Fighter parts. So I contacted Spoons about it, particularly as it had a slightly, a slightly random bit of commentary around the COA. Insofar as you actually had to contact, I think it was CIB, to find out 
the details about the coa it was it was utterly bizarre it was all very very cloak and dagger uh, but i spoke to spoons about it and he confirmed that it is actually one of two known to exist they both uh, were submitted by the same person who's one of the ex-kenner guys that was submitted to cib they were both bought by the same person and and after about a year spoons was lucky enough to be offered one of them so he's he's absolutely thrilled because you know he's a he's a big die cast collector he's thrilled to bits with that he does tell me that there are complete uh sort of first shots with alternative colors on the lasers so they've got little yellow lights on them instead of the red and also they've got very much slightly smaller bodies than the the tie that was eventually released to the public he's not actually had sight of those i don't believe so that they are they are not available and not on the market and he's also aware of a proof for the tie fighter card back that exists Diecast prototypes are really hard to find but they're not that desirable as such the prices for them are fairly reasonable very interesting and a really cool piece particularly for for spoons's focus well, great item spoons, and uh, we know that you're so in love with your die cast, so it's great to see another piece added to your collection. That's one hell of a pilot! Woo-hoo! Moving on to page 2189. Only a small little thing I wanted to bring up, but Punk Pat had put on a Return of the Jedi 2-pack. Basically, these two packs, Kenner was left with a load of overstock figures back in about the mid-80s, 84, 85, and kind of chucked them into these two packs. Now, the cards are probably, I think it's fair to say, probably the lowest lowest quality Star Wars card you can get. The back is just a plain piece of uh, brownie-grey cardboard, and the front is like a, a generic Return of the Jedi with a, a solid border going around the card. So visually not particularly attractive. Um, they then had these great big uh, bubbles so they could accommodate two figures in them. Now, I understand that these bubbles were very similar to like a, a tri-logo type bubble where they were quite flimsy and easily crushed, but they were made quite big because of figures like Gamorrean Guard being packed in it. They really are a random, a random two-pack. The figures generally don't have weapons with them, but these things were obviously paired up, special deal multi-packs, stick them out for the cheapest prices going, get rid of all these figures knocking around. So Punk Pat had put up a Hoff Stormtrooper and a Han Solo trench coat. Interesting combination, uh, two pretty nice figures, but it was actually the, um, the state of the bubble that amazed me on this it was absolutely stunning it wasn't crushed it, it was clear it was absolute mint and it's, it's i can think of it's the only bubble i've seen on these two packs that actually stand out like that i've, I've never seen one like that now i have one of these two packs uh, mine has greedo in it and admiral akbar so they do go back to the original star wars figures um does anyone else have any of these just out of interest rich have you got an r5 one no i've never seen r5 in, in two you've never seen him in there because a lot of the first 21 do pop up them don't they i've seen leia chewbacca yeah. vader. Chewy, definitely uh, vader yeah, yeah i've seen the um vader i've seen in there there's a, a farm boy i've seen an example of him seen trying to think i don't can't i can't think of yeah i can't think of tuscan or a jawa i've seen but i've seen 3po in there you know they're often packed with just a random return of the jedi figure like i said I've got Greedo with Akbar. I've also seen a Greedo with a Gamorrean guard. Um, Akbar seems quite a popular figure for this. Obviously, a mail away figure, perhaps. There was quite a few of them knocking around. Uh, Cy, Rich, have you, Cy, Pete, even, have you got one of these? I haven't, and I would like one, but I want his one. Because as you say, Stu, that is, he's done well there, isn't he? Couple of creases, top left hand corner, but it's unpunched. Got a KB price sticker on it. Brilliant. And it's, it's just, it's superb. Absolutely superb. Look at that bubble. 
insane. Yeah, they, they are quite nice. And you, and you can still pick these up reasonably cheap. I only paid, I think, about 120 for mine. But considering it had a, a Star Wars figure in it from the original figures, it's, um, it was quite a good price because they tend to be a little bit higher when you've got those original figures in them. But if you just want a couple of Jedi figures, you'd probably still pick them up for under 100 quid, can't you? I think I, I don't know. You'd be I think you'd be doing you'd be doing well now. Unless the bubble was pancaked, I think you'd you you may struggle to find one under a hundred now. You reckon? Yeah. Yeah, I think the the thing with them, what kept the price low, of course, was the fact that they got absolutely, like you say, hammered and the bubbles invariably would split as well. And it would probably be Leia Bouche in there without a single weapon or accessory, making it look like a beta figure. But I don't know. I'm Right, as we're chatting, you well, carry there's, on. There's two on eBay look. UK at the moment. Yeah. You've got to buy it now, 375, which has got a Leia poncho and a Medine in it. But there is one on an open auction, which is starting at £50, three days remaining uh, which is bid for tuna and, and uh, general medine so it'd be interesting to see what that goes for yeah let me have a look on sold items so here we go right we've got we've got two sold recently ah and this is interesting i wonder if this is this is punk pat's purchase return of the jedi um, hand solo trench and hoff stormy 178 pound which is a great price and a hoff stormy and a medine same price i'm still pretty sure these could be picked up if you're willing to wait for a good deal i think you can still get these for a pretty, uh, a pretty penny. That means expensive. Oh, well, so yes, we have got a couple of sold items in the US from this year. So seventy-four dollars for a Medine and trench coat, but the figures are upside down in the blister. Interesting. A hundred thirty-three dollars for a hand trench and a Medine again, but this time the trench coat is looking towards the card. Brilliant. <laughs> Not many sold, actually. Someone's collected a, a... I've got recollections of a, a massive collection of these. It'd be interesting to get them on for an interview to see the different combinations. Out of interest, I think what we'll do in the outro is for this month's question, so you can all have the rest of the show to think which two figures you would choose to put in your ideal Return of the Jedi 2-pack. And obviously the last 17 didn't come out at this stage, so you can't add them. But um, yeah, great pickup, Pat. Probably the best bubble I've seen on them, so well done. Great acquisition. You look absolutely beautiful. You truly belong here with us among the clouds. So staying on page 2189. <laughs> si, you've chosen an absolute cracking username. Dynster? Yeah, Dynster, Deanster. A uh, guy called Dallas. Exclusive cups. Something you've chosen here. What, what's, what's pickled your fancy? <laughs> Tickled your fancy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked these. I'm not a massive fast food chain sort of uh, gimcracky collector in fact so much so i don't have any but these i liked i really like these because a they were quite interesting design i hadn't seen the the watercolor on them before and b they were so regionally outrageous these we're not talking kfc or mcdonald's here these are from a very small chain of restaurants which according to a press advert at the time it was five restaurants in and around winnipeg in canada and, well, I'm not going to talk about it. Let's hear from the uh, the owner himself. So, Deanster, Dallas, take it away. I'm Dallas, uh, Deanster in the forums. Kind of an odd username, you might think, for Star Wars forum. But it comes from another hobby of mine, which is collecting vintage military watches. My collecting is pretty much exclusively vintage production items. Uh, loose figures, box vehicles, and play sets. Um, I was born in 71, so I was around for the first uh, wave of collecting. Started collecting as a kid in 78. Took the usual break, 
started collecting again in the mid-90s, took another break, came back in around 2012. So I've got a good size collection of full run of loose figures and boxed ships and stuff. I'm not super active on forums or Facebook, but I do maintain a blog about my collecting, and it's at www.vintagekennerstarwars.blogspot.com. You know, my collection is kind of to the point where there's not too much else production for me to get. So I enjoy, you know, getting the toys out, photographing them and, and writing about them on the blog. Groobies cups were a premium that was given away by Groobies restaurant in uh, in Winnipeg here. And as as you mentioned, most collectors are aware of the, the Coca-Cola sponsored cups, which were distributed through 7-Eleven and other uh, kind of outlets like that. These are plastic cups as opposed to the Burger King glasses that that we're uh, familiar with and they have uh, pictures of characters on the front and some explanatory text and the branding on the reverse of the cup. So Groobies is an interesting kind of story. Groobies restaurant was a slightly upscale uh, hamburger chain that was owned by a local Winnipeg restaurant entrepreneur called Oscar Grubert. He was born in 1929 and grew up in Winnipeg's tough north end. Uh, as, as a young man, he practiced law for a short time, but uh, really made his mark as a restaurateur. So he uh, established five locations in Winnipeg of Groobies. And in the 70s and early 80s, he also created a bunch of other restaurants experiences, uh, none of which you've probably heard of, called Mama Trossi's Garden Crepery, uh, G. Willikers, T-Bones, Thomas Buttons, Mother Tucker's Food Experience, etc. So he was uh, quite prolific in uh, restaurant creation. And he was also well known here in Manitoba and Winnipeg for bringing Kentucky Fried Chicken to the province under his Champs Chicken brand. I've tried to research a little bit more on how he got a license or how uh, Groobies got a license to produce these cups, but I've kind of come up short. As far as I can tell, and as I said on the SWCA, they list two cups in the set, uh, one of which features Darth Vader, and the other one features uh, C-3PO and R2-D2. Uh, as I said, they have uh, text on the back with the Groobies branding and uh, Coca-Cola branding with uh, a text that says a limited collector's edition from Groobies and Coca-Cola, and then the trademark and, and legal information as well. The illustrations that are on the front are pretty unique as far as I can tell. They're sort of watercolor style illustrations. The standard Star Wars logo underneath, uh, the picture uh, on the Darth Vader cup is Vader's bust. He's kind of looking off into, into space with a, a sort of a bluish purple background behind him. And on the droids cup uh, features uh, C-3PO's head and then a full body of R2, again, with kind of a purplish background. I've looked around, I looked through my Tomars catalog, I've looked online, I've tried to find any examples of these illustrations used on other products uh, or promotions, and I haven't been able to. So if anybody can see any other place they've been used, that would be really interesting information. So as far as how to get them, that's about a two-week span. In 77, you could get your R2-D2 and C-3PO cup free. There was no mention of the Vader cup in this ad. Um, and as far as I know, there were only two cups in the series. I did find an ad online. Um, this is a, a clip from a local newspaper, and um, it's, a pre it's a pretty nice little display ad. Uh, the text says, um, R2-D2, C-3PO has pictures of the droids and says, get your own R2-D2 and C-3PO cup free at Groobies. All you have to do is buy a regular Coke with your meal at Groobies between November 27th and December 10th, and the R2-D2 and C-3PO cup is yours to keep. And there's more. 
Weekly draws will be made at each of the five Groobies locations for great Star Wars prizes. And then, of course, it says underneath that, may the cups be with you. Unlike the, some of the 7-Eleven and other plastic cups that have a, an inscription on the back that says, you know, number five of eight or whatever, th- there's no such information on the Groobies cup. There's just the Vader and the C-3PO with text. The interesting part about them is that the same text uh, seems to appear on the on the 7-Eleven and other Coke-branded cups. This text is not unique to the Groobies cups. It's appeared elsewhere. And uh, as I was doing some research online, I also found that text on the uh, the Burger Chef posters. So I imagine they had some text that was provided by Lucasfilm or approved by Lucasfilm, and they just and Coke used it everywhere on their Coke-branded uh, promo items that featured the, the specific characters. I actually spotted them on an online swap forum called Kijiji that, that we have uh, in North America. A person had advertised them for sale. It was actually a, a small dealer had advertised them with the price listed as please contact. Uh, when I contacted them, they, they gave me quite a reasonable price on them, considering the rarity of the item. So I was, I was happy to grab up two sets. I bought all that they had. I'd never even seen photos of them before. There's an entry on the SWCA for the items, but no pictures showed up. So I didn't even know what they looked like. I, and I do feel quite lucky to have found them. I've sort of been half had an eye out to try and find them for a while. But the collecting community in Winnipeg is pretty small to non-existent. So there you heard from Dallas, who's the owner, the proud owner of these two cups. I think they're fantastic. I just, I just love the fact that a small chain of restaurants run by a very local guy could get licensed stuff in 1977 and it makes me wonder how many more out there are there we've all heard of the kfc and the burger chef and the burger king promotions that were national across north america that's all well and good but these were brilliant just because they were so local and to find not one pair of cups but two pair of cups and from the same seller as well brilliant love it great pick up hey, yeah i found a i found a poster online with uh with the group i've never heard of groobies never ever now i like my american food and nonsense but never heard of groobies but they actually there's actually a poster where they actually use the line which i'm sure they won't be allowed to do these days which was may the cups be with you (laughs) that's right that's the that's the advert that appeared in the paper and pete can i just pick you up there because there'll be an awful lot of canadians screaming at you at the moment it it was winnipeg (laughs) canada these aren't american uh yeah that's the they, they, it was just such a, a quirky little advertising campaign and they as as you heard Dallas say they they were only available for a very short period of time as well so there really can't be that many floating around it's uh, yeah great pieces I wonder if anyone's got one of those posters lying around that'd be quite interesting because it must have featured in newspapers it was, it's a newspaper advert, that, so. that is a newspaper print yeah I, I, as you heard I, I asked him about in-store displays and he, he he has he has no specific memories of those crazy crazy times yeah. could this think? possibly be the rarest of the fast food kim crack it, it looks like it's licensed from i know it sounds bizarre but the movie before you know pre-lucasfilm so yeah, we normally exactly so there's it, no it says character copyright at 20th century fox film corporation so it was mm-hmm. I, I mean it must have been so early i wonder if they i wonder if they were handing out these little licenses but yeah some of the words uh Sith Bear was a human robot relations automaton <laughs> automaton no. delivering the secret information because they're the death star to the rebel forces yeah it, it's brilliant but as you said this is the same text that appears on the i think it's the installed displays in in burger king that were doing the glasses uh so it's it's obviously and that was the coca-cola promotion with 
think it was Burger King. So I think it's the text that Coca-Cola have said, fine, you're doing a promotion uh, w- uh, with us, along with your restaurant. So you've got the Groobies and the Coca-Cola trademarks there, the logos. This is the text that you must use. So I think it got force-fed to them. As you say, it's it's really odd description. It's almost pre-movie, but it wasn't. These came out very late in 77. So the film in the States had been out for, for you know, half a year by that time. And in fact, it was it was it had finally trickled through to the UK. So even though it sounds like pre-release text, I mean, it may have, that's when, maybe when it was written for Coca-Cola. But even there, six months after release, they came out with these brilliant phrases. Great piece, I And um, yeah, thank you, Dallas, for coming on. Uh, loving it. So over to no, I was about to say go over to Facebook, but no. No, surprisingly, Rebel Scum must have had a post here because Rich has chosen something from Bobaluga. Rich, what was Bobaluga been teasing your uh, tonsils with? Yes, go check in with Rebel Scum every now and again. This one wasn't posted in the latest acquisitions thread, which Jez has said a couple of times now, it's sort of hidden away in a different place. But this was posted in the main vintage collecting chat area. And as I said, they post from Babaluga, who posted, completed my 12-back one. So I just clicked on the link because, you know, it's nice to see a full set of 12-back cards. I was really fascinated with what he's done and how this collection looks. So he started off by seeing four years of flipping and selling, eventually completed my 12-back one. And I picked where he picked up an EFA 60 Luke Skywalker had completed and he said after four years of selling and flipping collectibles I finally completed my 12 back run as seen below five of my 12 are graded either 50 or 60 and the rest are ungraded that just really picked me in rest I thought wow what a fantastic run something totally different so I reached out to him and I said you know what can you tell us about your collection how did you get it he was so enthusiastic he sent us an audio recording of about six seven minutes long discussing his collection and how he put it together and the issues he's got with it so, so thanks very thanks very much that his real name is blake bundy so uh thanks very much for that blake the audio um interview was it was absolutely brilliant and he's just uh listened to one of our episodes recently as well he's given us some great feedback on that so thanks very much for your support blake and i hope you enjoy the interview because just as much as we've enjoyed looking at your collection my name is blake bundy i'm a kentucky native and i obviously love star wars to put things in perspective as far as my star wars fandom i was born in 1989 and by the time the Power of the Force 2 line hit, alongside the special edition releases and a handful of video games, Star Wars rocked my world. My father was a collector, and even throughout the 90s, he owned his own hobby shop. He collected the Turtles, X-Men, Jurassic Park, Star Wars, among others, but eventually got out of toys and more into historical war gaming. I too stepped away from toys and Star Wars for the most part after I got into middle school and high school. What the prequels did to my enthusiasm doesn't need to be addressed. I guess it was just the final nail in the coffin. Years later, after graduating college and getting back into collecting retro video games, I ran to a wall of red and green carded three and three quarters of an inch figures at a local comic shop, and naturally, I grabbed a few. Months later, I nearly had all the carded figures available between 95 and 98, stopping with the freeze frames since the following lines, like the flashbacks and the Comtex, had no repackaging of any figures from the original Power of the Force 2 line. In total, there are 82 individual molds, most having more than one card or mold variation. Counting all variations, I'm nearly 80% of the way there. Fast forward to 2014 when I ran into a little documentary called Plastic Galaxy. Steve Sansweet, Gus Lopez, and others just blew my mind with their knowledge and collections. I dove in. I immediately bought every Star Wars action figure guide available 
and more recently the Netflix show, The Toys That Made Us, delivered even more information I had yet to learn. Also, I found a collector on YouTube, Jeff Jacobs, that had a collection that covered everything vintage. He showed nearly every card variant, every loose variant, every box vehicle, creature, playset, and so on. His videos also taught me a lot. The story of Kenner acquiring the Star Wars license after no one had faith in a movie-to-toy adaptation was enthralling to say the least. From the gamble of the early birds set to the lore of the rocket-firing Boba Fett, everything I had seen, heard, or read about Kenner's story truly intrigued me, especially since I live within one hour from Cincinnati. Once I realized the importance across pop culture that these figures represented, I knew if I was going to call myself a Star Wars collector, I had to have the 12 backs. From card art to figure scale, they are just a total package. Once I checked the pricing on them, I almost gave up day one. The prices and availability were just too daunting. Up until then, I'd only spent around $100 on any given collectible in my room. I made a lot of money on my Pokemon and basketball cards, as well as action figures mainly from the 90s like Power Rangers, Batman, Turtles, and so on. I did the math and found out I was looking at maybe two figures a year, and so in about six years, I would have them all done, counting on birthdays and Christmases as being my major leverage points on helping me get the figures. This was mid-2014. The way I went about it in the beginning involved creating notifications for every figure with filters weeding out reproductions or highly priced figures. I decided I wanted to spend around $500 for each figure after looking at sold prices and quality. When the first one popped up in my range and I had the money, I immediately grabbed it. It was an R2 12-back B, I think. It had two bubble cracks, but overall, it was in great shape. And like a comic, it had that vintage smell. I was hooked. I went to a bunch of comic cons in my area over the years, and nearly every comic shop I could find. And I never saw a vintage carded figure in the wild. I've seen tons of loose figures, but no 12-backs. So eBay became my sole outlet. I also tried Facebook groups and a few forums, but nothing proved to be as fruitful as eBay. Over the years, I was able to score a few ungraded 12-backs for around 250 bucks to 275 They were more common figures like the Sandperson, Sandtrooper, and Cloth Jawa, but I was still super excited nonetheless. Most others I spent closer to $500 like I originally planned, including the Death Squad Commander, Leia, C-3PO, Chewie, R2, and surprisingly Obi-Wan Invader. The hardest of the group were without a doubt Luke and Han. In order to get my hands on each of those, I spent in the range of $700. Like I mentioned, I hadn't been looking for the top condition figures, although I do have 5 AFA 50s through 60s. As long as the bubble is sealed, the pop is there, and the card is presentable, I would grab it. If someone wanted to go after their own set, the first thing I would tell them is to communicate with sellers. Like saving for anything else, make goals, and take advantage of any opportunities that will help you along the way. I planned for 6 years, but it only took me around 4. You will have to make sacrifices. I had to let go of a lot of my most prized pieces of my collection. There were times when I almost gave up, to be honest. Once I ran out of things to sell, Han and Luke seemed unobtainable. Having to return a couple of repos or recarded figures, I often thought about selling the 9 or 10 that I did have and investing more into the Power of the Force 2 series or recollecting some of the things I had let go. The turning point for me had to be when I saw the trailer for the Netflix series I mentioned before, The Toys That Made Us. When it released in December, I guess you could say it re-sparked the flame. I was just too close to give up now. I knew how many Star Wars collectors were out there, and how few of them had any of the 12 backs at all. I wanted to enter that elite group. My plan of attack on these higher-end figures consisted of finding a buy-it-now or best-offer listing that was just out of my range and contacting the seller. 
I would be honest with them and give them the exact amount I had available for an offer. I'm not sure if it was the honesty or the immediate payment that worked, but I ended up scoring the Han. Luke was a miracle. It was an act of the force, if you will. When I got Han, I had been bidding on a Luke that I thought would go above what I could spend anyway, so I just forgot about it. Like I thought, I was outbid and cleared to commit to the Han fully. I did, so we packed it up and shipped it out the next morning. Later that day, I was contacted by the seller of the Luke. He told me that the fellow who outbid me backed out of the purchase and made me an offer that was much lower than the last bid I'd made. I told him my situation having just purchased Han, and he agreed to hold the Luke explaining that he wasn't in a rush to get rid of the figure. Just glad to see it going to another collector and would hold it for me. I would keep in contact with him, and just over a month later, I was able to pay for the figure. At this point, having completed the 12, I have three I would like to upgrade at some point. My R2, Leia, and Obi-Wan have some bubble cracks, but aren't too bad. The guy that sold me the Luke actually has a couple of them he is holding for me down the road. I'm in no rush to upgrade, to be honest. The grind has been rough, and it's time to take a break on the high-end collectibles. Next, I would like to complete my loose vintage collection. I had a carded Empire Yoda, but flipped it on my path for the 12. For now, I think I'm done with vintage carded figures, to be honest. I'll be going after most major loose US variations, but not everything. I already have 9, counting a Rancor and Java. I will also be completing the Power of the Force 2 variations, and maybe the boxed items, just to make sure I cover every possible figure mold. They're cheap these days, so it won't be that hard of a struggle. Anyways, guys, I really appreciate you guys having me on the show. Thanks for listening to my story, and may the Force be with you. Right then, another great, great collection there, Rich. Good, uh, good spot. They want a wonder. Bye. Over onto Facebook, where uh, Pete has been trawling through the Imperial Commissary Group, and he came across a Gary Borbridge post with his 12-inch Luke Skywalker best bin transparency, and I'm well aware that Pete has got untolds of information on this. Pete. Untolds <laughs> 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 of information? Interesting. Um, I did speak to Gary about this. Cause you know me, I do like a nice doll. Uh, out there <laughs> and uh just to uh, uh let our listeners know pete uh, collects barbie dolls and oh, poses absolutely. them and posts them on instagram and to his friends fate into fanzine article stories <laughs> true. But, uh, no, it, it was just a, it was an interesting find it is just the the transparency so yeah it was just uh, i've always been interested in the 12 inch figure because my first ever star wars toy was of course 12 inch luke skywalker and uh and i was i was i was real upset they never really kind of went with the, the rest of the films they kind of left it with um with star wars and didn't really go any further and, and we have covered this in the past on the uh on the podcast various other outfits that they kind of came up with and i mean leah has a kind of disco set going on and uh there's also uh, unproduced made prototypes of the best been one and all that sort of stuff just out of interest can you remember what the difference was between this uh mock-up and the earlier french meccano mock-ups Anyone remember what the, the main difference was? Well, we covered it a long time ago. Stu were probably bound to tell me which podcast episode it was, but we did cover it. And remember what was the main difference was on the outfit? Colour of the coat. Close. Anyone else? Major difference. The boots. The boots. They, yeah, they, well, to spoil it for you, I'm going to put you out your misery. They were kind of like folded over bits of material. They weren't actually boots, which is a bit odd. If you ever see the picture of those, they are quite amusing. They, they couldn't even find a boot. They thought they might use like an action man boot or something to, to do it. But um, so, yeah, I mean, Gary picked this 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 transparency up. But he also t- went on to tell me that um, he did actually own 
the plaster mock-up of the original boot, which I have uh, shown a picture to the guys. Uh, but he has since moved that on, unfortunately. But uh, he, him and a bunch of friends came across it. So um, they, they did get down to a certain certain place with this with this actual development. Um, actually, the hard copy itself. So very interesting. And uh, I'll put that on the Facebook groups. But it got me thinking, actually. And we actually started talking about this, me and Gary, about... It was such a shame they didn't go further with the 12-inch figures because you're thinking other toy lines like Six Million Dollar Man and obviously G.I. Joe and Action Man and, and, and Barbie itself, they could have really made a killing on on what they could have made available because you're thinking pretty much that the, the toys didn't need to change. But you could have still released you know, a Luke Bespin, a Luke Jedi, a Luke Training thing, a Han Solo, Hoth, a Han, you know, whatever. Um, obviously, I had a bunch of outfits. And it, it just seemed a real, real kind of missed opportunity, what they could have done, because you could have released the outfits in their own packaging and they could have released you know the actual toy with the outfit itself so i also think that that was, that was a missed opportunity it was going to be there wasn't it we've, we've covered this before haven't we that second yeah, wave yeah, obviously definitely. sales have just caused the problem of them just to pull it so because some of those second wave like the lando is amazing and the best bin luke it is, but I mean, it, it, it's kind of bizarre that they put it because you think it's some of the. Like, I don't know if you guys remember the six million dollar man range. I mean, over in the UK, we didn't have a great deal, but in the States stuff, they actually released all sorts of crazy packaging um, and you know other sets. I mean, you, you, you're thinking with a 12 inch, they could have easily gone down the hand solid carbonite um, center, which um, they did a sort of similar thing with six million dollar man with his kind of like weird chamber kind of set. They they really could have gone for it. I mean, but so with six million dollar man line. And your early GI Joes and stuff on there. All of the, all of the figures were twelve inch, wasn't it? But Star yeah, Wars yeah. bought in that three and three quarter inch size, which kind of killed that big dull uh, market. Really, if you if you look at toys after that, those yeah, that's, I mean, that size figure kind of died with the six million dollar man. Really. Well, I mean, I think also the GI Joe. GI Joe went from a doll to a, an action figure, and that's exactly, where it, yeah. Action Man kind of had his best day didn't it before star wars in the 70s and stuff it's i mean the fact that they still make 12 inch figures for you know star wars toys i mean they're, they're, they come out all the time for for all the new films and ever since the episode one toys and also we had the the collector's versions what they call the collector's versions um in the sort of early 90s they they kind of went back to it and it, it does seem even more now I mean, considering you had like Barbie was an enormous seller and that was still a 12 inch doll. But um, it, it is strange how it just went right. I'm not going down that route. But then they did return to it. I mean, they're still churning out 12 inch Star Wars figures today. It, you know, I'm, I'm assuming it's not a massive market, but they're still doing it. So it's a bit of a shame that they, they, they didn't go down that, that route. But um, it, it was nice to see that little transparency. It's a beautiful little shot. It's it's the it's the slightly later version. I mean, it, it seems the early prototype ones said were the french meccano ones where they had some interesting clothing decisions but yeah it's a nice little piece from gary there so well done gary all right well you owe me one and not for saving your skin for the 10th time so before we move on to our final show piece as we've put in the show notes here we're going to look at one more piece from a facebook group over on the 12 back group john lenhart has put up a beaten up model trim at luke skywalker which rich fell in love with and wants to discuss rich yeah, obviously, you know, metal, metal trim items are quite rare. But what really caught me eye was the fact that when you said beaten up, you, you meant, you know, absolutely, really forcibly beaten up. But it wasn't, you know, something that could just be dismissed as a knackered item because it was still together and it had its weapon. And I thought, how the hell does something get so played with and still be, you know, together in one piece? 
So I contacted him and I said, you know, what information do you have about this? And he said, I purchased it from Carlos Eduardo. It goes by Brazilian Toy Hunt now on eBay. And he sold quite a few glass to model trims over the years. It's pretty rare and even more so with the box, which unfortunately I don't have. He then said that the accessory came with the lightsaber was actually a Q-tip, or as we call them, cotton buds. And that's what they used back then for some of the sabers that painted them, the painted Q-tips, and used them. And I'd never heard that before at all. And at first I thought, no, he's taking the mickey out, but he says, no, I'm genuinely being honest. It's, uh, you know, they literally did use a cotton bud and some of the variants. Absolutely awesome. And he said he has a Luke Farm Boy Focus, and he collects all the variants that he can find, and he's still looking for a PPB. I just thought that was absolutely amazing. So I, I never knew that at all. I never knew that some of the lightsabers were, were Q-tips that were painted. Also focusing back on model trims, coincidentally, um, on Fanthatracks, a guy called Sergio Lopez from Brazil, he posted an article on model trims. There was a bit in there that I looked at and I thought, you know what, I've never heard this before either, so what are model trims made out of, guys? Lead, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was led to believe as well. Obviously, I know some were made of resin, like the Gamorian God, but in his article, he's written, it was there that model trim made moulds of the original figures and produced replicas basically in lead. However, this is different to what should be believed. Many toys were actually not produced in lead, and they're actually produced in an element called Zamak, spelled Z-A-M-A-C. Not soldiers and neither model trains are produced in lead. After 1960, lead was abolished in the production of toys and replaced by Zamak because of intoxication of lead. Let's just say that after the decade of 60, Nothing was produced in lead. Some of these figures also had parts produced in resin or totally, totally in resin. Never heard that before at all. I didn't even know what Zamak is. So I went and done some Google searching on what Zamak is. And it's a kind of, it's an alloy of different metals, um, aluminium, I think copper and possibly brass is in it as well. So you would think that a guy who was actually born in Brazil, who is Brazilian, who bought these toys back in the day, would actually know his stuff, and he's adamant that they were not lead. So if anybody's got any more information on that, I'd love to hear about that, because not just us, every collector, all of the Star Wars websites that I've ever read, all say that model trim figures are made in lead. He says they're not. So, That's really interesting, Rich. My only thought would be, and I'm absolutely not disputing him, because I know nothing about trim, is that, because this is more of the unofficial end of the market, you wonder whether they would have been so concerned about what they made it out of, because it, it shouldn't have been for sale anyway, and it was in danger of getting removed, then who cares what they make it, make it out of? But, I mean, that makes sense. That's, that's, that's brilliant top info. Yeah, and and it's true asked me about prices for them. The, these are incredibly rare. There was nothing appearing on eBay. All I could find on Model Trem sold were things like um, a Luke X-Wing that had gone for pretty much close to a £1,000 from memory. Um, and that didn't come with a box, it was just a figure. Uh, another figure had went for about £300, and um, that was incomplete as well. So these are incredibly rare, expensive things. So so good on you, uh, good on you, John Lenhard. I'm really, really pleased that you got that model trim, and I'm, I'm really, really pleased that you took that photograph and stuck it up on there, because I've learned you know a little bit about what you said from Q-tips or cotton buds, and then also picking up on Sergio's article as well about Zamak. It's, it's what it's all about. It's all about learning. Yeah, I think we've all learned something new there. We can all take something away with us there and uh, say, hey, it was a worthwhile session this evening. Great pick up, John. Great, great pick out, Rich. Sounds a bit <laughs> Janet and John. <laughs> the report is only a fragment from a probe droid in the hot system. It's the best lead we've had. We have thousands of probe droids searching the galaxy. I want proof, not leads. The visuals indicate life problems. It could mean anything. If we followed up every lead, but, we could... Uh, the hot system is supposed to be devoid of human forms. You found something? Yes, my lord. 
That's it. The rebels are there. My lord, there are so many uncharted settlements. It could be smugglers, it could that be... That is the system. And I'm sure Skywalker is with them. Set your course for the Hoth system. So, on to the final showpiece, and Jez always picks out a vehicle, and I know he likes his vehicles, and was probably a little bit uh, a little bit worried about what we were going to select on this. So, I thought I'd go with a playset, and it just so happened, when I was looking through the old pages, Richard picked up a piece to complete a set. Rich, could you just give us a bit of background to that? It's what I talked about in the last show, wasn't it? The Hoth Ace Planet um, adventure set. Yeah, and you had picked up uh, I think you needed the ATAP bit on the back. What I'd done was I'd bought the cardboard backdrop from Gary Smith because he'd had it at every father's farm for like, you know, 10 years. And it was just looking sad and depressed. And I felt sorry for Gary. And I, I went and bought it off him just to get it off his table. And it's just sat in the corner of me collecting room, you know, gathering dust. And a couple of years had gone by and Bill Cable had posted a complete adventure set but the cardboard backdrop on his was absolutely destroyed. So I bought that one, shipped it over uh, via Ian Sanderson to um, to here, and I've between everything that I had, I've put actually a pretty decent looking set. So the part that I got from Bill Cable, which was the, the elevator and the, the base and the, radio, the laser cannon, all of them are absolutely immaculate. And then I managed to cobble it together using Gabby's backdrop with parts of Bill's attached part of Gary's attached and put it together and there's only perhaps a little bit in the top left hand corner that's peeling away in a small tab one of the hanger tabs apart from that it's, it's an absolutely fantastic condition didn't didn't spend a lot of money on it at all so really pleased with it yeah it's nice obviously it's a it's a great set and um a bit of a rehash pete uh, rehash the base what's it rehashed of uh the jower sandcrawler set the land of the jowers is the word you're looking for that's the one land of the jower set thing <laughs> <laughs> covered white this time but uh that one obviously had the sand crawler cardboard cut out so looking at these sets first of all what what are we all thinking about this are we liking it do we think it's i've got to say to you i'm not a, you're not a I'm, fan I'm, okay. because it looks a bit squished i mean the legs are out of proportion and the body's all over the place i mean compared to like you know the toy it oh it's just doesn't matter then. i can't look at it i like the base liking the base i could do that but the whole elevator and the just oh no cardboard at that not a fan it looks good but it's the, the deformity that does me in sorry just, just me it was released the same year as the attack i believe this came out in 1981 does that sound right for the attack or was the attack yeah attack was 81 as well this was had a 10 dollar mark on it so this could have been for those parents that couldn't afford the attack but their child wanted one so we'll get you this uh squished up cardboard uh backdrop thing um as, as a toy side do you think do you think it's a good toy would you have got hours of play out of it as a kid no no, really not. Uh, the playsets, I love the design of the box of all the playsets, and I love the idea of the playsets and the graphics. But in terms of playability, they were they were pretty ropey, weren't they? Well, let's ask Rich, because uh, he likes, obviously, we, we looked at the land speeder last month, and he prefers a very basic toy to a more in-depth <laughs> toy. So, Rich, here we have something which hasn't got a lot of playability as a toy. Is this up your street, or would you rather have some Go Faster Stripes somewhere on it? You know what? I'm just about to stick up for you because Pete's insulted some something with deformities, and you know I, I was going to I was going to leap to your defence, but you can get stuff now, right? I actually think that the the radar cannon is a fantastic addition to it, and I know you're going to go well mini rigs. Yes, fine, fair enough, mini rigs, but you've just said they what ten dollars, so 
for ten dollars, you, you've got a mini rig there, uh, the Canon. You've also got a small little cave, which I think you know might be a useful feature. It's too small, obviously, to put a hot, uh, one power in anything like that. I think the the lift feature is utter crap, and it's the same on all the things. It's, it's totally pointless. Um, I can I can understand what they're trying to do, but it, it is rubbish. And I think if any kid. Certainly, if I had played with any of these as a kid, I would have wrecked them. You know that the cardboard would be destroyed. It, you know, just like the card box that would throw away from from card of figures. So for me, it's a far more of a collectible item because of the the beauty of it. Looking at it, you know, the backdrop's really nice. I agree with Pete that it is out of proportion, but there's there's not a lot they could have done about that if, unless it was going to be you know a real strange shape. But the snow speeder, the firing lasers. I like it to look at, but it's a toy. Nah, it's, it, it, it's not really that, you know, all that at all. Okay, so it's a bit like Jez as a podcaster. <laughs> what I will say is, I've got mine behind me, now. I've got um, a really, really nice box one, which, of course, Rich, you were looking at that farthest from when I snuck in them and uh, bought it off uh, yeah, you, you Andy, Andy Goulding. Of all people. You did. Yeah. You nearly, uh, you, you nearly banged your head on your testicles. You, you, you shot the <laughs> The thing I is, mate, you don't like boxed items. You'd have taken it out of the box, and the box would have thing. It's beautiful. So it's a beautiful example. So I love the box. Now, Si, I've asked you to look at the different boxes. Um, what have we got with regards to boxes? Well, what countries were these come out in? Strictly speaking, I think there were only two boxes, which was the, the Kenner US and the Kenner Canada. They added on the US one, there was the, the yellow special offer sticker that you got a free snow trooper with it. They added a different special offer sticker to the Canada one, which was a, a Sears exclusive up there. And then they went out, and there's the example on the Star Wars collector's archive actually where it's got the original special blue one imperial stormtrooper and there's a new sticker over the top that's now you get three mini action figures it doesn't say what the mini action figures are and the collector's archive doesn't actually say what the mini stickers what the mini figures are either but it, it could be a hoth rebel soldier and who knows what but anyway so, strictly speaking, there are only two boxes, but there are various sticker combinations that you can have. So, about five or six if you're going to put the variant boxes as a run. Yeah, I think it, that that would probably that would probably cover it end to end, mate. Do you know what uh, what what countries this was sold in? Uh, as far as I'm aware, US and Canada. So we didn't get it in the UK. No, the only place that we got were the more the the Star Wars series, really, weren't they? So the, you got the the Land of the Jowers the cantina playset and the droid factory all of which were palatoy's own recreations let's not forget the wonderful death star uh, palatoy's recreations of the more plastic intense ones by by empire time uh we didn't right you're gonna make me look like an idiot now but i don't think we got any after that did we and the, bear in mind that a lot of these, I mean, look at the Cloud City. It was it was pretty much entirely cardboard, and yet Palatoy didn't touch it. So, uh, Rich, is, sorry, is... Before you go into that, I just want to go somewhere else, right? I bought uh, the other Hoth play set from Gary Bobridge, coincidentally. When he sent it to me, it came with three figures. And I wonder if it's the same three figures that came with the uh, the Hoth adventure set that we were just talking about. And those three figures were R2, Sensorscope, Hoth Luke, and the Adat Commander. So I wonder if those th- same three figures made a few different sets. Interesting. I'd, I'd be surprised, because I would have expected in this, certainly, because one, it features so heavily on the front of it, uh, and two, the original sticker was 
with one free Imperial Stormtrooper, I'd be amazed if the three figures over the top of it, they'd removed the Stormtrooper and added three new figures to it. But interesting. And it was the same base again, wasn't it? They used this base, it was from the Land of the Jowers, used on this one, and then used again on the, the Echo base playset, the Rebel base playset. Yeah. Was there any ever any um, variance when it comes to the items inside the box, Rich, or was it always the same standard setup? As far as I'm aware, it was the same set, setup, except for, as, um, as I said, uh, the figures that were included, everything else was identical. Right, so it was... Uh, I'm, I'm assuming this didn't last very long as, as it being for sale. Sorry, mate, correct us if I'm wrong. Weren't all three versions released in the same year? I don't know, mate. I didn't look further than that. So what, the the, the, um, the one with the one free figure, well, no free figures, one free figure, then three free figures. Yeah, like I, think, I think they're all the same yeah, year. Yeah, the, I, I did pick that up. I'm sure somewhere I saw a date on the wonderful... Star Wars Collectors Archive, referring to 1981. Um, some differences. There was a picture on Rebel Scum of the two next to each other. It looks like the only difference was it looks like there's a, there's a kind of a, a chin, a, a side gun painted on the Kenner US one, which wasn't, wasn't on the Kenner Canada one. Oh, and there's also yes. slightly coloured legs yeah. on the Kenner Canada one. There's, there's a few little artistic differences, nothing major. That was on the Clive cast, that, yeah. Well remembered, Peter. Yeah. Uh, well, what about um, the art on the box, Sai? Always remain the same? Yeah, the the box looks identical. The, obviously, being the Canada edition, it had, what, Limpa, Contra Attack, or whatever it is. But it was the same artwork. Interesting. Well, although its appeal is quite limited as a toy, they did actually produce an advert in America, so have a little gander at that. An all-terrain walker! It's invaded Hoth! From Kenner's Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection, new Hoth ice planet that you put together. You can make the elevator go up or down. Hoth! New Imperial Stormtrooper, Rebel Soldier, and Han Solo action figures each sold separately. Get him, Han! When you push the action lever, Stormtrooper falls. Now's my chance to sneak in. I'll cover you with the radar laser cannon. Hoth ice planet from Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection. Action figures each sold separately. New from Kenner. Pete, so these boys, these boys are to me feel seem a little bit uh, meh with the kind of as as a toy and things. But as a set, I'm sure you've done some prices for me. But also, I'd like you to have a look at the parts because this came with several bits and pieces that could come off this, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, I've had a look at eBay, and there's not, it's not, there's not much enthusiasm for it. Um, obviously, you know, they got the car, the backdrop, and the cardboard bit, which you know, if you can find it. But the, the price-wise, the, the, it's it's quite a lackluster set price-wise. I mean, it hasn't been. I mean, there's been uh, versions of this, as in sales of this, over the last three years on Star Wars Tracker, for example, and there hasn't been much movement. When it comes to a sealed box set, I mean, the highest price is around about the £300 mark. The, the, I can't find any graded examples, so no one's put it in a, in a box and I've found a good good sample of it. But for a, you know, a loose set, you're looking it ain't between 30 to 70 quid in terms of versions, as in terms of quality. And uh, for a box set, and I'm only talking about the Kenner America one, um, you're talking for a complete box set around about 95 to 100 pounds. And if you said if you can get it sealed or in a lovely box, maybe even graded, you're talking just over 300 and that is that is kind of the ceiling to it. There was one sale of a Kenner Canada box version, and that went for 220 quid, and that was, uh, again, complete in a box. But... I mean, I've looked over the, the the three years of sales, and the the kind of median is is right at the bottom there. I mean, I mean, all the sales are you know between the naught to hundred pound mark, 
not much movement. Uh, you can pick up the odd bargain. It's, it's something that doesn't get you excited. <laughs> excited. And I couldn't find too many examples of um, some of the loose bits either. Obviously, the, the radar dish thing, you can pick up from mini-rig stuff. I don't know if there's any differences there. There might have been a bit of a colour difference, but um, the moving little wheel thing, just, I, I haven't found any bases or anything like that at all. I'm not really have sold in it. And, and if anything does go, it goes for not a great deal. <laughs> There's not a demand out there for them, Sally. It doesn't look like there were actually that many either. Um, I've, I've got to say though, it, um, the item dressed up in its in its box uh, is a far more attractive proposition than the actual item itself. It is quite a nice, you know, dramatic box art. I think, you know, obviously of the of the actual piece itself. But um, yeah, lackluster stew. Lackluster. Yeah, kind of. Uh, not a lot of inf- info on it, but I know Sai has got quite a lot of info because i've asked him to have a look at pre-production items and i'm pretty sure that he's delved deep into this and he's got quite a bit of information for us to to offer up here mate f- frankly i i don't think we've got enough hours left in the day for me to tell you everything i found about so i think we'll probably i don't want to do a half-assed effort here so i think i'll probably just say nothing you found nothing we've got <laughs> i found absolutely diddly did you look little bit not much because you know what is it there's nothing there's nothing at all there's no there's no crowlings for the box there's no none of the paper parts would have survived anyway in terms of pre-production stuff and the base that was pre would have been pre-production for the land of the jowers not for this i can tell you that the radar laser cannon which pete mentioned mentioned isn't the same as the latter one it's a different sculpt entirely that's your lot interesting rich um you're more likely to have uh... Yeah. On your homework. Yeah. The only thing I'm aware of is a photo that was on the SWCA uh, of one that was set up a Typhae. Uh, it's a very old photograph and it was one of the salesmen who set up one of these sets and then he has a couple of other Hoth Empire figures that are scattered around. But other than that, I haven't seen a thing. Hopefully the Vintage Alliance can actually rescue us here. So let's go over to the Vintage Alliance and see what they have come up with to offer up on this. Hey guys, Ron Salvatore here from the Star Wars Collector's Archive. I'm checking in for the Vintage Rebellion Alliance. Stu told me the topic this month is the Hoth Ice Planet Adventure set. Now it's very hard to say, so I'll probably stumble over it several times. Hoth Ice Planet Adventure set. It's my favorite boring playset. For those of you who don't know what the Hoth Ice Planet Adventure set is, it's the action figure playset with the plastic base and the cardboard backdrop showing an image of the Adat on Hoth. Uh, the playset also came with a small plastic radar laser cannon. It was released in 1980, right as The Empire Strikes Back hit theaters. Now, if you pay more attention to things than SWCA podcast host Sky Payne, you know that the Ice Planet utilized the base packaged with the Land of the Jawas playset. The Land of the Jawas had been released the previous year in 1979. The big difference was that the base on the Hoth set was molded in snowy white rather than sandy yellow. As you may be aware, the Land of the Jawa set featured a backdrop showing a sand crawler. By simply developing a new backdrop, Kenner created an entirely new toy. Though the quality of that toy is somewhat debatable. Frankly, I think it was pretty poor. Okay, I know that some of you out there are going to get all upset because I called it poor. Your mom bought the playset for you as a kid and you have fond memories of playing with it as a four-year-old right before you pooped your pants and you ate paste. But let's put nostalgia aside for a second and agree that, as playsets go, this was hardly the Death Star or Ewok Village. Honestly, it didn't even live up to the Land of the Jawas. If the Land of the Jawas was Arthur Fonzarelli, the Hoth Ice Planet was Chachi. The earliest Ice Planet uh, prototype known is a concept model of the toy, which showed up on some catalogs as well as on the reverse of the 31-back action figure blister card. 
you can get you can see a good photo of uh, this prototype on the Star Wars Collector's Archive. The base of the model, as you is what you'd expect, a white version of the Land of the Jawas base. It's the other details that make it interesting. The first of those interesting details is the radar la laser cannon. Uh, if you look closely at the photo of the prototype, you'll see that the, the radar laser cannon is handmade. It also looks quite crude. Uh, let's just say that it's cracking, not in the normal sense of that term, but in the sense that it might crack if you touched it. Secondly, the artwork on the backdrop differs markedly from that on the production version of the toy. Among other things, the guns that normally appear on the side of the AT-AT's head are totally missing. Remember that because it's a detail that will be important later. Now, to turn this discussion in a more personal direction, I have hanging in my collection area a large piece of art that never fails to confuse collectors who visit me. They tend to ask me what it is, even though, as collectors, they should know. It's the actual art used to generate the backdrop for the Ice Planet playset. It may confuse visitors because it doesn't include the three-dimensional ADAT portion of the backdrop. It shows only the snow battle that's occurring in the background. The ADAT portion would have been done uh, via other pieces of artwork. The item is about twice the size of the backdrop as it was eventually produced and is composed from mixed media. Uh, it looks like it was created using a lot of airbrushing and hand drawing with colored pencils. Interestingly, several elements were created separately and then pasted onto the illustration board. These elements include the pink and green lasers, which are actually separate pieces of paper that were meticulously cut out and pasted onto that backdrop. Now, a few years ago, some of the history of Kenner's development of this toy was revealed when someone shared the archive database entry from my playset on one of the Facebook groups. At that point, collector Matt Fox pointed out that the art on the Canadian version of the set differs very slightly from that on the U.S. version. What's up with that? Did the Canadians repaint it for some reason? I think a repaint is unlikely. The American and Canadian versions match each other too closely for it to have been entirely redone. I believe what happened here is that the Kenner Canada toy was produced using a version of the art that was not yet complete. Kenner must have sent Kenner Canada an early version, and it was that early version that ended up being used in Canada. Back in America, additional alterations were made to the art, and it was the altered version that was used in the States. As collector Scott Bradley has pointed out, it was common for Kenner Canada to get early developmental and marketing materials from the American parent company, so it's not entirely surprising that their Ice Planet playset used a, a working version of the backdrop art. Uh, this hypothesis is supported by the lack of guns on the sides of the adept heads in the Canadian art. If you remember back to my, the early part of my discussion, that is, before you fell asleep, I mentioned that the concept model of the Ice Planet featured an ADAT that was missing just these guns. So the idea that the Canadian art is early is consistent with the appearance of the toy's earliest prototype. I love it when a plan comes together. By the way, you can read more about this discovery on the SWCA blog. I believe the post was published in August of 2015. In America, the Ice Planet was available for only about a year, and for much of that time it was the only way for kids to get their hands on toy representations of the ADAT and razor, radar laser cannon. Uh, the independent toy versions of those implements didn't hit store, store shelves until much later. Well, not much later, but uh, significantly later anyway. In the holiday season of 1980, Kenner offered department stores a special version of the Ice Planet that came packaged with a hot stormtrooper. That's a pretty rare item and a valuable one as well. The special offer items were always uh, hotly sought after by collectors. Not to be outdone, those wily, those wily Canadians released a version that came with three figures, hot stormtrooper, Luke X-Wing, and the Rebel Soldier. That was in 1981, when the Ice Planet was no longer a current item. It was exclusive to Sears Canada, also a very hot item. If you find one, uh, you either get lucky or you're probably going to pay a significant amount of money. 
I think that about wraps up our look at this, the Empire Strikes Back playset you got for Christmas of 1980 if your mom was too poor to afford the Star Destroyer. I hope you enjoyed it. Keep up the good work with the podcast. I'm sure we'll catch up later. Luckily, the Vintage Alliance kind of saved this topic this month, but there is um, obviously a bit of information, but quite a limited playset with limited variations and limited playability. Um, wasn't quite the playset that... Wow, can you imagine opening that up at Christmas? I reckon many children may have been a little bit upset. But lads, it has been a, a much shorter NA, and uh, but we've seen some great, great, great things in there. You know, we we haven't actually had many toy things, have we? Just like random toys, the the beaten up trim and the the two pack and the cups. Some some great, um, great, great offerings of transparency. But boys, well done. We're gonna have to do it again next month because Jez is basically he's just. He can go to the gym and he can he can promote running stormtrooper. He hasn't got time to talk to us boys, which is hurtful. We're going to move on to Pete's section because he's going to carry on having a little look at Hoff. section on the podcast where we continue the discussion from the end of newest acquisitions where we focus on an item in a bit more detail this section covers other non-action figure related items to hopefully inspire you to look into a different area to complement your star wars collecting we've been a little detrimental to hoth ice planet adventure set but if you were a child of the 80s and your mother loved getting a copy of the woman's day magazine there was a way to build your own utterly epic version of the hoth scenes the playsets featured in the magazines had no official Lucasfilm license, aside from using Star Wars figures as props to sell the build to the eyes of imaginative kids. The Planet Hoth set consisted almost entirely of sheets of plastic foam, which needed to be cut, glued, and then mounted onto a base of corrugated cardboard. The rear of the set included mock computer banks, as well as a docking bay area. Shoelaces were used to simulate maintenance hoses. Other sections simulated ice chambers and tunnels, which could serve as either echo-based corridors for some Leah and Han romancing, or, if she got bored of his chat-up lines, the princess could launch our favourite scoundrel off the personnel launcher. Ah! Having had a look at this, I was thought, I might have a go at building this, but having looked at the instructions, I maybe, maybe won't. Simon, I believe you've been thinking about making this. Now, what have you made of, of how to put this together? Uh... I think Tesla's rocket would have probably been easier, to be honest with you, Pete, because you've seen the, the plans and the prints for this, haven't you? I mean, they are available on the SWCA website, so we'll also have links in show notes. But it's uh, it just looks fabulous. I mean, it's something you, if you saw now, it would cost about $500. When are you going to start undertaking this project? I am going to undertake this project in June, and I'm going to build everything that appears few sourcing problems with some of the parts there's there's really old style pop bottles that have got the black round separate bases and all the rest of it that's going to be a bit of fun but i want to keep it as original as possible 
I'm under no illusion. It's going to be a, a mammoth task, but it's going to be fun. Rich, I'm sure this this makes you excited because it's uh, something you you almost saw when you went to uh, Norway recently. Which which bit I talked about because uh, there's so much there. <laughs> I talked the personnel launcher, Rich. Come on, do you have you not seen the personnel launcher? Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's, like, it's just a big slate, isn't it? If it's a bit I'm thinking of. No, no, no. This is this is a, a thing you throw a figure on and it bounces. It's made from a rubber glove and an embroidery hoop. <laughs> um, I suppose if the lake was bouncy, it might work like that. <laughs> what, what other toys even attempted to do the Wampers Lair, where you can actually attach the figures to the ceiling and have them hanging down? And this, and this even preceded uh, actually having the Wampa toy. So uh, you could you could play as Luke hung upside down from the cave, but uh, it was pre-Wampa. So probably, Sam said that, it probably took about two years to build anyway. When you've released this, what are you going to do with it? When you've built this... Are you looking to sell it when you've done it? Or are you going to keep it in your man cave? I, I think if my wife has anything to do with that, I'll be living in it, Pete. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. In short, I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do, see how it turns out, and then decide from there what happens to it. If anyone has actually made this ever, please, please let us know. Now, I think that I believe there was someone who's actually built one of the, the other sets who was showing it off on, uh, on various forums. But if you built the Echo Base center please let us know I, i'm dying to see how people have made this and of course you can give simon some tips well like don't do it <laughs> uh, the instructions are are staggering they are so detailed i mean this this is not some like stick a few bits of latex together or plastic or bricks or whatever this is this is going down to the t this is every measurement has been considered down to the half inch Simon, we will be judging this uh, for quality build as well, and Stuart will be living in it. <laughs> Can we try the personnel launcher? <laughs> you see, I, I wonder. I wonder what part of that did they think? Like, what what part of of throwing a figure into kind of like a rubber pool so he bounces off? Did they think that that feature in the film? I, I mean, it's a space trampoline. Let's face it. I mean, I wonder why. Did I miss a part of Empire Strikes Back where there was a space trampoline in it? I can't think. No, there wasn't. I'm just being silly. Crystal Magic's Return of the Jedi makes the action come alive. With Crystal Magic's Return of the Jedi Super Transfer Set, you get a big action board and over 150 Star Wars transfers to make the action come alive. In cereal boxes as a kid, you would get often get gifts. Now, I always remember the Star Wars ones with the, the electric set. I hate cereal, I have to say. I absolutely detested it. So I made my mom buy me cereal so I could get the electric set stuff so I could... Rub them off on the back of the cereal packets. And this brings me to the Ice Planet Hoth Presto Magics kit. Now, these aren't particularly too hard to get hold of. You can pick them up online, the, the sort of single packet ones. Now, guys, do you have any recollection of using these when you were kids, or, or were you just too young? I remember the Shreddies ones, the tiny little things, back of the packet, scratch it on, and that was it. I think it was about the same time as the funny little Weetabix guys that you could shrink in your oven but that, that's it those are the only star wars transfers i remember as a kid i absolutely love cereal i have a bowl of cereal every single day and there's no way on earth that i would not have got the shreddies transfers as a kid absolutely no way but i don't remember uh rubbing them off on the back of the cereal boxes what i do remember though is having some kind of exercise book or something like that or something that would perhaps i taped into a book and I remember rubbing the transfers off onto that, but other than that, I've got very, very little recollection of them. 
I remember doing it to great frustration. And the thing that used to drive me mad, if you didn't apply consistent pressure on the back, you'd, you'd put them in a place, you go, right, I'm definitely going to have that figure there on that, on that particular part of the base or in that snow. And then you rub it off and you can, I think it's, you can almost see it been laid down, but when you pulled it off, there'd be like a hand still attached to the sheet you put down. It was yeah, so, so yeah. frustrating. Or if you yeah. went too, too aggressive, you'd, you'd pull it off and there'd be like a wrinkled yeah. effect. When you pull it off, like, oh. I remember putting the transfer back on and trying to go back over it again and to, to join a half up or something like that. <laughs> and you get a bit of hand sort of like attached to a piece of body or anything. You guys collected any of those Presto Magic kits? Because, I mean, they, they seem to be really available in America. I mean, you go on eBay. They're everywhere. But over here, it seems to be a bit of a pain. I just wonder if you guys have picked any up. I did bring back, uh, I say bring back, bought on eBay and brought back from the States. Um, how many was it? Crikey. Must have been about 20 sets of the four. So the Ewoks, Jabbers, Sarlacc Pit, and whatever else the other ones. I don't know. Locking those out at about 18, 19 pounds for a set. They really are cheap as chips. So I've got those and I've got the some of the some of the lecture set loose sheets as I mentioned earlier in the in the show. But that's it. Not really gone in hard for the transfers. Just just got a few for old time's sakes. I like the big ones they do because they do a big Ewoks one, don't they? Yeah, because because I mean the bit of card kind of folds out quite long. Have a look at the Hoth base one uh, or the Hoth scene. It is, it is a battle scene, and the, there was <laughs> the colours are amazing. I mean, the, I don't know if you if you've seen it, but the the Atats are kind of green, and there's huge explosions. There's loads of laser blasts. I mean, it is a real proper battle, and rather bizarrely, and I don't remember this, but there's an enormous Atat foot in the middle of it all, so you, you kind of have to kind of place that quite well, otherwise it does look a bit odd, because it's not attached to anything, it's just the foot. But, I mean, it's just... I mean, I, I don't remember the sets, but, I mean, you know, that is that is a hell of a set. I'm, I'm going to hunt that down now, because that'll look great in my, uh, in my oddball Empire Strikes Back. was released by Craftmaster Fundamentions, a division of CPG Products Corp, a subsidiary of General Mills. They were well known for producing a number of Empire Strikes Back vinyl figurine acrylic panel paint-by-number sets in the early 1980s. You probably stumbled upon the figurines on eBay when doing vintage searches. The paint-by-number sets came in a couple of varieties. There was a crayon-based poster set, a number of glow-in-the-dark paint sets with a pot of glow paint, a colour and clean machine where a 50-inch continuous roll of Star Wars scenes could be rolled through a large viewer as you continue to colour in the artwork, and of course the classic scene sets, one of which was the Hoth Battle, a 10 by 14 inch panel with acrylic paints and a brush. So guys, I'm sure you all love paint-by-number sets, especially you, Rich. Couldn't stand them. Absolutely <laughs> detested them. Hated them, hated them as a kid, hated colouring books. Art was just not my thing. I do remember those tiny little paint, the tiny little pots with the with the lids, and you would open the lid, and like all ten pots would open from the same lid, kind of thing. But uh, no. you, even as a kid, I just was never interested in them. Rich, I think that says a lot about you. To be fair, the the artistic side of it. Sai, you're an artistic guy. You're a creative person. Come on, you must have you must have gone for these amazing paint by number sets in general. The Star Wars stuff was 
I was in North Wales. I was lucky to get a car to. It was crap. So I certainly didn't see any of this paint by numbers stuff or anything like that. Do you, you, none of you do paint by numbers as a kid. None of you at all. Yeah, but not Star Wars. No, ones. not Star Wars. I, you know, like a panda bear or something black and white. It was it was the cheaper version. Uh, there wasn't really much to do. No Star Wars. It was just nature stuff or boats or something like that. <laughs> boats. I've got to say, I've got to say, these, these sets, I think they do look better packaged up, I've got to say, because it, all, all it is is just, uh, I guess, almost like an A4, slightly bigger panel with, you know, it's basically a big bit of card, a uh, bunch of paints, brushes and instructions, and that's it, really. It's not the most complicated scene. But I, I, I had a little bit of a look at paint-by-numbers. I didn't realise that there were so many paint-by-numbers things out there, and it's actually like a whole industry. There's actually, online, if you want to check this out, there's a website called paintbynumbermuseum.com where someone has actually archived every single paint-by-numbers set you could get your hands on. There's a real history to it. It's absolutely incredible. I don't know if you've checked that link out, but I would definitely go on there and have a look. It's got all the Star Wars sets on there. Someone has, has spent an entire lifetime in collating paint-by-numbers because it is something that I think it has been parts of many people's childhoods. I mean, I mean even now... Um, there's been a bit of a comeback on colouring books for adults. I mean, I actually picked up a Star Wars one not too long ago because some of the, the line artwork was absolutely fantastic and I haven't coloured in anything as yet. I mean, that, is, that, is, that has been a huge growth industry, especially in, in the kind of like the adult hobby. Even my mum's got one. She's got a little book of uh, little drawings. She's just, just been, you know, colouring in. Have you guys taken this on as an adult? Nah. <laughs> Rubbish. Outpost Beta here. I have a visual now. These things look like animals. They're huge. Maybe 10, 15 meters high. Four-legged and, and their heads move. They're made out of metal. They have extremely heavy armor and armament. I count six of them so far. Walkers. Yes, your Highness, walkers. You've got Imperial all-terrain armor transports out there, Lieutenant. What's their speed? Well, they'll be within firing range of the perimeter in another minute or so. Hoth base must be extremely important, Your Highness. The Empire is employing its most powerful ground weapons today. Right. I imagine they intend this to be the final battle. Guys, I ask you all to come up with a Hoth-based item, because there is there is a, a certain amount of stuff out there. So let's start with you, Rich. What did you come up with that, that you maybe you own, or maybe something you desire? Right, well, I'm going to go with something that I own, but it was something that I'd bought that was nice, but after my recent visit to Hoth has now turned into something that I would could never ever part with. Oh. And it's the Turret and Probot uh playset. And it's not the base, because I'm not a massive fan of the base, but you know, I look at it and I think it, it serves its job. But taking both the turret and the probot to Hoth and taking photographs and shooting them in the snow has, has really elevated them to a new level. Uh, I don't buy the fact that some people see the Probot as a separate action figure by itself. It's part of the playset. Um, but you, you just have to appreciate how fantastic both of those items are. And every person who collects anything to do with Empire Strikes Back needs them in, in, their, in their collections. And, the, and they're available for quite cheap as well. I, th- I, I agree there, which I think that set is... I mean, that Probot is a, fa- a fantastic figure. That's one of the first kind of things I try to get quickly when I return to collecting because it was something a mate had and I always thought that's just the best thing ever I mean that really is an underappreciated action figure I think even though like you said it's not like a part of the loose figure run but it's a cracking set it really is superb I, I totally agree with you on that one 
I guess being from the north, you get a lot of snow all year round. So uh, will you be out there quite regularly now, Rich, playing with your, your Hoth-related item figures? Definitely will be. Apparently we're getting an Arctic Blask, or common the name for it now, something Vortex is supposed to be coming down <laughs> from the, from Norway. So uh, who knows, I might be able to recreate a lot of scenes again over the weekend. Mate, I, I saw that on the day after tomorrow, and you're all going to die horribly <laughs> in an instant, and your fuel's going to freeze and everything. Guys, because we 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 live in the warm south, when there is snow and it's very rare, I I have to admit I do take my hoth things out and have a little play and I take a few photographs. You know, I mean, it is something that you just have to do. You know, the attack comes out off the shelf. You know, if, you know, Wampa at least, especially a tauntaun, great for sticking his legs up in the middle of the snow and having a Wampa look like he's at, at his lunch. I mean, it is something which you know, even at my elderly age, I can't stop doing because it's just like. You know, no one's looking. Make sure the neighbours aren't watching me in the garden, flinging around action figures in the snow. It is, it is something special about it. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just strange. I've got a couple of little offerings which are quite obvious, actually, Pete. Now, straight away, I'm, I'm a Sigma collector, and for me not to bring up the Hoth-based items would be ludicrous. You've got go popping out the top of the turret. You've got the Luke on Tonton teapot. You've got the Snow Speeder toothbrush holder. Um, they're amazing pieces, and they're probably the best pieces from the Sigma range. So straight away, Hoff's, Hoff's got it covered. Even the mugs, you know, you've got Hand Hoff. One of the Sigma things I'd love to own, maybe one day, that would be one of them. I think you've also got to look at the micro collection. You had the Ion Cannon, didn't you, Set? Yep. The Womp Cave, the Turret Defence... Shield generator? Is the generator is it generator attack was it called? And then you had a snow speed which you could get. So that had Hoff pretty much covered, didn't it? If you wanted to buy them all, you could set make quite a quite a Hoff set up there. Just just be sure that they didn't do an ATA. It would have would have really, really nailed that down, wouldn't it? Or some parts of ATA. I wonder how much the scale an actual normal size ATA is to that. Couldn't be far yeah. off, could it? Yeah, no, it wouldn't have been too bad, I don't think. But you could always the, the, the third option, the third thing I wanted to give you was obviously the um, the ethics and the NPC kits. Mm, good now, call. You had the Rebel Base, which was a great scene, little snap together kit. That that really is a quality quality item. I mean, I've been hunting that one down because I've got a I've got the Dagobah NPC kit. Dying for that Rebel Base because it is it's got so much to it. There's so many ships in there and everything. It is absolutely superb. I think that's well, that is probably one of the best kits. I think. Um, I'm just going to throw in some fact out there. Actually, um, after the Hoth visit, the Atat, when it was originally designed, had the legs coming out of the side of the Atat. D- did you know that? No. And they couldn't make it, uh, and it wouldn't work in the movie with the tour cables. And it was a fairly late uh, design change to actually make the legs underneath the body, and it was it was meant to be much squatter and wider than what we actually got and I think it was a great decision to make the change yeah don't they um don't they come out the sort of more the side in the in the last Jedi they're a bit more kind of like gorilla like aren't they a bit more sturdy looking yeah, yeah. those are on steroids Rich that trip really did fill you full of information that was definitely worthwhile I love that wow what an amazing collection of interesting other Hoth based items and now the top five prized Hoth Ice Planet Adventure sets from StarWarsTracker.com. 
at five. Just like the decomposing mangled torn torn hand solo left rotting in the snow, this set too was missing some insides, but sold for £58. At four, the star of Empire Strikes Back radio dramas Mr. 2-1-B gave Luke a new hand. Like this set, he was still a bit loose but complete, but sold for £74. At three, hey Canadians, ask your local Mountie, whilst arresting Frisky Moose, to see if he can find any ESB Canada Complete Hoth Ice Plan Adventure sets, as there's only one on tracker for £220 in the last four years of data. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice, said Han to Lair when trying to woo her on Echo Base. It's the only mint-sealed Kenner set for £274. And at one, weirdly, a couple of daft wampers were willing to pull each other's arms off for this opened but complete set for £309. See you guys next time on the StarWarsTracker.com Top 5. Right, boys. <laughs> Gimcrack returns. Now, there's been a bit of a gap for Gimcrack because uh, it was we had too many podcasts too close together and no one really had a chance to get out there, spread their Gimcrack wings and return to me with absolute beauties. So, ooh, where shall I start? Now, I've seen Stuart's already. And it's a corker. Richard's a dark horse, as per usual. Uh, Jez has flaked out this month because he's just a flaky boy. But, uh, Simon, I'm going to give you the chance to impress because I believe you came with a late entry in your brain. So, Richard... (laughs) It wasn't a late entry, Pete. It was a well-timed entry. It was a topical entry, Good call. if you will. In the last 12 months, wallpaper has become more and more popular. Hence, Q Stu's encyclopedic knowledge of shows will give you the show number where it was the Empire, the brilliant Empire wallpaper was discussed at length. Uh, this is, whilst it's not my taste, I was never into droids and Ewoks. Uh, I wasn't aware of it at all as a kid, frankly. And I've got no particular love all the lines but this wallpaper is brilliant and it's not just one piece of wallpaper it's 10 freaking rolls of the stuff nine of which are still sealed up it's by crown star wars droids wallpaper and it's got lots of lovely images of 3po r2d2 and various droidy things which i don't understand because i've never seen any of the cartoons but I just thought it really nice, nice colours, nice artwork. The fact that it's there in such quantity as well. Ten rolls. Who just keeps ten rolls? There's not even an image on the collector's archive uh, of this stuff. There's a mention of it, but there's no picture of it. Yeah. It's brilliant. I checked with Mark Daniels, who is, let's face it, you know, one of the uh, leading experts in, in random stuff. He'd never seen it before. I'm a leading expert in wallpaper go back and listen to episode 34, where Grant discusses it with Chris Moore, who was a wallpaper artist. So 
maybe uh, do your research on your shows there, so I can give them some good knowledge. <laughs> I'm glad it's only taken you 15 minutes to find out which episode that was, Stu. That's uh, lightning quick. So, yeah, brilliant stuff. <laughs> can I, can I just, I'll, I'll say something, Pete? You know, oh. you, you ask us to bring Gimcrack, okay? You look right. at the things you, that have won it, like, like Rich bought those amazing lamps and those Jabba the Hutts and the rug. Um, you, you bought that amazing free pair statue, which didn't quite win. Um, didn't quite win, dump. it came last. This isn't, this isn't. I said it was good, but this month, Si, me and Rich can bring anything, and we know that we're going to beat you. Yes, <laughs> I know. I, you know what? I could bring anything, and I know that you're going to beat me. That's just, that's acceptable. Okay, order, that, order, that order, order. I do like the item, but I do see Stuart's point. It's not quite gimcracky enough. Richard, let's have your item. I did have an item, but I changed it Ooh. at the last minute for another one that I found. So mm. I'm going to stick the item in Skype Messenger. So unlike Sai, I don't know how to work it. I'm going to load up the contents of the box first so okay. you can get one of the points I'm going to lead to. Good, good, good. So that's appearing now. Ooh. Now look at the stickers. Well, okay. <laughs> don't say anything. Don't say anything. Just look at the stickers. And now I'm going to load up the second oh picture, my. which is the item. This item appeared on Fanthatrack's website, <laughs> and it was a list of merchandise that um, everybody on the Fanthatrack team had purchased, which was something like an oddity, and there's there's loads and loads of amazing things there. But this one from Jazz Kopyshek Vato, who I think is Russian, if I remember right, he uploaded a Japanese Star Wars-inspired droid model kit with a swastika for R2-D2's dome. And I thought, this is just absolutely amazing. Did a little bit of research on it, and on Joe Wise's website, theouterrealm.com, I've learned that it is the first in a series of controversial command robots. Um, it's essentially an R2-D2 wearing a World War II style helmet and shooting laser beams out of his eyes. The inside of the package is what truly makes the R2 knockoff seem a bit insidious. It comes with the World War II German insignias. The instruction sheet even shows where to put them on the des- for the desired effect. Now, given Japan and Germany were allies in World War II, culturally they view Nazi Germany and its symbols a little bit differently than we do in the US and most other parts of the world. So I doubt that any hate was intended by the folks at EMI, who were the company who made it, in the use of the swastika sticker on their products. And I just haven't seen anything like that before. I just think it's absolutely brilliant. What an amazing item. It is. It is a stunning piece of artwork. I mean, it's so bad. It's beautiful. That's what I thought as well. It's just so bad. Oh, I would there's, love there's, to see it made up. There's a few of us in the series. So, you know, after we record it tonight, perhaps you can get yourself on there and have a look at the other ones. If anyone has seen this made up, as in the, the kit being made up, I'd love to see it. Despite, despite the obvious... I can't, still can't believe the straw stickers, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, when has when ever there been a Star Wars item with straw stickers in it? I I love the front of that box. I love that Darth Vader head that's in the um, in the background. It's a squished. It's really random, isn't it? That yeah. little the little robot. He looks like Mr. Chips off catchphrase, doesn't he? Yeah, you shoot another little robot and there's like a weird X Wing thing. Well done, Rich. You've really um you've really understood the game. <laughs> right. Here's the other two coming now. Oh so this one, bizarrely, when you look at the inside, it actually looks more like 3PO, but this one's uh, called <laughs> 5 It's got a dog head on it. <laughs> it's just wandering in space. <laughs> I'm going to have to show you the inside of the box of that one, because the inside of the box is, when you see the box, you see what the cover on it, they just don't match at all. And there's another one. Going back to the, the PO5 Invader robot one. 
Now look at the box, right? So you've got a picture of what that looks like. Now I'm going to upload the <laughs> contents, and I swear they just do not match at all whatsoever. Now how do you get that to the back? What's going on there? <laughs> it looks like a silver, a silver C-3PO head with a, an R2 body. Oh my goodness! Uh, it looks a bit uh, that, that the one with the kind of like the golden hair looks a bit Trump. It looks a like Trump hairstyle on a robot. <laughs> it's very odd. Rich, that's, that's a cracker. <laughs> just oh my goodness! There's there's just so much to it. Again, is that little little American robots lurking behind this this Trump bot one? That's quite. Phenomenal. Yeah. I wonder how much those go for. Does anyone say what? what I have of... no idea. I've, I've just never seen them before until that. I'm no. glad I've changed my item. Right, Rich, they are corkers. That's going to that's be hard to beat. But, <laughs> and I say but in every sense of the word, I think Stuart might have a very interesting nugget coming up. Well, my item <laughs> I have got in my hand, okay? This is something <laughs> that I chanced upon on eBay and... Uh, Obviously, because I like my ceramic items and that, that kind of... Um, this isn't ceramic. I don't know what it is, actually. It's like a resin. But I kind of like those kind of oddities. So I sometimes look for like bootlegs and things. Now, this, the people who were advertising this, they, they said it was about 1980. So one of a kind, made in the UK. Um, it's... I'll, I'll, put, I'll put a photo of it up. So it's been made of resin. Uh, it was gold, but obviously it's starting to go a bit red in areas where the stuff's rubbing off. So we've got C-3PO sitting in a squatting position. Um, so from the front, he's got his hands on his knees. And if you turn it round, uh, he's got his bare bottom out. So you can see his bum crack. And he's basically pooing um, a nut out of his bum. So he's got a nut stuck to the base, which, I mean, uh, a nut as in um, a nuts and bolts, not as in a, a cashew or something. So, uh, yeah, so he's kind of squatting over this. Thing and it was just um, it was just advertised on eBay as something that was on a shop counter. I should think in a kind of hardware kind of shop. How big is that? Um, it? Is do you know what, Pete? Uh-huh. I have also got right next to me a tape measure. Oh my word! Exact measurement. <laughs> it just so happens I measured something this afternoon. Mm. It is. It's about twelve centimeters high. I'll tell you what, I've also got this um, this metal Sigma. Darth Vader thing in it. I tell you what, it looks cracking alongside it. It's <laughs> cracking. It's meant to be one of a kind. You know, we had the Darth Vader lamp and it was from a kit. I wonder again if it's one of those like, cheeky kind of garden centre kit things they had. So, Why someone... would they make a kit of pooing a nut out? <laughs> because people make those sort of crazy things. You know, who would have thought of a Darth Vader unofficial lamp kit? Get it into, the, um, into our social media so people yeah. can see exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, my word, this is a difficult choice. These are two strong entries and one... It is a strong entry. I would just like to point out... It's very strong entry. ...is I own my item. (laughs) I would just like to point out, I don't think you boys are taking this, what could be a a, a very worthwhile and serious section in any way worthwhile and seriously. I think you're just... I think you're doing gimcrack and and oddball collecting disservice. No, I I disagree. I believe we have redefined... (laughs) Gimcrack, because I didn't want it to go down the kind of two oddball route, as I have already said in previous episodes. But I think we are defining it as things that are kind of Star Wars-y, but maybe not official kind of way. And if it is a slightly official and it was slightly random and odd, f- fair enough. I don't think wallpaper is randomly strange enough in comparison to a Nazi droid 
and a <laughs> C-3PO doing a poo. I don't think it comes close. I do not say it's a bad item, Sai. It's a beautiful item, the wallpaper. But for Gimcrack, I think it's third. I think it's third. Or technically, if you it can't doesn't re- disappoint me. It doesn't well, even remotely disappoint. I'm going to be me. honest with you, Sai. I I agree with Pete there. If I lose out to Rich, I don't mind because he's come out with a really good, a really fun and <laughs> obscure item. If I, I like the wallpaper you, too. I don't care. Uh, I just I just don't think you get in the game. I and, um, you know I, it's it's like football. <laughs> I don't want to be in the game. I don't like the game. Stu, I really do love a pooing see throw any time of the day. But I can't see past Richard's Nazi droid. It's just so ridiculous. I think it's the Star Command bit that says Star Command, and there's there's so much going on. I think it's a narrow win. It's like a 1-0 a win after extra time, right at the last minute. Rich has got in there, he's knocked it out of the park. Oh, Rich, you've won. Oh, my word, what a goal. I think Rich has won. I hope the purpose of putting those in there is for, especially you, Pete, is to go and have a look oh. and find out how much they do cost and find a little bit about them, who made them and mm. how big they are because it's... You know, <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Totally yeah. intrigued. Well, I would I... imagine they're a similar sort of size to, do you know, the like the MPC 3PO and R2 type of kits, which aren't massively boxed. I'd imagine they're a similar sort of built. Look at that, look. You look inside the box there. Some real fiddly little um, mm. bits and pieces, isn't there? They weren't messing around, were they? It's not just a no. It isn't just a clip together kit. You look, look in yeah. there. Some, this is proper effort. Some, going uh, proper little metal bits, and there's like some sort of real like super glue that will stick your hand to the item. That looks that like wrong. there's a, a moving parts going on. You've got like a little you got, look. I mean, there's like a two little motor, motor bits, isn't there? Yeah. Right, and that concludes Game Crack for this month. Thank you very much, guys. Let's try again next time and hope Jez can be bothered to take part. Oh, no, he can't. We'll see him again one day. Okay, everyone, bye. As Stu alluded to earlier in the show, there's been a bit of a reshuffle. The Senate has been dropped. 
like an ugly child. It was working. It was fine. It was, I thought it was okay and entertaining. The problem was getting five people together on Skype from around the world at the same time and everyone managing to have decent sound quality headsets and me being able to press the record. But it was just an absolute nightmare, frankly. I didn't have a lot of hair to begin with. I had even less after doing two of those. So, bit of a reshuffle. Pete is all gimcracky loved up and has kindly offered over markets, which I absolutely love because the hobby is, it's just so expensive now. You cannot ignore the market anymore. You're either very, very rich or foolish to not pay attention to it and keep an eye on what's going on. Prices are all over the place and flavors of the month. So this is going to be a slightly reworked market section. I'm going to do three things each month that we'll come back to, to help sort of monitor what's happening in the marketplace, what's hot, what's not, where it's going, and all that sort of jazz. So first off is going to be eBay. And I know you get loads of people going, oh, Fleabay, oh, it's such a terrible ripoff, I never buy or sell on there. Brilliant. Please continue not to buy from there. Because frankly, everybody else is picking up absolutely outstanding bargains, occasionally, admittedly. But there are still great places to buy. You don't get bargains on Facebook anymore. I'm not sure you ever did, actually. That has ramped prices up no end at all. And eBay, where people don't seem to understand that if you buy something and it's fake, you get your money back. That's it. It's that simple. I'm loving it, picking up some great stuff from there. So each month, we're going to be looking at eBay. We'll look at a few bargains, although if I could have found them as a bargain at first, I would have bought them. So they're a little bit harder to identify. Really simple thing is just to look at what sort of listings we've got on there in terms of the quantity, and also what are the top five insanely priced items each month, just as a, as a bit of fun, really. Are they all vintage, or is there modern stuff in there? Hmm, let's see. We're also going to be looking each month at auctions, uh, UK and indeed US, wherever else interesting auctions pop up. Quite topical, given that Hakes yesterday started a timed auction, so it's going on for about three weeks, I think, for an L-slot firing Boba Fett, which is obviously going to go for silly money. But we'll cover auctions from all over the place, interesting items that have popped up, if it's worth discussing and mentioning. And finally going to be looking at just the general state of the market how it's changing how's han solo movie being received is it affecting prices in any way at all also what is flavor of the month drives me nuts because it always seems to be the item that i want to buy all of a sudden becomes flavor of the month each month we'll just be looking at that seeing if there's anything interesting and that's going to be the new format so let's go straight in with the ebay section i had a quick look and i just sorted sold items from around the world in order of highest price downwards and just pick the top five items. I should caveat that with top five items that I was pretty much confident did actually sell because there were some really random pieces of tat going for eight and ten thousand pounds where two bidders with zero feedback weirdly enough have bid it up from the 99p start price so those i've discounted i've gone with the ones that i'm pretty confident have sold some of the prices are estimates because if it's been on buy it now or best offer you can't actually see what it sold for you have to rely on what sold above it what sold below it and guesstimate the price quick round robin if you will of our team pete how many of the top five most expensive items on eBay do you think were vintage Star Wars? Ooh, out of five? Yep. Well, probably a couple. Two. Stu? Two. I would say one. One? Yeah. Right. Rich, same question to you. None of them. None of them. Oh, it's gone in strong. Vintage for sale. It was, it was three. 
it was oh. straight. So right down the middle of the road, Pete gets the nearest. But let's add all your scores together, and we get to three, and therefore you're all right. Yay! <laughs> In first place, and it shouldn't really be a surprise because it seems to be a an eBay mainstay these days. A twelve A vinyl Cape Jower or Kenner card. I think it was an AFA eighty or something like that, eighty five maybe. That was around about nine thousand pounds, twelve thousand dollars. It was on buy now or best offer in its second price, and this was an absolute shocker. I've counted this as vintage because it came out at the time. It's not a vintage toy; it's a copy of Star Wars Number One by Marvel, and this is in its second place. It's been graded CGC nine point two, which for anybody who doesn't know about comic grading, just consider that an AFA, probably around about an eighty. That's the equivalent. So it's not perfect, but it's very, very nice indeed. This sold for a whopping twelve thousand one hundred US dollars, about eight thousand six hundred pounds. That comic book is typically in that condition, graded about one hundred and fifty bucks, about one hundred and ten, one hundred and fifteen pounds. The difference with this one was, and we've covered this before, when Star Wars Number One came out, it was on the whole printed as a thirty cent. I think it was, no, it was the 35 cents comic book. The regular edition was 30 cents. This is the more expensive 35 cent. And it was just sold in a very limited area of the States. I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was very, very limited. They are super rare. They're super desirable. I had no idea they were that much more desirable. 8,600 pounds for a comic book. You know, we're not talking First Prince of Spider-Man or anything like that. So that was crazy. Then we've got number two, AFA 85, Power of the Force Yak, 9600 about $13,500. Again, they don't exactly show it regularly, but if you check your sold items and highest prices so far, you'll, you'll find a Power of the Force Yak in there. I think it's about the second one since November to sell of a similar grade. What else do we have in there? And back to non-vintage, screen-used Naboo Blaster. And I was saying to you earlier, Pete, it's the worst blaster I've ever seen. It doesn't even look like Star Wars, but it was, I guess, from episode one. That was $8,000. And this, I can only describe it as what? I don't know. Have you guys seen the Disney Swarovski edition of Darth Vader? We are talking Vader goes bling. 27 and a half centimeters high, 11 inches for for our cousins across the sea there. Darth Vader in crystals i can live without this for over five thousand pounds have you got one Stu? i was to say um i've just realized what your question was and i wouldn't have gone for one go on how many was would it? you have gone for i would have gone for three or four if not higher i did think it was odd but yeah uh, you know i just i just kind of worked out in my head what you're asking you weren't yeah. the most wrong Stu. no 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 <laughs> even this. even no. not understanding the question you weren't the most wrong <laughs> yeah so there you go you've got three items in first place the vinyl cape jawa in second place you've actually got the afa 85 power of the force yak place third i've called it the comic because it's from the t- time and then the screen used nabu blaster from what 98 i guess like maybe 97 and this thing this swarovski vader thing which we're not even going to discuss so two modern pieces there interestingly if you look outside of the last month the most expensive item that appears to have sold because it wasn't relisted was the registration plate as far as registration plates go this is pretty cool just for our american cousins and the aussies i appreciate out there you can buy your own vanity plate have what you want on it 
to a degree. Over here, we are restricted by whatever is issued by the government. That's what you have. You can't pick and choose your own numbers and all the rest of it. It's issued. You can then buy it, but you can't do much with it. However, some smart bugger has come up with KY10 ren that's pretty cool it's not twenty three thousand pounds cool which is what it appears to have sold for but it is pretty cool i like that that was the most expensive star wars thing i could find on ebay anyway on to auctions there's not been a huge amount of interesting bits and pieces coming up for auction in the country over the last month apart from monday where you will hear later or earlier or at some point about the wonderful droids wallpaper that was for sale there for an absolute bargain price. They had lots of other bits and pieces. Nothing much really went cheap. There was the usual standard fare of used figures and this, that, and the other, and it was all very, very standard, other than that lot right there, which was very cool indeed. However, the more interesting sale and the one to watch, and I can say this with impunity, because there's no way this is getting released before tomorrow, is going to be at Hanson's Auction Rooms up in Derby in the UK, where they've got one or two carded figures for sale. Now, Hanson's, I know Hanson's bought from them before. They do get a bit of Star Wars stuff in, like any regional auction house does, but they are very much a fine arts and antiques sales room. They deal in nice oil paintings and Chesterfield sofas and all that sort of stuff. So they are by no means a toy specialist. However, tomorrow, and it's part of a five-day sale, there's only a few Star Wars lots, I'd say about 20. Of those 20 lots, 10 of them are entirely made up of stormtroopers and carded stormtroopers at that. They have, in no fewer than 10 lots, 50 carded stormtroopers. Jedi, phenomenal. Have you seen that, boys? Anyone else looking at that auction tomorrow? Certainly am. I've got some bids in myself on some of the lots. You know, like the Trilogo Imperial Dignities, because quite a few sets of them as well. So I think I've probably got about five bids in at the moment. Nice, yeah. They've got, I think it's four Imperial Dignitaries split into two lots of two each. They've got four Trilogo Yak Faces, which look like they've been through the tumble dry in fairness. None of these things are in, in mint condition. Most of the Stormtroopers are pretty good. The Dignitaries are okay. The Yak Faces, typical, are by far and away the worst, aren't they, Rich? Yeah, the Yak Faces are terrible. I mean, I must admit, though, if somebody can pick one up for two, three hundred pounds, you're going to say, well, well done, you've got, you've got a, a good little deal there. But if they're going to go beyond 300 and if anybody's buying them to flip them later on, you've got near chance. Near chance at all. Sorry, are you going to buy those Stormtroopers and give me, Stu and Richard, one, being your friends? I'm going to give you boys absolutely nothing. I'm not your mate, so I wouldn't want one anyway. Good. <laughs> they, I'm, you're getting nothing. You're getting nothing at all. If I win all the Imperial Gunners, because there are no fewer than 16 Imperial Gunners up for grabs tomorrow as well. One of them. I don't want a Stormtrooper. I've already got one. Ah, oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll buy the Imperial Gunners. Then. There's three lots of three Gunners and a lot of four Gunners. I've never seen so many. They're brilliant. Now, Rich, your newfound love of all things Trilogo, what is common to all those Trilogos other than the somewhat ropey condition? I haven't studied them that well. The bubbles are quite clear. Rich, the Trilogos. Of course, they're quite clear. Zero points for you. None of them got 159 stickers on. Oh, yeah, of course. You've got a load of Kenner stormtroopers 50 of them none of them have got none of them in fact have got any price stickers on at all but you've got 50 stormtroopers to me that suggests x shop stock the condition of the tri logos as well they were absolutely not bought by a collector or an investor honestly the yak faces look like they've been screwed up into a ball and then someone's tried to flatten them out again they are utterly shocking and rich you're right anyone paying more than i'd suggest the best one probably 
probably looking at about 450 500 on it there's no money in it don't bother leave it to the collectors for goodness sake let, let someone who wants one get one rather than being a, a flipper on it the rest of them are fairly atrocious though but all the tri logos are pretty much battered even the poor old gunners however none of those last 17 have the 159 sticker so they were never intended for sale strictly speaking in the uk so it's quite an interesting one but then thinking about it we had the discussion earlier didn't we about the power of the force stock by the small retailers maybe that's what's gone on here bit of gray imports from the continent or from the states who knows but it's an interesting lot anyway and i am going to try and get to speak to the auction house after the sale to find out a little bit more about the origin of those but we'll watch those with bated breath on to the final part which is the state of the market you know I'm no great fan of TLJ. I watched it once. I really couldn't be bothered to go back to see it again. It did cause me to lose a little bit of love for the hobby. I've got to say that. I'm not going into the debate of it now. That's just how I felt about it. And if I felt about it, there were others. So to me, it was really interesting to see what has happened to the market afterwards. Not a great deal, really. Prices seem to have been fairly stable on the whole for both mocks and for loose figures. Loose figures especially, the market seems to have quietened down, particularly on Facebook. We've discussed the reasons why before, I think, about those that started collecting two or three years ago now finishing their runs. There's these excess figures about, etc., etc. That's bound to have a suppressive effect on the market. What is flavor of the month this month? We, we've seen it with R2 Pop-Up. We've seen it with Lair Organa. Boba Fett is always flavor of the month with his tax. Obviously, what is flavor of the month is something that I struggled to give away 12 months ago. I bought a beautiful Palatoy boxed at-at from Jamie Brown, Fuzzy Buzzy Toys, at the first farthest from I went to, which was, what, about two and a half years ago now. He virtually had to give it to me because nobody wanted it. And I had it and I loved it. And then I thought, you know what? I've got too much stuff to put in this room. I can't have big box things. So the big box things went, the at-out was one of them. Went to Echo Live, wasn't it, Stu? Back in April last year, I think it was. And I took it with me then. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't take it with me. You took it with you, didn't you, Stu? I had taken it off you somewhere else, hadn't I, before I came No, 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 was... you hadn't taken it off me. I had brought it round your freaking house after you pestered me to buy it off me <laughs> after farthest from some time ago. Oh, no, I really want it. Yeah, no, I'll take it off you. Oh, cheers, mate. Yeah, did you yeah. drop it round, did you? I dropped it round. What was the occasion? I'll tell you the occasion. It was the event that you Quiz did. Quiz night. Quiz night. Yes. So I dropped yes. round my beloved Tuscan Raider tri logo, which you weirdly enough kept, and this giant <laughs> box. And you know, oh, I'm so poor. Can I pay you in groats later? Yeah, no worries. And then what do you do? You turn up to Echo Live with a freaking at at and go, yeah, I've decided I don't want it anymore. So I, I'm not. I, bear in mind, I've not been paid for it. I'm not going to say, well, give me the money for it, you bugger. So I, it's all right, mate. I'll sell it. And I, think you, end, I think I said, if I'm going to stick up for myself here. I said, stick it out for sale today. And if you don't sell it, I'll still have it. The problem yeah, is... Because yeah, I was obviously going to make you take it I then. put it in my office and it's bloody massive. It's huge. And I thought to myself, it's going to be one of those things I'm going to stick in my garage and lose for now. And it'd be better <laughs> to get it once I've, uh, I've got one. But, yeah, uh, absolutely. They are, they are big things, which is why they've always been really price sensitive, isn't it? It's why they've always been difficult to, to shift, frankly. Except now... I think I had to bully Wayne Totty into buying it from Echo Base Facebook group. And he, he put up a struggle and he ended up throwing something like 135 quid at me. It was beautiful. It had all the inserts. It had the instructions and everything. I've got to say, it stank. It smelled like someone, it had been smoking about 40 a day. But it was a really, really nice condition one. The box was super, wasn't it, Stu? Mate, it, it was It was lovely. If I was yeah. going to have one, I would. I, yeah, 
You would have had that. It, yeah, it, absolutely. It was lovely. So 135 quid. Has anybody seen what Atats are doing at the moment and have been now for a couple of months? No, to be honest with you, I haven't really been taking that much notice. Utter insanity. Utter insanity. I was looking at one yes, uh, two days ago because I had a loose one knocking about here as well without any guns or a bulb cover. And I thought, oh, what will I get for that? 40 quid maybe, maybe 50 if I push it. And I had a look on eBay. A loose complete one, £180. I'm not talking what he was asking. It's what it had sold for on bids. And that wasn't exceptional either. They were 150, 160 quid loose. We saw that one that was subject of some discussion. The, was it AFA 80, Mint and Sealed Box Palatoy Empire one that had been listed for £8,500. It's not listed anymore. I don't know if it's sold. It's been delisted, but it's not been relisted. It says to me that a private sale is probably taking place. Loose ones, as I say, are doing 150 plus. Incomplete ones, about 80 quid for one missing its chin guns and even its bulb cover. I sold mine for, I think it was 70. I listed it, and within, within about six or seven minutes, someone had clicked buy it now. They've gone through the roof. So flavor of the month is from an unexpected quarter. Our vehicles finally seeing a resurgence. They've always been relatively slow in terms of pricing. You don't see much movement in them, do you? Even the old Imperial Shuttle that a while back went through, everybody must have an Imperial Shuttle. Even those hung about in pricing. What does our uh, market expert say, Pete? Yeah, I think it, it seems to be the ones with the parts which are hard to source. People have you know pounced on those parts like chin guns and stuff and just pushed the price further and further. And people just go, right, I'm just going to go now for the, the, the complete item and prepare to pay up to 200 quid, it seems now. People are quite happy to pay a lot, a lot of these ships because they're, they're so fed up of being ripped off or or seeing this, those small little parts. You know, even on snow speeders, people asking daft money for you know like the, the, the tackle thing at the, at the back. You know, people don't want to spend 50 quid on, on that or 50 quid on the arm, on the training arm and ball of the Falcon. So just go, you know what, I'm going to gonna splurge the cash and don't mind paying a bit extra for, for a fully complete set. And those prices are getting pushed up. I think you're probably spot on there, Pete. But what's the chin gun now? 25 quid for a single one? If you're lucky. If, if you're, lucky. you're lucky. It's probably 30. Yeah, I think probably more. I mean, people just go, I mean, I would say you, you'll be prepared to pay 20 quid plus for just one chin gun. Oh, um, 20 quid. It wouldn't last a second on the old uh, yeah. Facebook groups. Not a second. Shame. Interestingly, I saw the top hatch sell the other day for £35. When Stu gave me that rather empty shell of a slave one, I thought, oh, I'll spend the money and get it complete because it was almost there. And I had a few bits lying around, like the wings and stuff. But I remember spending £25 on the ramp and about 10 quid on the on the hand stone and carbonite. I, did, I didn't mind paying it because it was from a reputable sellers. But still, you know, I I've just spent 30 quid on, on two of the items of it. I wouldn't have spent that if I if I'd bought the, the Slave 1. I mean, you can probably get a complete Slave 1 for, you know, best part of 50 quid, I'd imagine, without its box, obviously. Yeah, I think you're right. So, yes, Atta is very much flavour of the month. It's rocketed in price, dried up in supply. Get your Atats out. Get them sold, create the space, buy some more lovely figures instead. You could fill the space with loads of figures for the space. Well, those big buggers takes up. Great vehicle, though, and, and it is very much for me, it's a tough call between that and the Falcon. Personally, I prefer the Atat, even though the Falcon is an epic vehicle. But the Atat, for me, wins it out. So cool. From the best film, let's face it. Why, why is that a competition? What do you mean, why is that a competition? Why is it Millennium Falcon versus the Atat? 
<laughs> because nothing else comes close. Oh yeah, the shuttles are beautiful. Oh, the shuttles are a beautiful thing. But if you start throwing rebel transports at me, things are going to get personal. <laughs> Jez isn't here, mate. <laughs> that rounds up the market section. It's going to be somewhat more structured. Hopefully, I'll have more exciting facts and figures for you all next month. But hopefully, that is of interest. <laughs> Lads, on to our question this month, and after looking into the Return of the Jedi 2 packs during the NA, I decided it would be good to see what everyone would choose as a combination that they would most like. Now, I've been in touch with Jez and got his answer, so he could still be involved and take some points. What I will tell you all is, don't forget, the last 17 weren't released when the Jedi cards were, so I will not accept if you've put a last 17 figure in. Let's go, first of all, with this month, Peedy Weedy. Right, I've got two, two beautiful ones. Stu, I'll, what... I'll let you name. I'll let you name both, but you've got to select one for your answer for the okay, points. Okay. okay? Uh, well, this is the one for the points. I think. What was the the true partnership story in Empire Strikes Back? Just, Ooh, just for okay. The true partner. The true partnership. Yeah. Um, Lando and Lobot. Tebow and Logri. Oh, interesting. Interesting uh, there, Rich. Even though none of them will win Empire Strikes Back. Um, I think you missed a trick there. <laughs> and if you listen to the radio dramas, two one B has a lot of lines, and here's relationship with Luke Skywalker obviously he sees him naked and in his nappy and uh, he fixes his hand up and in the radio dramas there's a lot of 2-1-B action so I think I will recognise that by having Bespin Luke and 2-1-B in a two-pack Bespin Luke yeah interesting interesting yes the um, combination yeah I quite like my randomness what is your other one just out of interest well now, obviously, we're, we're going into um, kind of bootleg Mexican kind of fare here. And you're obviously going to have Jabba and Rancor, the Rancor itself, um, <laughs> probably, probably gaffer taped or shrink wrapped, um, depending on what they had available at the time, onto a very large card. I think that would be a brilliant two pack. I'm going to be honest with you. I think you should have gone for that one as your as your points. But you didn't. So we've got two on being best spin Luke. So... Let's go Absolutely. to Simon, because... <laughs> you know what? It, you know very well. It doesn't matter what I say. And I'm slightly disappointed that Pete has stolen my thunder, because I was going to go Wampa and Tauntaun. But he's he's done the crazy creature mix, so I, I won't go there. Instead, I'm going to rain on Rich's parade, and I'm going to say R5 and Jawa. R5 and Jawa? Yeah, it's just a great combination, isn't it? What was the only scene that you saw R5-D4 in? Oh, oh, oh good one. Thank um... <laughs> I've got a feeling um, that tonight's going to be a good night, but that's <laughs> by the by for this. Um, it's a good question. Um, don't you see R5? Um, oh, um, Flying the Y-Wing. Mm, that no. wasn't actually R5 because there's no way the Rebels went down and bought him from the Jowers. Yeah, Come on, stop trying to pick holes. Just give me no points anyway. I don't <laughs> care. You know it's a winning two-pack combination. It, so. it is a winning two-pack combination. I'm quite surprised. I thought Jez was only going to get one point. Uh, Rich? <laughs> I totally, totally, totally went off on a wrong tangent here. So I've got three, okay? But based on what you've said, I know which one I'm going to go with now. and I wasn't going to go with it initially. So the first one... <laughs> 
one I was thinking about, so I'm not going to go over this, was <laughs> Salacious Chrome and Slave Lear. But I'm, because you said I'm, you weren't going to accept Last 17, you're clearly not going to accept Slave Lear. Because I thought those two would make a great little two-pack combination. Because I think the Salacious Chrome on the Jawa playset could have been improved slightly. I then considered Darth Vader with a removable helmet and Luke Jedi. Because I thought you could do something really good with the end and scene of that. But again, I don't think you're going to accept that one. So I'm going to have to go with the third one that I penciled in. I'm getting myself confused here. I write down somewhere you've got to design your own figure. Um... <laughs> well, you didn't say you couldn't. You? you said the ultimate return of the Jedi 2 pack. Where did you say ultimate? In the show notes. <laughs> It says in the say the ultimate. Right. It says, because... Sai, can you confirm this? No. Somebody who can read. Pete, can you, can you, can you have a look at the <laughs> show notes? show notes. Can you read what it says? I, oh, right, I've got them in front of me. I can categorically state. Ultimate. Ultimate. I'm a two-pack like this, but, yeah. but you've got to be using figures that exist, man. Yeah, it come doesn't on. see that, though. Right? Well, yeah, anyway, it doesn't then. say ultimate in the show notes. I've yes, got it, it does. It, doesn't. it reads, on to our question this month, and after looking into the Return of the Jedi two-packs during NA, I decided it would be good to see whatever nah. I'm going to choose that nah. they would most like. It doesn't once say, nah. but if you want, you can add a figure... And right. you have anyway, your neck in. Right, so I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the third one, which I was never gonna go with. Okay? This okay. is the two pack that should have been released. And I don't know why they were never put together as a two. Biker Scout, any speeder bike. That's a two pack I'm gonna go with. Because why those two were never put together as a pair is absolutely beyond me. That that is the ultimate two pack. Because it's a vehicle. And it's not gonna fit on those of return the Jedi car. This this is just incredible. I, th- this... I think I Oh that's think... it. Uh, Rich gets top points. No, 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 no. Yeah. You, can, you can put a speeder bike in one of those bubbles, man, by the time you dismantled it easily. Right, okay, okay. So, <clears throat> let's go over to Jez. Hello, I'm Jez. Hi, Jez. I'm glad you could join us tonight. <laughs> That's all right, mate. <laughs> I like being on the podcast. <laughs> um, Are you going to talk I've, for ten minutes? I've gone off, I've gone off the wall, I have. I've, I've gone with Klaatu. And Klaatu Skiff. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not joking. So this is you what he says. You've made that up, haven't you? No. On my life, it says, okay, this is standard, this is what he's written. This is standard Jez off the wall stuff. You know me. I don't like to go in normal. I like to go in a little bit wobbly, whatever that means. So I'm going with Klaatu and Klaatu Skiff. What's wobbly That way you have, you ready for it? Mm-hmm. That way you have a Klaatu 2 pack. <laughs> Only Jez can come up with that. Uh, Klaatu has got an original skirt which could be a 2-2 perfect for a Klaatu focus collector Jez uh, you sent me that and I looked at it and I thought my response is lol at least you're giving me some sort of reasoning let me just have a look so one point then (laughs) Klaatu and Klaatu skip one point then to Richard um because it's bloody ridiculous this month you're normally quite consistent but uh absolute nonsense i oh, jez two points because he really has gone down an awful awful line as uh, so i'm going to give you three points well done um, i think this is your greatest moment on the podcast <laughs> and i'm going to go with pete because those packs were always really random and he's come up with a random two pack and given it some logic so pete well done Five points. so let's have a quick look Oh, interesting. So the scores this year so far, Rich and Cy are both tied on four, and Ooh. Jez and Pete are tied on seven. Oh, I'm tied with Jez. Jez. When Jez listens to this and he realises his Klaatus have only, I've got him two points, <laughs> he's going to be thrilled. 
Claw two, two uh, point. I'll tell you what, Rich, if you'd gone with one of the other two, it would have given you a minus point. <laughs> but, uh, and yet, yet there would have been Quack and Tupac if they were made. Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not arguing that, but that's not the question, eh? You need to be clear over your comments. That's like, that's like me saying, oh, you know, right this month we're going to, what Sigma mug would you most like? And then you go in, well, I'm going to go with Norway because I've just been there and it is my favourite country. You know, totally irrelevant. You know what David Bowie said, though, don't you? No. <laughs> Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow. But um, I think that's relevant at this time. Feedback, Rich. Let's go back to episode 44. I just want to start off with the iTunes reviews. Though. I'm really pleased that we've got another three iTunes reviews. So one's from a guy called Adam Starr. And he's put on there, listen from episode one, simply the best. So brilliant, Adam. I'm really pleased that we've got your support. And thanks for leaving that review. The next one comes from TSW Toybox Daily. And this is from Mark. And he's written here, an inspiration. Listen to these guys since 2016. And I'm on my third go around of listening back to the episodes I need to get my ideas from somewhere best collector's podcast around love it when it pops up in my feed more knowledge for me to soak in keep up the great work so cheers for that one Mark Um, really really pleased about that the next one is from Taffius and Taffius is a guy who's basically exploded on the forum hasn't he since he's, he's joined so this is a new collector returning to the hobby in december i was after advice and guidance found this amazing podcast feed that really hit the spot the funny and light-hearted approach got me hooked guest speakers bring depth to the topics and news and reviews keeps me updated with what's happening in the hobby they say there are no experts but richard really knows his stuff it's researched so well the effort <laughs> hey <laughs> yeah that's what it is the effort put in the podcast by Richard really compensates for the lack of involvement from Sai. It truly means it's addictive, and I highly relate and I highly rate these episodes for the casual listening or for learning something new every time. Keep up great work, guys. Everything is awesome. Sometimes even Sai. Jez sometimes tries hard on the quiz. Please give him one more point. So thanks very much for that, Tavius. That's an absolutely awesome review that you've left there for us. Did you translate that from Welsh or something? It might have been. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so over on Stars from UK, uh, Taffius again, great podcast once again, beginner's advice is spot on, already made a couple of minor errors mentioned, for example, I purchased some figures with no guns, but I'm learning so quickly from here and from the podcasts, he's been on Star Wars Tracker, seen that mention of Star Wars Tracker now, big shout out to Jared Cope, thanks very much for putting us as your featured podcast on the main page Star Wars Tracker, so we are really, really pleased with that, we're glad to support the Tracker, and really glad that you support us back, Taffius ends that one with thanks guys for the time and effort. Spoons, great stuff from John, who was the John Aves, the guest on the last show, the Palatoy Junkie. And Spoons is pleased that he actually got a quiz question right. Of course, everyone wants an opening bonnet. Okay, uh, I had a second-hand land speeder as a kid, and I used to keep my weapons in the bonnet. So that was, I think it was Stu who said that, so it was a great shout-out on that one. I'm sure everybody did the same. He also showed a photograph of a wooden TIE fighter, and I think it was Stu who mentioned the Japanese mm. wooden ships yeah. in the last episode. And was it the land I've speeder? I mentioned the say? land speeder one, yeah. yeah. So so Andy, Andy Norton Spoons, he's got the wooden TIE fighter, and it was absolutely brilliant to say that. Best bit of feedback we had, Jason Seahawks, uh, Jason Langendorfer. Really enjoyed the interview with John his paradise focus just had a look at some of the photos he posted on facebook of his collection most impressive indeed that luke jedi with two blue sabers dang being a great addition to the show here from chris and ron dropping knowledge on a regular basis we do get a lot of people commenting on that and we've said that many times it doesn't matter how much we read we never really hit that point that those two guys do the land speed has my favorite of the smaller vehicles i still have my childhood one and it's beat to heck and the center turbine broke off years ago but it's still awesome however i confess that i put the engine decal on top of the hood for some reason 
season, give me a break though, I was only four years old. The spring loaded wheels to make it look like it was floating like magic back in the day. As always, the NES section is a blast to listen to. Funny to hear the discussion about the Kenner Play-Doh sets. When I found those old photographs with the Star Wars Empire Strikes Back set, the nostalgia trigger hit me big time. I'm glad I was able to track them down and finding the sealed Jabba set on eBay for cheap was just plain luck. Definitely I'm keeping an eye out for the others. I told Stu that I'd been thinking about breaking out the Star Wars Empire Strikes Back Play-Doh sets and I actually did this this evening. My daughters and I had a blast. Even if it's his for ages 3 to 7 in the box, I snapped a pic of them in action. And what he did was, is he had a photograph of his two daughters with two huge beaming smiles with the Play-Doh sets out there. So uh, that was absolutely brilliant. Thanks very much for showing that photo. I can go on and on just like Jez does, but I'm sure most have already either moved on to the next Fed or fallen asleep by now. Already looking forward to the next show. Enjoy your two months away from the madness Jez, good luck on going back to school. And as we heard from the start there, Jez obviously, you know, does need some help going back to school. So so thanks for that, Jason. Your support is always appreciated. Sometimes when we get threads like that, we look at them and think, mm, is that really what we want? But there was some great information came out. So I started off with Jason Smith and he put on there just a note on the Palatoy 41 back Dengar from the Palatoy Jung interview. It's true that the rare are one of a kind cards on my matrix are from word of mouth, but these are from trusted collectors. I have no doubt that the entries made this way are good as a sources as I got these from I trust implicitly. The 41 back Dengar used to fall into this category until I was shown a video of it by Darren Simpson and this was a celebration last year. It's now verified on the Matrix. It's one of two mint on cards that are known to exist. Okay so that's Jason justifying the fact that the Dengar is on his Matrix because he's seen a video plus because of the fact it's come from somebody like Darren Simpson who we all respect that's why it's on the Matrix. Now that was in response to John's comment in that he hasn't seen and he doesn't know people who've seen some of these cardbacks so he's got a question mark in his head and it was when he said he really didn't understand why people don't show them if they do exist. Chipsteak came forward and said and you know he'd owned both of the dad's beaters as a kid which was very unusual the Palatine one was literally the first vehicle he owned. It's Luke's car that you can put the figure in, and that's where he seed it. It was clearly great. However, he was very young when he got it, and before long, the top engine had broken off, as had the seats, as had the windshield, and the floating mechanism. <laughs> so, so I don't know how much it was. It, was, it sounds like the soap dish that was left. So fast forward to the turn of the Jedi era, your friend got what I now assume to be the collector's reissue, and not only did it have all the pieces, but the curious edition of the opening bonnet. He was underwhelmed by it, so they sorted out some sort of trade, and he ended up with that one, which was the better toy, the US one, because you could put your guns in the hood and have a Tuscan Raider nosy about in it. Totally agree with that. Out of the two of them, I never said the Palatoy one was better than the Kenner one. The Kenner one is clearly better. What I did say was that I would prefer preferred to have had some kind of racing stripe or some kind of <laughs> decal added to oh, it. Oh, Rich. As opposed, you just wang your neck in, as opposed to having the open bonnet. If I had the choice of the two, that's what I would have went with. I never said the Palatoy one You didn't say that. You said you'd much rather have a go-fast stripe than a bonnet that opens it you can't do anything with. You yeah. know... <laughs> That's what I've just said. Yeah, but what yeah. do you... No, I no one agreed with you. The one was better, though, did I? Six years old, you do not want to go faster stripe. You want you want playability. You know, you want to max it out. Yeah. Right, anyway, moving on. So, Scarif Pacific, I've just discovered the podcast. Thoroughly enjoying it. It's keeping me company on my break at work. It's like sitting at a table with good friends that you've never met. He might, he might change his mind when he actually meets some of you. I think he's seen one of the ones who was coming out the farthest from. I can't remember that. Ed Jedi, is everyone... Now, this is really an interesting question. It's not something I've ever thought of before. Has anyone ever met a die-hard droids or Ewoks fan? I've seen people who love them and love the prequels, and that's because that was their a era. But in my experience, everyone who collects droids and Ewoks are just vintage collectors, 
and ran out of 78, 85 stuff to buy. Surely there must be some people out there who missed the original trilogy and grew up on droids of Ewoks. Right, so what I did with that question was I asked Gonzalo, who I've already mentioned um, came with me on the Hoth trip, and Gonzalo was based in Spain. And I said to Gonzalo, I says, Gonzalo, why were the Spanish so obsessed with the droids and Ewoks? And his exact response was, I haven't got a clue, because during that time he went to Mexico. And when he came back from Mexico... The droids and Ewoks had already run on the TV, and as he was he was in Spain, he was hearing people talk about droids and Ewoks. What's this droid and Ewok stuff? So he missed that whole point. So he he doesn't even know either. So I guess there are plenty of Spanish who are certainly you know who grew up on droids and Ewoks. But as for people in the UK or the States or, or Europe or Australia, I don't know anybody who is solely a Droids and Ewoks fanatic. So if anybody is one, if anybody does know one, um, I'd love to hear from them. Heading over to Tantive, the 89th Chris. It's also great to be mentioned in any again, personally, even though it's clear that a Canadian Uncle Gundy Mint and Card is an inquired taste. I guess they recorded just before I got my blue UPR2. Well, it's what we've always said, though, isn't it? It doesn't matter if you've got a beat a look or you've got a card of DT Vera. You know, everything means somebody to somebody, and we thought that Canadian Uncle Gundy was a really nice item to discuss. Congratulations on the blue UPR2. That's an absolutely fantastic item. Um, as you've said there, you congratulated me on getting the red R5 one, so thanks very much for that, Chris. I was a bit surprised to have unlicensed Star Wars arcades, so this one was at Pete. So we're talking about unlicensed Star Wars arcades on the Vectris, but we didn't include something called Starfire. And he's taking photographs of it, and he says this is actually a somewhat complex vector recreation of the classic arcade game but then again it was a 90s homebrew so it's not really strictly speaking strictly speaking vintage so so pete i'll send you that image that he sent so it's a game called starfire so he's urged Rich, to Rich, that, was, uh, that was in the fanzine it was in the fanzine yeah yes i that uh, i have always gone over starfire already mm-hmm. that's a well, the old ones that went over there, so there you go, Chris. It was in the fanzine because it was it was part two of the conversation, wasn't it? That you'd already started. Indeed. So uh, you can still buy copies of the fanzine for three English pounds. Contact us on usual channels. Nico, I've just started this episode. Love the banter that you guys have. Thanks very much, uh, Nico. The sometimes schoolboy humour. Not sure where that comes from. It's hilarious. Makes me laugh on my way to work for six a.m. start. Always a lot of interesting points about the great hobby. Keep up the great work. So thanks very much for that, Nico. Commander Clint. He, as usual, did his huge post showing, showcasing some of the cabinets that are available. I'm glad he got my point, even if it's the only one about Detolfs. He agreed with me in that, yes, they may have the players in the hobby, but they're not the be all and end all. And there were plenty of other display solutions out there that are better. Huge thanks to Ron, because of the collector series images that were talked about from the SWCA, that when I clicked on the link that went to the old university site, he put the photos on of them on our Facebook page. They were far better than I thought they'd be, so thanks very much for that, Ron. Those those images were absolutely cracking. I'm really pleased that you put them on there. That's just, you know, another piece of history that needs to be shown. So I think we might have to repost them on our main thread because they were buried inside one of the sub-threads. So uh, thanks, Ron. I really appreciate that. Who was the poster? Was it was it John that was discussing the Empire Strikes Back poster in, in the interview? Yes, yeah, yes, it was John. Signed, yeah. Yeah. So James Simmons, he's got a, a similar poster, Empire Strikes Back, and the signatures on that was absolutely tremendous. So he put that on my Facebook thread as well. So thanks very much for sharing that, James. You know, congratulations on getting so many signatures. Thanks very much for everybody who has commented, shared, liked 
the people I spoke to in Hoth, uh, the people who, you know, who quietly listen to our show. Thanks to everybody who's reached out. Now, what I will say is, after you've listened to some of the NA tonight, you know, if you want to come on the show, you know, Stu's going to tell you how to do that in a second, but don't be scared. Contact us, reach out to us, tell us what you would like to do, tell us what you would like to talk about. Even if it's just a one minute thing, don't think for one second that nobody's going to be interested. We've got Sai on the show, for example, and, you know, nobody cares about what he has to say. He still turns up every month. So, Stu, if anybody wants to get in contact with us, what's the best way to do that? You can contact us by email on swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook by searching Vintage Rebellion. Search Vintage Rebellion also on Instagram. Uh, quite an active account over there at the moment. And on Twitter at swtvrpodcast. Uh, don't forget all 44 previous episodes and four Christmas specials are all still available for you to go back and listen to. I think you just said, Rich, that someone's listened to them three times, so hopefully they'll go back and listen for a fourth. Uh, Search for The Vintage Rebellion on iTunes, or you can listen directly at swtvrpodcast.podbean.com. Right, huge thank yous to our guests this month, Chris Jogulius, Ron Salvatore, Dallas Ewan, Blake Bundy, Greg Dupre, Christian Berham, Alan Tompkins, James Floyd, Martin Dahl, Matt Booker, and Mark Newbold. I think you could have done with put a bit more effort out in Hoth there. Actually, there are some more, but I don't know the names of them. So, would you, so there, just so there, v- are, there are some Norwegians. More. Right. And Norwegians. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. So, one show down without Jez. One to go. I've missed him. Cool. Missed his little fuzzy face and his little hairy back. But <laughs> he'll, he'll be back. But from the rest of us, it is Cheerio from Richard. Later, guys. Chow Main from Simone. Yep. Yeah, uh, next time. Later. Bye. Goodbye from Pete. Oh, yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming, yeah? Cheers. And it is goodnight from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. <laughs> This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Come on, don't let me down now. Don't let me down. What, Hoth, Hoth stuff? Yeah, come on, Sam. What, what, what would you think would be a cracking bit of Hoth stuff that would complement anyone who was maybe doing a Hoth base kind of collection? Tauntaun, Wombat, and to go with your, what was it called? The Hoth, Hoth Ice Planet set? What was it called? The play set? Is that, is that the thing we've just covered in NA? Sorry. Yeah, to, to some uh, great, great depth. Which has, led this, which has led into this discussion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Hoth sure Ice Planet Adventure set. Yeah, yeah sure. Someone's European attention. Sorry, who are you guys? <laughs> this is, this is Dial of Friend, isn't it? We've just recorded all that, man. Hobby, so pull it together. Oh, sorry, man. Oh. <laughs>
Yeah, we're trying to stay away. There you go. That's what I'd have. I'd have one of those. <laughs> we're trying to stay away, stay away from action figures, but there we go. <laughs> I thought from action figures. I thought you were going to start. Anyway. I thought you were going to start listing Han Hoff, Luke Hoff. Oh man, I didn't even think about those. I was trying to get stay away from those. So yeah, I didn't say more more away from those sort of things. That's why I gave you a bit of a list. Things like you know, micro collection, obviously, coins, computer games, that sort of thing, really. But uh, 